Hello and welcome to the 70th episode of the Fun Filtered Podcast. I am Jordan. This is Sam. Hello. Sam, Mm -hmm. did you know, Mm -hmm. irony of ironies, that OJ is actually an old Sanskrit word meaning wife slayer? No. Coming up. We review the full Monty TV show and also kind of the full Monty film. We review Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We review the miniseries Mrs. Davis. We review Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And we review season four of Succession. Should we just get straight into it? Let's get there's straight a, into there's it. There's a lot to get through this yeah. episode. Another one of those episodes. Another one of those shit we haven't recorded for like nine weeks. Another one of those Eddie, Eddie is gone, so we're back. <laughs> we're back on form. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're back behaving ourselves, um, hopefully tighter. So you watched the full Monty. I did. The, the TV, TV show, series. I should specify. Yes. I watched the TV show first, and then I went back to the film. But you had previously seen the film. I'd previously seen the film. Yes, but not for a long time. Which is why I watched the show. I don't think I would have bothered with the show. No, 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 no. Yeah, all the rich allusions back to the film and things that's going to pay <laughs> off and- I don't know. Well, back to. That's the problem, isn't it? I watched the Full Monty TV show because it was like, oh, I watched the Full Monty. I have some nostalgia for I that think film. I liked the Full Monty. Yeah. I must like the show. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it. You haven't watched no. it. I think you made the right decision. Yes. <laughs> Especially having gone back to watch the film immediately after seeing the show. Mm-hmm. I knew at the time that I was watching the show that its existence was strange. Definitely. But having now gone back to see the film, its existence has now been upgraded to baffling. Yeah. Like, utterly, I do not understand why this exists. I don't know who it's for. Mm. I don't know what the guy was thinking. Because it is the guy. It's not... It's the writer, yeah. It's not some person... Simon Beaufort. ...that Disney went, hey, do you want to you know, fucking write a Full Monty TV show? It's the guy. It's the Full Monty guy. Okay, so before ignoring the content for now, let's try and break down why it would exist. Yeah. Okay. So like, oh yeah, let's, you know, let's cash in on the full Monty craze. <laughs> the, that like su- successful little British film from 1997. Yeah. It's from 1997. It's not an anniversary. No. I mean, I guess it would have been 25 years last year. Yeah. But now it's not. No. So it's not an anniversary. It's not back in the culture in some way. Not that, that I'm aware of, no. No, that like, you know, it's not trending on TikTok. It's, it's yeah. not, oh, we need to capitalize on the full Monty thing. It's not like Chippendales are more no. prominent than they ever have been. It's not like any individual actor in the show no. has seen a renaissance in their career. Yeah, it's like, oh, now we'll go back and we'll kind of zero in on that character. Mm. Even though it, it, it's the full Monty's a very good film. It's a very good film. It's a very good film. I didn't realise how, like, desperately it needed a rewatch. It's a really good yeah, film. Yeah, it's really good. And, you know, it's it's lasted mm. in terms of, you know, I still, I you know, I have it in my collection. I like it. Yeah. I, I know it, you know. The full Monty is still a word in the culture. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what came first. I think that preceded the film. No, and uh, yeah, I, I know yeah, yeah, yeah. it was an existing term. But, like... The UK knows what we you think mean of that. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. you say the full Monty, people know the dole cue scene. Yeah, you know the final dance, all that kind of thing. But it's not like it, it has this massive. It's not like a cult movie. It's not Shaun of the Dead. It's not Shaun of the Dead. It's not one of those. It's not Pulp Fiction. It's not one of those '90s films that, even though it, you know, it was kind of lauded and you know awards were heaped on it at the time. Yeah, 
it's not when you meet a young person in their 20s now, The Full Monty's not like one of their favourite films. No. Uh, it hasn't lasted in that way. Yeah. People who saw it at the time have a fondness for it. And I get, you know, if you're a film person, you've watched it and you're like, yeah. yeah. But it's not like, oh yeah, we really need to, a Full Monty. Yeah, I, I do think that it's a film that it's not, a, it, it's a product of its time, but it's not locked in its time. Like you could right. watch that film now and still get something out yeah, of it. Yeah, it is timeless, yeah. And I wonder if that's one of the things they were kind of banking off when they went ahead with the show. Because to sort of like, uh, to fill people in who are not that familiar, The Full Monty, as you said, it's a British film from 1997. Mm-hmm. The idea is that... Um, sort of during the the Thatcher era in Britain, post post oh, yeah. this, it's post Thatcher yeah. era in Britain, but during the Thatcher era, there was this boom of industry, mm-hmm. uh, and in Sheffield in particular, there was this big push for Sheffield Steel. Mm-hmm. You know, go work at the steelworks, go start your career, go be big and successful, and live the dream. In it's the it was the equivalent of um, cars in Detroit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was, the, it was this is the thing that's going to make us a manufacturing hub. Yeah, yeah, we are going to be put. We're going to be on the world stage, mm-hmm. and all of that just kind of petered out after a short while. So yeah. when the film when the film starts, there's this montage kind of like introducing you to the propaganda and the media of the time that was sort of pushing this. Like the seventies, like this is Sheffield, you know, the yeah. city on the hill. Exactly, kind of, yeah. 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 And then it hard cuts to an abandoned steelwork. Yeah. And you find out that the, the plot is about these uh, steelworkers who've been put out of a job, mm-hmm. living in poverty, living on the dole, because uh, they were promised the dream that was then ripped away from them. And they kind of find out that... But there's like a working men's club in their town and there are Chippendales there. And it's like women's only. Mm-hmm. Um, so the men are obviously like, oh, fucking Chippendales, you know, showing... What, what the fuck's that all No about? men allowed in a working men's club. Yeah, it's yeah. a fucking disgrace, you know. And then they find out that the Chippendales are actually making a serious amount of money. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. And so the, that's the premise of the film. It's these out-of-work steelworkers. Out of shape. Out of shape <laughs> steelworkers. Yeah. Ordinary men, you know, Ginsters pasties, mm-hmm. Pine of Guinness men, mm-hmm. training to become Chippendales so that they can make some money. And, and the whole procedure kind of informs arcs in their personal lives. Yeah. And like they, you know, it, it all informs. They take something from the experience, and as the film goes on, it, it cultivates and it kind of reignites the sense of community of the area. And that, like, the, when they eventually do the dance, the police show up to watch them, and all the all the kind of incidental people they've met throughout the film end up supporting them. Which is, so yeah, they basically points they don't think they can legitimately make it as chip and as male strippers. Yeah, yeah, it's the novelty of working men with beer bellies yeah initially doing it. they're in it just for the money yeah and then they're in it for that sense of community yeah. and because they feel like they owe it yeah, to they, themselves uh, they owe and to themselves the and the one thing that they have over the Chippendales is that they'll go with the full Monty which is completely nude yes hence yeah. the title of the film yes um, and that's the secret source of the full Monty is that it's oh it's this film about working class men training to be strippers mm-hmm. but it's really this film about community yeah. and a community in despair. It's basically about fractured masculinity, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bunch of men that have no meaning and, you know, can't sustain intimacy in their relationships because they, they feel emasculated because they've lost their jobs. Yeah. Um, lying to their wives that they still do have jobs. Yeah. 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 But it's, on top of that, it is a genuinely funny film yeah. with a very simple premise that runs at a tight 90 minutes. It's a laugh out loud funny. It really, yeah, yeah, genuinely funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's got all of this like really neat stuff underneath 
Which makes the film more yeah, than... Nice, some nice social commentary. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes it more than what you're expecting. And then the show comes along, which mm. is eight episodes, an hour each. Mm. So we're already... An hour? Yeah. We're, well, like 45 minutes. Okay. So we're already, like, much more... There's much more of it there's than there is of the film. Thing. Yeah. And I don't know... I don't know, Sam. You don't know why. I don't know why. they've. So what have they taken from the film? They've taken the characters. Mm-hmm. They haven't taken the stripping. Okay. Which is like... In the title. Okay. No, I know. No, I know. that it, The full Monty, that's literally yeah. what it's referring to. Yeah. But also, you, you sat down in the writer's room, day one. First question, do they strip? Is stripping that integral to the identity of the full Monty? Mm. Well, I... Uh, my ancillary question to that would be, is there a writer's room or is it just the one writer that wrote the film writing every episode? Let's be charitable and say that people discussed this before they did it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so you're asking me, yeah. is, is stripping integral? Because um, I actually noticed like a little detail and I wonder how deliberate it is. On the poster for The Full Monty, mm. they've got obviously the, the I think the iconic little artwork Zip. is the zipper yeah. it's a yellow background and then there's a zipper and in the open zipper it's red yes um, and on the poster the zipper is on the M right so kind of like the sides of the M that go up towards the corners is the open zip right and on the yep. TV show mm-hmm. the zip is in an O and it's completely closed there's no open zip at all. I see okay. and I'm wondering if that's supposed to be a little signal that uh, this isn't there's no stripping in this stripper show well I, making an O implies that that's like the vagina monologue version of it like an O I don't think of a, a male do you know what I mean like yeah. an M it's, that's just universal unzipped yeah because it's the shape of you know yeah an O that's zipped up I mean that's vaginal just in, in imagistically <laughs> as I'm thinking of it just a slit in an O well no because <laughs> vaginal it's kind of like it's not a yeah it's not a perfect O yeah. but like it's certainly more that than it is anything male. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's just a weird choice. Um, yeah, it's like the puritanical female version of the full Monty where <laughs> nothing happens, no one gets naked. <laughs> yeah, someone flashes an Oh, so you have seen the show. <laughs> no, I haven't seen the show. Uh, the reason I didn't see the show, well, A, it, it just didn't do that well critically. No. Now, I am a fan of the film, um, quite a big fan of the film. And it's the kind of show that, like, maybe would have vaulted the... doesn't matter how well-reviewed it is. You watch it because it's the full Monty. Yeah. But then I watched the trailer, and it seemed so missing something. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to put myself through it, because I've, I've always maintained on this podcast that had El Camino been bad, it wouldn't have ruined Breaking Bad. Like, mm-hmm. I, I do make those distinctions in my head. Yeah, yeah. So if, if I didn't enjoy the full Monty, as it sounds like I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have ruined the film. But it's like, if it's not going to be any good... I don't need to see those people that old. Yes. <laughs> like that, that, you know. Yeah, I think maybe that's worth saying as well, is that in the film, they're like yeah. in their 40s. Yeah. So in the show, 25 years later, yeah. these are some old men. Yes. Um, Especially, I can't remember, Paul Barber, Denzel. Oh, yeah. Horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Horse in the full Monty. Well, I mean, that's they kind of made that the point of him in the show. Is it that he's impossibly old? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's just a bit... I don't need that. No. Unless you're going to do something with it. Unless, like, that's... I know you... They would say, well, we are. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, you've told me some other things about it that I found depressing. Oh, okay. Such as? Uh, You told me that Mark Addy's wife 
che- is cheating on him in the TV show. Oh yeah, so yeah, like one of when you were saying earlier that it kind of like the stripping informs it kind of helps them through things in their own lives in the film. Yeah, one of them is that um, Dave. Dave, yeah, it's the name of the character played by Mark Addy. He has a wife who genuinely loves him. Yeah. She genuinely loves them. She's genuinely attracted to him. She's genuinely invested in their relationship. But he is kind of going through a sort of crisis of image and a crisis of masculinity. He can't get it up. Because he's lost his job. He, he yeah. feels like he's um, physically like a monstrous. Mm. He doesn't... Yeah. He doesn't feel like he can... And that's like, he he is a large chap. Yeah. But the point is, she doesn't care. He yeah. cares. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that is something that the film addresses and thankfully repairs. Yeah. And it does kind of carry over in the sense that you do get the sense that Mark Addy is just... Uh, what Dave in the show, he is just like, I am who I am. I've accepted mm-hmm. that. I'm happy with that. Right. But it is it is one of those horrible things where it's like, oh, great. Now I'm watching the full Monty. I know that 25 years down the line, she's shagging a workmate. 25 years down the line as yeah. well. I mean, not to, you know, I mean, it takes all ages and all sorts and everything. But having an affair at that point in your life is yeah. just like... God, it's just how do you have any? You don't have a sex drive at that age, you know, like that much that you, you know. Well, like way, how old are they in their late sixties? Yeah, probably. You know, yeah. it's I mean, just a bit. The yeah. way that they kind of put a pitch it is that they went on to have a child, right? Who died like when he was an infant, mm. like months old, right? Died, and Mark Addy. I keep saying the actor's name. Dave yeah. like completely shut down. He was not willing to talk right. about it never happened as far as he's concerned because he can't bring himself to think about the fact that that happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what drove her to have an affair. But presumably that was like 20 years ago. I don't know, actually. They're not having kids in their 60s, are they? I think it was like 2007. Because you see, there's a plaque on a bench that you see at one point. I think it was something like 2007. So like late 40s at the youngest. Yeah. You you get away with... Yeah, he's probably in his mid-30s on the film. Yeah, Yeah, probably. They're still pushing it a bit. But again, it's like 2000s. They, they pushed it as far as they can that she could still feasibly have a child. Yeah. Because uh, it can't be 20 years between that and the affair. But it's still 16 years. Yes. I, I assume the show is set now. Yeah, it's modern day. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, is it modern day? So I think that they... Yeah. He, he fucked up there. He's like, okay, I think... The, the thing with Dave and... I can't remember her name. Leslie Sharp is the actress. Yeah. Their marriage is strained. That's their thing. Yeah. So I'll do this. There were other ways of doing it. And mm-hmm. like, does that even have to be? It's a big part. It's it's a part of the film. I don't think that needed to be an ingredient in the TV show. No. Like, right. The marriage is stable. We'll find something out. Like his arc is something else. Yeah. And he does have another thing going on in the show, right? Yeah. The second episode yeah. is, is dedicated almost entirely to him. And he kind of forms a friendship with a student. Right. He finds out that there's a student who's stealing... So as a punishment, he says to him, you got to stay behind mm-hmm. and help me clean the school because he's like a, a caretaker at the school. Mm-hmm. That's the role that he has now. And the kid does it and he ends up really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a safe haven for him because he's bullied and he's mm-hmm. got problems at home and everything. So they end up forming like a genuine friendship. And that's right. obviously put to the test through the episode where the like the wife pulls Dave aside and says like, oh, you know, the people are talking about the fact he's spending all this time with this kid. It's not really mm-hmm. right, is it? And he's like... The kid's getting bullied and you're not doing anything about it. Fuck you, basically. But it just... Um, with the other stories that you've told me, because it, it, it tries to function sort of anthologically, doesn't it? Where a, a character gets an episode to themselves sort of thing. Yeah, it's kind of anthological in that like, the first episode is about Gaz and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Second episode is about 
Dave. Third episode is kind of about Gaz again. Fourth episode is about this other character. Fifth episode is about this guy that wasn't even in the original mm-hmm. film, Monty. It, what, what you had in the film was this very, like I said, very clear premise that everything kind of orbited around. Mm-hmm. The show does not have that. It is basically a meandering slice of life mm. tale. Like, not even a yeah, tale. It's, it's just, it sounds like a hodgepodge. And it sounds arbitrary. Like, that story of Dave's why that story? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the original themes of the film. Nothing to do with him as a character. No, but because like, they've lost a kid. Yeah. But that's something that was introduced for the for the series. But also maybe you could argue, oh, all of those problems he had with self-image, he's now kind of like helping the kid through that phase of his life. But I was literally thinking as you were talking, okay, what other storylines could you give Dave? Just off the top of my head, they had a child mm. who's now uh in his twenties. Yeah who his marriage is breaking up and he's going to move back in with them. Yeah. And that they have a perspective on it because they had marriage issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, him moving back in puts challenges and strain on their... This, like, that's an obvi- that's the go- a go-to, like... Uh, and it's nice because he's grown past... He's not having issues with his wife. Mm. They're fine. Yeah. His kid is. Yeah. And that, you know, that's just uh, the first thing that came to mind mm. as just something you could do, you know. Yeah, because the stories, they do just feel completely... If you're going to do this, which I don't think it's, advi- it's well-advised anyway... No. ...to do this show, it's not a good idea, then you at least really have to make it a sequel. Yeah. Or, or um, you know, to refer back to the central themes of the film. Mm. From everything you've told me, what he's decided the central themes were, were broad working-class social commentary... Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Pretty much. That's the only thing that it, the, they seem to have inherited from the film. Yeah. So, is, whereas the film talked about, yeah, those kind of post-Thatcher frustrations about, you know, being stuck on the dole and not having an opportunity to get a job. And like, oh, they screwed us over. Not, not having money and not feeling like men, right? Yeah. And, and, and that plays out in various ways. Gaz, like, is divorced and has problem, you know, custody problems with his son. Yeah. Uh, Dave has uh, intimacy problems with his wife. Uh, Gerald can't tell his wife he's been sacked because yeah. she spends like a maniac and they have a middle class lifestyle. Yeah. Lomper is gay. Lomper is but gay. And, but like, yeah, he meets another gay guy yeah. who's part of the troupe and they finally come out the closet together. It's kind of the same theme, just expressed in yeah. different ways, but with that central narrative thrust. And this doesn't have that. No. Again, from what you've told me. Well, there, yeah, there is, there's no core to this. No. And what he's done is like, oh, I'll pick contemporary social issues yeah. so that they, they try and deal with wokeness. Uh, what else did you tell me? They deal with um, race to some degree. Yeah. So there's like, Lomp is now married to a guy that owns a cafe called The Big Baps. Yeah. And a student walks past in the first episode and said, oh, that's very offensive. Yeah. yeah. So he's forced to change the name mm-hmm. of the cafe. There's a character, again, who's not in the full Monty, but he was fired from work because he called a co-worker love. Right. Gaz has a black daughter now, and there's a, there's she's kind of like a main character in the show. Genuinely a likeable character. Like, likeable, unlikable. Unlikable right, character. Okay. I, like a strong contender for one of the least likeable characters of the year, I would okay, say. Okay, okay. And yeah, and she's like stealing, and she skips school, mm-hmm. and she, all of these pr- things, but it's not really her fault. It's like the system's kind of failing her, mm-hmm. and her mother is dating a guy that kind of turns out to be a bit of a creep. Right. And it's like, oh, it's all of these things in her environment that are making her behave mm-hmm. this way. It's not 
the fact that she's a genuine scumbag. Right, right. You know? And, um, like, failures with the NHS. Failures with the NHS. Yeah, like, Horse, I think... If there's any, like, through line, it's that. Because even though Horse doesn't have his own episodes, mm. his, like, thing through the show is that he is... He's going around in, like, a wheelchair. He's got, like, one mm. lung that works. He's in a genuine state of, like, I am not really fit to do anything. I'm just kind of living right. the rest of my life now. Is but, there any joke about him being horse and someone walks up with a shotgun to, like... No. To <laughs> no. Which I feel like is something the original Full Monty would have at least... Definitely. Like, yeah, yeah, we would have done that. Yeah. But no, it's like, all of a sudden, like, the people that give him, like, his money are like, oh, no, you should act... We need to reassess your case. Right. And because he's kind of guided to answer the questions in a certain way by the people mm-hmm. who are in the system, they declare him fit to work. Right. So, again, it's that, like, I, Daniel Blake kind of criticism of the bureaucracy of, yeah. of, of you know, social security. The man, the man. says yeah, that yeah, he yeah. should work. I bet all the people... And so he works himself to the point where he literally collapses in the street of malnutrition and dies. And dies. Do the people that give him money have middle-class accents? Well, they're all white. No, they're, they're all white, yeah. But, I mean, they always do that. Like, in I, Daniel Blake, it's, like, it's a regional thing. It's like, oh, come on, love, come here, you know. But all the people that give money, they're, like, you know, they're university-educated. No, I don't I don't remember RP. them being middle-class, but, right. like, he has to travel to, like, a different town. Right, right, right. And he's like, but I can't. I can't drive. I can't fucking move. And they're like, well, if you miss the appointment... Right, and right. then we can't pay you any more money. And, uh, so he gets a lift there, and they're like, oh, you were able, see, you were able to get here, you're fine. Okay, I get, you know, I, we're not going to get into our own takes on the, 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 you know, the institutions that it's taking aim at. Yeah. Like, yeah, bureaucracy, NHS, it's all fucking shit, right? Yeah. It's all shit. But, and Syrian immigration, that was another one. Yeah, one of the characters yeah. falls in love with a Syrian immigrant who's kind of, the community don't like her, so they mm. try. They get her kicked out of her house and she ends up in a halfway home. And I, What I'm curious about fundamentally is whether it was Simon Beaufoy's idea to revive the show, I have some ideas, or whether Disney said, oh, we've got the full Monty. Well, it was. It, I saw it on Disney+, Plus, but I think it's FX. That I don't think it is, is it? I think it's... When I, I think it was in association with FX and Fox. Oh, okay. Search, well, whoever right? had it, like, oh, we have the rights to Full Monty. Yeah. Let's bring it back. Would you be interested in doing that? Because what it sounds like is that he had a list of, uh, you know, current themes that he could write about. Yeah. But, oh, I can just put them all in the Full Monty. Yeah. And it didn't work. No. So you don't recommend it? I, I don't. No. It's, it's, it's unfocused to the point where it just never, re- it never feels like it really gets going. It's not until episodes... There's eight episodes, and it's not until the sixth episode they even acknowledge the film ever happened. Right, right. Because you were talking about, like, oh, what would make this a genuine sequel to that film? It's not a sequel to the film. There's, there's like, three exceptions. There's an opening montage, much like the film, that kind of establishes it in a more modern context. Mm -hmm. And, again, in the film, there's that kind of, like, joke, but also this is our declaration of our kind of thesis moment, Mm -hmm. where it hard cuts from... Sheffield, the, the the place of the future, mm. and it cuts to an abandoned steel mill. Mm. In the film, uh, in the show, there's a little thing where it kind of shows them dancing at the club, mm. and then it hard cuts to the club now, in yeah. the modern day, and it's run down and dilapidated, dilapidated yeah. and abandoned. And you're like, yeah. oh great, that's a, that's a fucking great start. Well, it's not, it would be a great start if it then meant something, or they went on to do something. No, because like know. I said, episode six is the next time it's brought up. Yeah. They're, all, they're all being held hostage in a job uh, center mm. and the guy that's holding them hostage is like I remember you lot you took your clothes off 25 years ago do the routine again 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that, uh, you know, being at the bottom rung of the social ladder it can kind of be a whirlpool. You, you never really escape it. Yeah. But you would just hope a bit better that this much time later they wouldn't still be at the job centre. Well, you would hope that the money they earned that night did something for them. Oh, like, you know, it's not going to make Even them... Even if it really was for yeah, one night only. It's not going to make them rich, you know, it's a one-off thing, like, whatever. No, but, but it would, like, help their circumstances a bit, Yes, right? it would help them enough that, like... To, well, again, just this long later, they wouldn't still be in basically the same position that they are in the film. Yeah. And it's a fine line. I'm sure we've talked about this before, which is when you have a revival series or something like T2 Train Spotting that takes place so long after the original life is life and a lot happens and it's it can be a stretch to imply that the events of the original film tv show whatever are so significant mm. that it's it's still important in the characters lives now so like, i don't know like you see a lot with tv shows where someone will have a love interest in the final season the show stops and then it comes back years later and they're still together it's like this was just like a a, a person you were with for a bit at the end of the show. Yeah. But because the show has, has become a cult hit or whatever in the interim, they've got to bring back all the things. Yeah. Whereas in reality, you pro- you might have even forgotten that person or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, Train Spotting, for example, also with Robert Carlyle, obviously. Mm. Was that the last thing he was in prior to Full Monty? I mean, you're going for like 96 to 97, so probably... No, I mean the, the, the T2 and oh, the show. he's probably been in other things, but nothing that I've seen him in. Okay. Like, that little slice of life. A lot happens in that film. And and the sequel is more a... Because they're reunited, all that stuff comes back. I don't think T2 is a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, that time in their lives would be up there with the most significant, you know, periods of their life. Yeah. It makes sense. The Full Monty, it'd be, like, a memorable thing that was talked about, like, that they did. Mm. I don't know that it would be as... You know, so it is a fine line. I'm not, but you can't not address it. No, well, yeah, the, the show is going too far in the other direction. It's going too far. In the other it, direction. It's, it seems to almost by accident make out that that point in their lives was completely. It did nothing for them. Right. It yes. meant nothing. And I can I can see a writer going with the logic that I just said, which is, well, it, it was just a thing. It was almost thirty years ago. Yeah. It wouldn't be put. But if you're going to do a revival series, it has to be a sequel to that time in their lives. Yes. So you've got to figure out a way of not pretending like the gay couple are still together, for example, which they don't. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, not pretend like ever, it's just those seven guys still mates hanging out all the time. But the events of the show have to bring that part of their lives back into mm. focus. I just didn't. It doesn't sound it like doesn't. It, did, it didn't do that. It's like, oh, it's it's almost like an Easter egg. Yeah. The oh, pay- yeah, you were, did that thing. Yeah, the payoff to them having to do the routine again at knife points <laughs> is that they, when they take their belts off, they use it to neutralize the guy, so the police can come in. Right. That's it. That's- is it funny at all? No. Is the show funny at all? No, and I think that's a big problem as well. Is- the film is a comedy. The film is a comedy, and the film is genuinely funny. Yeah. And I think, again, having seen the film so recently. I think one of the things that is missing... Because you're right, there is a lot missing from it. Even yeah. though they, they bring in the social commentary stuff, there is... Obviously, the stripping is gone. It's not as funny. Mm-hmm. And even though there are moments where you do kind of... It does feel like, oh, that's nice. This is a nice thing I'm watching. Mm-hmm. I think that's more the performances than anything that the script and is And just doing. kind of a fondness for the... Yeah. 
I mean, but it's, it, there's no, it completely lacks any physical comedy. And also... Which I didn't realise until I rewatched it, the film does physical comedy really well. It really does, yeah. It's directed really well. And this yeah. is what I was going to say. From the trailer I saw, it looks really blandly shot. It's just filmed. Yeah, it's, it's just, just filmed. Whereas the, the film, it's deceptively really well directed. Yeah. Whereby you remember shot configurations. And yeah. you, you remember how it's filmed. Yeah. And there's like imagery like really strong imagery from yeah. that film like when they're trying to uh, climb over the river on the back of the car yeah there's nothing like that in nothing the show like nothing that. even close well, thing, again you kind of when you first see it like I first saw the full Monty when I would have been like I don't know like 11 or 12 or something like that yeah maybe you just don't pay attention to any of that stuff but look I'm not even re-watching it thinking back on it now you realise there was a directorial technique at work which is I'll keep the camera locked and just have the comedy play out in the frame. Yeah. And... Wide shots are funny. Wide shots are funny. And yeah, when I saw a trailer for the show, it's like, this just looks like every other show on at the moment. Yeah, it literally does, yeah. Uh, I don't know who directed it, whether they were multiple directors or what, but yeah, it just feels that like they haven't recaptured anything. Not only does it feel like they haven't recaptured anything, it feels like they almost didn't want to. Yeah. It feels like they were... At times, it feels like they're actively working against the foundation that they're building on. Like, mm. they, they, that film is not to be acknowledged. It's not to dictate anything that we do here. Right. And that's such a damn shame, because the show needed something. Yeah, there's, like, this worshipping your own material, and then there's, like, being so self-conscious of it that yeah. you, like, reject your Because, like, I, I don't think there's anything in it, in the original Full Monty, that's, like, too... Like, if that's what it was, if you were remaking... Not remaking The Full Monty, but if you were revisiting it yes. in a modern context, it would be to address some things that were maybe not okay from the original film. Like some language that the old characters would use, or some attitudes that they held, or mm. something like that. But, you know, I think they call Lomper a puffter a few times. Right. Or they use, like, the words like puff, or... I don't know if they use words like retarded or anything. <sighs> But, like, if if that's what it is, if it's like, oh, it's the kind of, like, update the characters, even that's something. But it doesn't even oh, that's feel... Ho- but that's horrible. It's horrible, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least that's, like, okay, I can kind I of... I mean, it has, like, a mission statement. Yeah, but it's not... It doesn't even feel like that. Because I, I don't feel that. like there's anything from the original that's so egregious it needs to be... No, redressed. well, you said they kind of... They flirt with the idea of wokeness and that they had to change the name of the... But from... I'm inferring that the characters are unhappy about that rather than... Yeah, they complain about it. And but it, as they would. Yeah, and it feels... But ultimately, it feels like a detail. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's... It's not like the pol- the plot of an episode. It just happens at one point. But the thing, they're men of a certain generation that, that are going to have certain attitudes about the world. And it feels like, okay, I can't change... It would be too much to change that. So I'll give Gaz a black daughter. Mm. You know, it's like, that's my concession to modernity or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, yeah, like I listen to Howard Stern a lot and the 90s, like faggot this, faggot that. It's like, it's that Lucy K thing of, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It's like a thing you call someone who's being a bit like, yeah, they're being a faggot, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not, again, it's not something that well, I say. Yeah. It's and, not. And again, like his whole bit about like that, the woman who used to stand outside the shop on Saturdays going, help the retarded. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, yeah, you're yeah. going to call her a bad person because yeah, the yeah. language the she retar- uses? It's like, it's just that was, that's that was the time and it's not in my vernacular you know like but i just yeah it, it didn't it didn't need it doesn't need that and yeah. i know you're saying like yeah that's 
but those men would always be like that, you know? Yeah. Like, I got, I had an, an Uber a couple of weeks ago, and there's a guy that he was, like, in his 40s, 50s, and um, it was booked into my mother's name. So I got it, and he went, Joanne? I went, yeah. Not me, but yeah. And he said, oh, you, know, you can't be too careful these days. <laughs> And we started, you know, riffing about these days. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, because he's that age yeah. and I'm that age in my head. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, anyway, um, not a recommendation. Fuck it off, is it? Not a recommendation. If anyone can, like, explain it to me, <laughs> I'd be grateful. Yeah, because I, 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 I wouldn't know. Have you watched any interviews or anything? Not really. I don't know if it I'm, would like I'm, unlock anything for me or whether it would just compound my I, I'm, I'm just curious about the context of its revival. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about whether he was like, oh, I just had all these ideas and then I thought, ah, they could fit in. Or whether they yeah. they came to him and said, would you like to revisit the full Monty? And ultimately, I don't think knowing that would improve the experience of the show in any way. It would just not, be nice to have an answer. Not improve the experience of the show, but maybe your impression of the man because if they came to him and said we're going to give you um a, a boatload of money mm. uh to revisit the full monty and then he had to come up with something that's like okay he couldn't crack it yeah but if it's like oh i have an i i have ideas i must bring it to them mm. that's a bit more um it's a bit less excusable yes that i would agree because he also won the oscar for writing slumdog millionaire he's not you know he's not, yeah, a, he's not bad a hack <laughs> yeah. yeah he's not a hack and the 127 hours, I think. Like, he's Danny Boyle's, one of Danny Boyle's go-tos. Oh, wow. So, fucking, come on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is that enough of that? Yeah, that's enough of that. Right. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay. Premise us, George. Well, there's a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of that. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the second in what appears to be a trilogy now yeah. of Spider-Verse films about Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. It's the longest animated film ever produced in America. Is it? Yeah. How long is it? It's two hours, 20 minutes, I think. Okay. I mean, that's a long film, but I don't know. It's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah. I know animations are shorter, obviously, usually, yeah. but you just feel like there'd be a longer one than that. There'd be a three hour... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I it's get what like, you mean. It's not four hours. It's two and a half. It's... But okay, all right. Well, this is the thing. It, yeah. it, it might end up being four hours because yeah. it's the longest animated film ever produced in America... It's also not finished. No. Well, the story isn't the finished. The story is finished. finished. <laughs> the film yeah, yeah. is finished, thankfully. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it does... Um, this is the first in of two parts that yeah. will make up the trilogy of Spider-Man, Miles Morales' Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of carrying on from the second one. We start in Gwen Stacy's universe. The first one, you mean? The, sorry, yeah, 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 from the first one. Start off in Gwen Stacy's universe where she's kind of like struggling with like still being Spider-Man while her father is hunting her down. Spider-Woman. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry, Sam. <laughs> I know I know you personally hate it when I do things like that. I did actually... Um, I started watching The Good Wife with my father yesterday. Is that, yeah. Uh, you know, a lawyer show. And uh, basically, the, the main character, she she starts working at this law firm again, uh, like, later in life. And there's another... There's a young guy that works, like, just out of university. And he says to her at one point, may the best man win. And she's like, what? What did you just say? And he looks at her, he's like, oh, nothing, I, n- nothing. And I thought, oh, I, I just, uh, let's not do this. Mm. And this is like a bit earlier than the current, this is 09. Right. So it's like a bit before. But then later in the episode, I found out that um, the reason she reacted like that is because 
she didn't know she was actually competing with this guy. Okay. They're only going to hire one of them, and she's competing. So it wasn't like a, excuse me, what was that, sexist? Right, okay. Uh, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> okay. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> Things State. can still exist, yeah. and then not be in that context. <laughs> yeah. It's so disappointing when you're really enjoying something, and then that happens, isn't it? Well, that might we'll get to that. Yeah, that might come up <laughs> yeah. in this review, matter of fact. Um, yeah, so yeah, she is being hunted by her father for uh, killing Peter Parker, which she didn't do, but the father misunderstood. Yeah. Um, and she encounters a villain from a different universe, specifically the Vulture. Specific- a Renaissance Vulture. A Renaissance yeah. Vulture from this Leonardo da Vinci parchment sure. blueprint universe. universe. Yeah. Is like in the city and they need to, st- and she tries to stop him. This kind of introduced her to Miguel O'Hara mm-hmm. and Black Spider Woman. I th- I think her name's Jessica Drew. I think she doesn't. I think she's the only one that doesn't go with a moniker. No, I think she is called Spider Woman. Is she? Yeah, she is called Spider Woman. But I, I obviously that she, means a different thing. I definitely read something that she's the only one that doesn't have a secret identity. But maybe it's I don't know. Okay, the other reason I say that is because yeah. when Gwen first sees her, she says uh, she says Spider Woman, and Gwen goes same. Oh, okay. That's uh, the only reason. Okay. I was, I was okay. That. Uh, yeah, so she finds them. They find out that I, after the events of the first film, the, the kind of the kingpins collided that brought the spider people to Miles's universe. The multiverse is kind of cracking, yeah, and people are falling through the cracks, and they are trying to get everyone back to their original universes and seal the cracks. Yes, they end up recruiting her. Cut to Miles's universe. He's kind of been Spider-Man for a little bit, kind of trying to balance his school life and his home life mm-hmm. and his Spider-Man life. He finds... Gwen comes back to his universe. He kind of finds out about this multiversal thing, wants to be a part of it. She says no. Mm -hmm. It turns out that she is there for a villain that has just introduced himself to Miles Mm -hmm. called The Spot. Yes. um, Who is this minor background character from the first film. Yeah. Who got caught in the collider explosion at the end of the last film, turning him into a supervillain that can use holes to kind of travel... Through multi-dimensional, initially yeah. space, but then yes. multi-dimensions. Yes, because this guy specifically poses a threat to the multiverse. Yeah, they kind of let him slip through the cracks, and this starts this kind of multiversal chase. Yes, to track him down. Discoveries are made about Miles and why Miguel is so reluctant to have him on the team. Mm-hmm. And the film does unfortunately end on a cliffhanger where nothing is resolved. Yeah, that's all correct. Yes, the first note I've got is. Fill the unforgiving second with 60 minutes worth of content. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the most animated film of all time? Well, my next note is punishingly stimulating. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I would say so. It's the most stuff going on animated film ever. The frame is just chocker constantly. Fucking nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Because it's Um, the thing you hear that, initially with me anyway, you hear like, oh, it's the longest animated film ever produced in America. mm. It's also the first of two parts. It's also two hours, 20 minutes. You're like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. Really? Do we need this? Turns out we need this. Because they waste no time. No, that's very true. Yeah. From a story point of view. And it's not even as if they're rushing. It's, It's not as if they're going... Here's this plot point, here's this plot point, here's this plot point. Right, go over here now. Here's this plot point, here's this plot point. There's genuine moments of, like, calm, slow, mm-hmm. well-done character work. Mm-hmm. They spend time with their characters. They do build up those relationships. They make sure you don't just understand the plot, but you understand the the place that each character is in and the journey that they have to go on and the context of them 
before they start throwing this like jargon at you and putting them yeah. in these like dangerous situations and having them all meet and collide and battle and everything. But yeah. it is like even in its quiet moments, there's a hell of a lot to process. There's a lot. We watched it together mm. the first time, and then I rewatched it to take notes. Yep, same with me. And the first time we watched it, when it ended, I felt a bit uncertain about how I felt about the film. Yeah. I knew it had been a lot. Yes. Uh, and I wasn't sure exactly where that left me. Anyway, the point is, on the second watch, it improved for me. Okay. Firstly, just ignoring the, the substance of it, it's a remarkable achievement. Oh, absolutely. As a film, technically. Yeah. The hyper... Because it's hyper-stylized, right? Yeah. So stylized. Well, it's it's sort of... Yeah, I think it capitalizes on the sort of implied promise of the first one. Because mm. you've got six spider people in the first one. And with the exception of right. maybe Peter B. Parker. Mm-hmm. Jake jo- Johnson? Something Johnson? Jake Johnson? Oh, the actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, played by Jake Johnson. With the exception of him, maybe Gwen. Although you, not so much in this film. Each spider person adheres to a different animation style and yes. principle. Yes. Spider and Spider-Man Noir is black and white. Penny Parker is anime. Peter Parker is Looney Tunes kind of animation. Mm-hmm. And you find out in this universe that Gwen Stacy kind of belongs in this sort of like weird watercolor pastel yeah. impressionist universe. Yeah. And yeah, like every universe that they visit and every Spider-Man that comes from every universe that they visit has their own unique animation style and principle that they're adhering to. There's like a yeah. mo like a fraction of a second in like the opening action sequence. There's like a moment where the vulture loses one of his wings and he just grows a new wing. Mm-hmm. And you hear one of the characters yell, he's got access to hammer space. And there's this like right. brief explanation that appears on screen. Yeah. Where it basically says hammer space is like infinite access to infinite resources within a certain like it's a cartoon okay. thing okay yeah where yeah, they yeah. like have it's like how looney tune characters are always able to pull hammers out of there i get you okay yeah but like in the uni- in the world this is like a real thing that certain people have access to yeah yeah and it's yeah. it's over in like 3 seconds but it's like oh this is whole thing that's now like existing within the laws of yeah there's there's live action there's lego everything. conventional animation spider punk who's the character that's in the film for maybe five minutes total. Yeah. He's got this kind of, like, Sex Pistols-esque... Like, he's made up of torn uh, fragments of other bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. And all of the bits and pieces that he's made out of are all animated at individual and different frame rates. And it's like, oh my god, this is one character who's on screen for, like, three minutes. I know. Empire had a a story today. I just saw the headline. It was... was There's a deleted scene... Or maybe it just didn't, they didn't end up doing it. There was going to be a human hand holding a Spider-Man toy, and that was going oh to be one of the versions of Spider. Oh my god! I think even you know, like I think it's in the the original Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. You know that like um, shitty Spider-Man ice cream picture. Yeah, it's like a popsicle of like a partially melted Spider-Man ice yeah, cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's chasing Miles <laughs> in the in okay. the chase sequence. He's like in the background, but you can see him like hopping along. Yes, <laughs> it's definitely trying to be thorough. Isn't yes. It? Uh, well, anyway, the first time I watched it, the hyper-stylization alienated me a little bit mm. from engaging with the story, yeah. which wasn't a problem with the first film because it's more reined in. But it, it did improve on the rewatch. We didn't watch the greatest copy of the film. No, no, it deserved better. And I Did we have subtitles the first time? I'm not we sure. We didn't. I don't think we did. Yeah. Having subtitles definitely helped. Okay. The score is very dynamic. 
I really love the score. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's these other world, it's like this otherworldly soundscape. Yeah. You know, these weird, it's like odd things going on. Because like the, the original film did have a good score. I still remember the Prowlers theme yes. quite, quite vividly, even without its kind of um, reoccurrences here. Yeah. But there, there's loads of instances where there's like, um, again, characters kind of have their own score. Like Miguel O'Hara's yeah. got that kind of like weird, distorted brass. Yes, yeah. his I like. Yeah. Miles, it's obviously got that kind of like um, DJ scratching and yeah. like rap. Gwen, it's kind of more indie rock. Yes. She's a drummer. Yeah, she's a drummer. She's got indie rock. Spider Punk, it's obviously like, again, it's like thrash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grunge and. Yeah, it, it's an eclectic... I mean, you could say this about any aspect of the film. Really. It's an eclectic yeah. mix. It's a lot of stuff. That somehow ma- makes like a very interesting... It's kind of the, the same... Um, you could say exactly the same thing about the full Monty, except this one works, where it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it's not arbitrary. It all kind of... It adds up to one thing. Yeah, no, this has yeah. a core. This has a point. It has a thesis. It has like a... It, it knows the journey it's going to take its characters on. It's a very focused story and it's a good story again surprisingly given just how much there is yeah and when especially when you get to that spider-man chase how like the scope of what they're covering it's nice that that story is so focused in on yeah it's a really good story and it's a really good sequel yeah you know because it's really using the first film it's going to end up if the third one's good it's going to end up being a really good nifty trilogy yeah it's like If the third one is good, and that's... Really, that's my takeaway from this review at this point. If the third one is good. Yes. Because I do think the fact that genuinely nothing is resolved at the end of this film... Uh, no. It's it's made itself very dependent on the third one for me. Yes. If the third... If Beyond the Spider-Verse is not good, Mm -hmm. it will retroactively taint this film for me. I think. I I think I agree, yeah. Because this does feel like a part one. It definitely it really does. does. Yeah, you could. I mean, we have watched it. Yeah, in isolation. Yeah, but obviously there is that anticipation that, like, oh, there will be more to come. Yeah, and I. Uh, but originally it, it was called Across the Spider Verse Part One, right? And then it was Part Two. Yeah, it's and very cheeky they, of them that they did that. Well, because they've changed that now, and it, it's more appropriate that they do that Part One and Part Two. But it would be annoying to have a trilogy that was into the Spider-Verse and then across part one, part two. I know what you're saying. You do want them to all be different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is like a five-hour film that they, they've split in two. That's, yeah. I feel like that's what it's going to be. Yeah, it's less pure than the first film for the reasons that we've just discussed. Yeah. I like that what one assumes to be a random villain of the week whose only purpose is to reintroduce you to Miles as Spider-Man yeah. ends up being the central antagonist. A perfect microcosm of nothing is wasted in this Yeah, film. I was when like, oh, okay, that's... An interesting idea for a villain. Holes, uh, you know. My holes can take me anywhere. Yeah, it's gonna be a, <laughs> it's gonna be a funny. Uh, he's bumbling. Miles is kind of a bumbling in the show. You know, it'll reintroduce us to. Yeah, neither of them Spider-Man. really know how to fight each other. And yeah, yeah, but no, he ends up actually being the villain. Yeah, yeah. The BLM stick is annoying. <laughs> okay, we're here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is. It is a bit annoying. I, I, I didn't. Are you even... annoyed at the BLM sticker, or are you annoyed that I pointed out it out to you? Because well, no, you I wouldn't mean, look, have noticed it. it like it I... was there. Yeah, I wouldn't have noticed it. You pointed it out. I can't hate you for that. Like it is there. <laughs> uh, we gotta live in, a, you know, with the truth. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's a detail, you know, but it is a bit annoying. It's a little bit annoying. It's a bit annoying. I mean, f- films are this is films are gonna do this. I know they're but gonna do shit like re- this. One of the reasons that it's a bit annoying is that for the most part, the quote-unquote diversity is handled perfectly okayly. 
Mm. Bes- I- I'd besides, say slightly better than that. Besides, again, I'm, I'm going to say that it's transparency. Okay. It's like they're tr- obviously trying to do black India. Like, that's of They're ticking all the boxes. But there's... But I, it, I know what you're saying, yeah, yeah, but at yeah. the same time, is there no better way and quicker way of establishing the scope of a multiverse than, oh, and here we have a black one, and here we have a white no, one, and here we no, have I, an Asian woman, now we yeah. have, like, a, a Bengal cat, it's, now we have a car, it's now we not, have a... It's not a criticism. Yeah. It, it, it's when they get to Mumbatten. It was a bit like, okay, it, and the, the, part of that is that they have to bring up colonialism. It's like, why are we bringing up colonial? Again, it's a, it's a disposable throwaway line. Yeah. It's like, why are we talking about colonialism in a Spider-Man? It's just a weird thing. Mm. Those beats where it's like, I'm not like against the diversity of the film. It's just that that's clearly what they are trying to do. And I don't mean diversity of types of Spider-Man. Mm. I mean, who ends up in the central, you have all these ancillary throwaway, like backgrounds, hundreds of background spider people. Uh, but the ones that we focus on, you have a black punk, you have an Indian guy, you know. Mm. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. Uh, well, but like I said, that's they're gonna, that's going to happen. And they, they're no, gonna, I know. They're going to put it... They're going to try and do what they need to do to get away with it as well. Like, this actually, interestingly, um, this film has been pulled from a lot of major Muslim countries. Yeah. Because apparently there's a frame. It's... The way it was described in the article I saw... Peter Porker. Because of Peter Porker. Because of Peter Porker. (laughs) In the background of one frame in Gwen's universe, you see a Protect Trans Kids poster. Right. And as a result, the film has been removed from all cinemas in, like, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the UAE and all of these Mm -hmm. places like that. So that was obviously their way of, like, oh, we're trying to get it in there, but, you know, we want to the film to be shown ah fuck we went too far off yeah. the line well, I think- so maybe that's what the BLM thing is is them trying to balance the how do we represent as it were but how do we also do it in a, in a way that's like it doesn't interrupt the film it no, does, the film I, doesn't become about that no and I'll grant you that it does not interrupt the film it's not like it doesn't get in the way in that sense mm. it's just if if you're of a certain ilk like I am the word representation makes me feel a bit sick. Mm. Even though like, it doesn't mean that I don't want films about all types of people. I, you know what I'm getting at. It, yeah. I just don't, don't like that stuff. Um, it's interesting that it's it's BLM, though. Because, um, I mean, obviously, this Mars' universe is not our universe. Mm. Like, their version of Coca-Cola is completely different. Yeah. It's interesting that their, their BLM, for all intents and purposes, appears to be the same. I guarantee you that in not one multiverse, there isn't racism. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like, it's weird because, like, an argument could even be made that the BLM thing is actually not in the film enough. Because it, yeah, because like you think about it, you've got Mars is obviously he fights crime, mm. but also his father's a police officer, soon to be police captain. Mm. BLM, I don't know what the major thrust of BLM is, but I know that they're, they're not big fans of the police. No, and I think there's even a line after the first encounter with the spots at the old Collider, uh, the the sort of, like, the debris field of the mm-hmm. old Collider thing, where, like, um, Mars's father kind of, like, says to Mars, see, this is the reason, like, as Spider-Man, he doesn't realise it's mm-hmm. Miles, says to Spider-Man, see, this is the reason people don't like us at the moment, man. When right. he's looking at, like, the disaster that's been left mm-hmm. behind by the spot fights. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not something that I personally want in my mm-hmm. two hours and 20 minutes Spider-Man mm-hmm. animated film that doesn't even finish. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that is the stuff that like drama is built on, isn't it? It's it's like oh, it's a black cop talking to his black son about how the black community hates the police. 
No. And like what they're doing. It's something. I'm you're not, damning I, it with faint praise. And you're no, no, saying no. it could have been worse, so you should be grateful that it wasn't. No, what I'm saying is that like I, I don't know if putting it in the film in the capacity that they've done I don't know whether they should have done that because you could have done more with it. I, I see. Like, why, why bother? Why start if you're not gonna? Because Miles, I yeah, I, I would think, agree. I don't Ma- start. Miles is the type of character and is the de- type is the demographic of character mm. that I think would have a BLM sticker, whether he believed in it or not. Maybe. So to, to just not but does the- to not really bring it up or not capitalize on any potential. Do you really think though that everything we know about him as a character would suggest that he's not pro BLM? I really don't know. I think so. It's not like he's oh he's just going to put a random sticker on his laptop. He's definitely going to be like. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, his father's in the police. You know, but he's he's a young woke millennial. He's going to believe in all all the shit that the filmmakers do. Of course, he is. Um, I think I can't remember all the the maker because the, the directors have changed for the second one. Yeah, the Lord and Miller has still had creative involvement. Yeah. I think, but it's not. There are there are new people at the helm. I could be, I could be completely wrong. I'm pretty sure the directing team and the writing team for the first one were all white. I could be wrong there. I think you're right. This one, no. Okay. I like they're mostly not. I think. Okay. And I, not to the, you see that, and you not you don't see that because oh they're black, therefore they're making they're making everything black in the film. I don't mean it like that. I just mean they are creatives working in the Hollywood of 2023. And given the racial makeup, that's the kind of film you're going to get. Right. That's just the reality of the world as it is at the moment. Okay. It's a very modern film. Again, quotes around modern. Indeed, it's very post-modern. Okay. There's in, a lo- in what? Well, there's a lot of self-referentiality. Yeah. And knowingness and um, trendy soundtrack. Uh, this isn't the, I'm just saying how it's a very modern film. Okay. And there's a vernacular that crops up that's very modern. Uh, things like it's part of my process and um, your story yeah. it's part of your story mm. and rest in power etc okay that I really don't like that right. I find annoying to my own sensibilities again getting into some anti-colonial stuff for some reason they, it doesn't get in the way the, the, these they're a bit more than a nitpick but they're not a fundamental criticism of the film for me yeah, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say so they, they They just bug me, is all I can say. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and the fil- right, I get the ramping things up continually is the point, mm. but it feels like the film never really settles into itself. And it you're kind of left waiting to sneeze a lot of the time. Yeah, I And think part of that is because it doesn't end. I think you said um, when we were watching it, or just after we'd watched mm-hmm. it, that that massive Spider-Man chase, which ends up kind of being the climactic action yeah. piece of the film, you thought that was kind of like the late act two going into act three. Oh, we'll have an action scene before the big one at the end. Yeah. I think you said that's what it felt like to you. And then like, as time went on, you realized, oh no, that was it. I th- it might, was it not the opposite where I thought, I thought that was the end. Or oh, maybe. maybe not. I could, be, I, I really can't remember. Yeah. The problem is I think because it was a part one of a, of a, a larger story, it had some pacing issues for me. Yeah. Where it just kept, you kept getting these like big dun dun dun. This is the big moment of the film. Uh, character things happening, and then the film will just carry on. Yeah, and you know what I mean. It's like, oh, this is the end. No, this is the end. This is, and that became a bit frustrating. And because you never get the catharsis of any payoff, mm. you're left a little bit like tensed up. Yeah, and it does feel like the last, like after Miles gets kind of spat back into spoiler. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. When he gets kind of spat into the universe of the spider that bit him. Yes. Because uh, that was like a, ne- a nice, neat little detail. A lot of nice, neat little details. Yeah, yeah, that's a good detail. It shows that like they really were paying attention to the first film. Yes. Um. Yeah, like the the machine that sends that sends Miles back to his multiverse. Mm-hmm. It reads your DNA, but what it's actually doing is reading the DNA of the spider that bit you. And kind of Miguel's big problem with Miles is that he is the original an- anomaly that's kind of causing the fracturing of the multiverse because. In his universe, there was already a Spider-Man. Yes. He got bit by a spider that didn't belong in his universe. And so he's kind of like, his existence is kind of fucking everything up. And that's good, because then it, it it gives you a reason why you're following that Spider-Man. Yeah, out of all of these Spider-Men. Yeah, why, why him? Yeah. No, he, he is special. He, he is separate from, you know. Yes, exactly. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. But what, what I was going to say is, when he does go back to that universe, it does feel like as soon as he's there, it's like, right, okay, we're now laying the groundwork for the cliffhanger. Yeah. The story is kind of over. We're kind of building up to the big thing that makes you want to come back for the mm. next one. Yeah, that's probably the weakest bit of the film for me. Because I remember in the trailers seeing... One of the later trailers of the film is Miles swinging through Times Square. And the spot... Like, he, his arms are sort of, like, emerging from the screens and, like, trying to catch Miles. Right, right. And that was kind of the first indication, to me at least, that the spot might potentially be playing a bigger role than okay. what we thought. But it turns out that that's just kind of like flavor, because right. like Miles is just on his way back to his house. Yeah, yeah, and, he, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it just happens while he's through Times Square, and like he's 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 going along the subway, and then all of these subways kind of form around well, him. And that it's... that's a thing with the film as well because of its style. Yeah, it's it, it, it can be very impressionistic. Yeah, but you don't really know. Right, is that real or is that like a metaphor? Like, It feels yeah. like a non-diegetic. We're kind of showing the inner torment of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Externalized, which you can do with animation. But the problem, because of the jumble, yeah. because of the jambalaya that we've got, uh, is that real? And it could be real, you know. That's so, the problem, yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm disappointed that isn't actually a thing that's actually happening. Actually a thing. Well, I think part of it, it's not just the editing and, and the way the story can't resolve by the end it's the music as well because the music just keeps reaching these crescendos mm. and then like it settles down and it you know and it just happens one too many times and it's that uh, Kermode lots it's that Michael Bolton thing of you're starting at the highest note there's nowhere to go where yeah. you go from here and I think a lot of the time the score let the film down as, as much as I like the score okay it's intensity let the film down because it kept bringing me to the sneeze and then going, ah, no. Right. And like reining it back in. and But these are, yeah, so it's imperfect. Mm. It's less satisfying than the first film in in a bunch of ways. Mm. But I did really like it. And I, oh God, yeah. I liked it more the second time. Mm. And I think I'd like it more the third time. I think my, it's going to go up yeah. as time goes on. Because you're going to have the opportunity to dig into it a bit to more. eat all the details. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For me, again, it's I just... I wish they would rein in the representation thing a little bit more. But hopefully now, as we propel into the final film, we've got our characters, we've got our problem. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll you know. kind of, like, refocus a little bit. Because you, you kind of see Gwen's squad, her band, as she yes. calls them. And with the original characters from the original film, which and is... And the new ones that we've picked and up. And the new ones. Like, yeah. Oh, good, okay. The pig's back. <laughs> yeah. No, he's not the most popular, but I love that pig. <laughs> what is it about that pig? It's, it's a pig. 
that's what, it's that's just what that it is. It's just that it's a pig. Okay. I love noir as well, but um, it doesn't. Wor- I do worry a little bit though about the third film, which, given that it's now we're being propelled into what it feels like we saw was the end of Act Two, gather all the heroes together. Mm. Does that mean the third film is going to be fucking? even quicker is it just gonna be is this the Bourne ultimatum where it just it starts and never stops right but because of the type of film it is you're gonna get an aneurysm yeah (laughs) you know I don't Um, know I I trust I I do trust them going into this last one I know there's been a bit of a there's been a bit of a stink about um, like animators being overworked um, I mean, I, how could they not be on a project like this? That's not me saying that that's, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a good thing that they were. Yeah, it's yeah. obviously not good. There should never be no. crunch. I do wonder, though, if that's part of the reason why this was split into two parts. Because I don't think... It's something I think we would have a problem with. But in a post-Zack Snyder's Justice League world, mm. I don't see many people rejecting the idea of like a four-hour animated Spider-Man film. No. But I think that I th- I imagine just for like everyone involved, they needed that moment where they were like, "Look, this bit's done. We need that catharsis that comes with drawing a line under it and saying no more." Yeah, and look, and that's why we're we're, we're going to wait to do the second half a little bit later. Yes, and while it it doesn't have an ending, it does have a, a an ending point. It ends with the team gathered together, ready to go into the yeah, final. Yeah, okay. March. This isn't Fast X. No, where, where it, it just, just like stops. No more film. Yeah, yeah it's all, not all that. blood and honey. Where it's like, yeah, no, hang on, you didn't finish. Yeah, yeah, nothing. You just stopped. Yeah, yeah, no, it isn't that. It, it's just not, it doesn't. It's not a resolution. It's just an ending. Yeah. But are they really? You say four hour film. Is it more like five hour film? It's probably. Yeah, because yeah. is the second one going to be two and a half hours and the third one an hour and a half? No, that'd be nice. <laughs> to get all the all the admin out of the way in the second yeah. one, and the you know the just fun creative. It can animation. just be a big massive fucking fight for the last hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I read because you sent me that thing about the animators mm. being overworked and there was being pushed back. I don't think that was official, by the way. No, it, what what I sent you, I think, yeah. was unverified, but yeah. it, it implied that the film is going to be pushed back a couple ba- Basically, years. what it looks like is the in, or industry insiders are saying the current release date, there's no way that they're going to make it because yeah. they barely started work on it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like in, animators that worked at the studio were kind of quoted as saying, we finished this thing, it was this massive achievement, and then we all realised, fuck, we've got to do it all again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe we're going to have to wait a little bit longer, but that's yeah. okay, let them sleep. And <laughs> see their yeah. families, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. That's all I got to say. No, it's, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I highly recommend it if it even needs that. No, I don't think it needs it. Yeah. Anyone who's mildly interested is gone, is going to see it. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Mrs. Davis. Okay. Sam. Yes. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I made sure to get in first. <laughs> I know. Well, no, I stupidly asked you to premise. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. just following the flow oh, of I the see. show, okay. man. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, Tell us about Mrs. Davis, Sam. Well, luckily, I don't have to all that much. Oh, no. We agreed, oh, oh, no, do we, not. We agreed beforehand that describing the plot doesn't know justice. Fuck. So- <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have agreed to such things. Okay, Mrs. Davis is essentially... It, hang on. Yeah. Is this entire thing spoilers? 
I'll say we'll say yes, but I, I don't think it will be. Okay, I, it might not be. I don't know. I haven't consulted my notes since I made them. So okay, let's just say yes. It's the type of show where I feel like I've said this before about something. I really mean it in this case. Mm-hmm. The show is the experience of watching it. Yes, and so you really should yeah. go in with as little knowledge and expectations as possible. Yeah, which is why I'm like, should we? mark this whole discussion as spoilers because we're going to be talking yeah, not just... so much about we'll we'll bring up some of the things that happen I'm yes, sure yes but it's the experience of it and kind of like what the hell what we'll say now then is if, going on if that's... you don't want anything remotely approaching spoilers this is a high recommendation yeah also we'll say it already this is at the moment I mean when are we recording this episode early July yeah 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 this is the best original thing that has come out in 2023 I'd concur, yeah. Yeah. And, and original's the word. Absolutely, yeah. There, there are ped- there's better pedigree stuff that's come out yes, this year. Yes, yes. But in terms of, yeah, like, a thing that didn't exist until 2023. And looks like it. we'll no longer exist after it. So. Yeah. Okay, basically, it's about a nun. A nun who, in a world uh, wherein an AI has been developed... Hmm. That has kind of cured the world of all its ills. There's no more famine, there's no more war... Uh, it's everybody's best friend. It knows what everybody wants. It helps everybody do everything. It's not a malevolent AI. Mm. It's a benevolent one. It, you know, it, it appears to be. And the main character, this nun, refuses to engage with it in any way whatsoever mm. because it killed her father. That's yeah. what she says. That's what you know. Um, that is part of the reason that they are a nun in the first place, is to sort of... Yes. They've cultivated a life, as far as they're concerned, where they never have to interact with the AI. Yes. And in her spare time, she rides around on her horse, exposing magicians uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> for tricking people. Right. It sounds random when you first watch, like, oh, this is crazy and random. And it kind of is in a way, but also it's really not. So that's the starting point. Mm. And the uh, she finally agrees to talk to the AI mm-hmm. because it contrives events in her life to kind of shake her life up. And she's like, fine, fuck you, I'll talk to you. Blows up all her jam. Blows up all her jam, yeah. Um, These th- we're not no. messing with you. No, this, it, it does. It, blows up, it gets someone to blow up her jam using a massive <laughs> magnifying glass <laughs> on the back of a car. On his little car. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, Yes, so she agrees to talk, and the way that that, that's, that that happens in the show is people will put a little earpiece in, and they'll repeat what she says to them. They act as surrogates. So she talks to it, and it tells her that she needs to find and destroy the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all. Is that it? No, that's no, Golden, no, that's no, not No, there's it. a lot more you the, haven't said. That's the setup. Yeah, okay. Um, so her ex-boyfriend um, that she was with for presumably most of her life comes back into her life to help her and he has an underground... He he is <laughs> He has gathered an underground faction of militant anti-AI people, men, hmm. um, whose sole mission is to take the AI down and they start working in conjunction with her. Hmm. Maybe... Not everything as it seems, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, Mrs. Davis was conceived during COVID. Okay. Basically, it sprang out of discussions about how great an AI 
that told you exactly what to do would be like, oh, we need someone to tell us what to do, please, mm. you know. But I think the most important consequence of it being born from isolation is that it's fun. Yes. It's just a lot of fun. It's, yes. It kind of, like, tricks you in a way. Right. I would say so. Because, like, the the first four episodes, Mm -hmm. is it worth saying who created the show? So, yes. Uh, Well, one of the creative forces is Damon Lindelof. Yes. The other one being Tara Hernandez? I think so. It's her show. Yeah. She's a showrunner. Yeah, so she's um, most known for working on The Big Bang Theory and Young Sheldon. Yeah. And Damon Lindelof has gone on record saying, this is her show. I'm, it's not, I'm, I shouldn't no. be considered the main. No, he was like a mentor, essentially. Yes. He mentored the process. I don't think. That he a, wrote, he co-wrote some episodes. Yeah, I, I don't believe for a fucking second that Damon no. Lindelof was just there That's when this complete, thing was being written. complete fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, because the first four episodes of this, in hindsight, they almost play out like a parody of a Damon Lindelof show. In a sense, yeah. Where it's just like. Okay, so there's this nun, right? Yeah, okay. All right, she's looking for the Holy Grail. Okay. Yeah. And also she's married to Jesus. And Jesus runs a yes. diner that's real but also isn't. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, and then they have to go to they have to go give a cake to the Pope because the Pope likes cake. There's this but, island. But this is there's, yeah. there's an island where this guy lives on and he, he gets he's rescued. Got a cat. Yeah. And he's, he's got a cat. <laughs> and he gets rescued from the island, but then he goes back. And then yeah. Dame Lindelof, please slow down. Yeah. yeah and then and then and then like the, the Pope isn't the real Pope. He's like under he's in under the in the prison under the Vatican. Yeah. He's being held there by by a priest who's actually a guy in an apron. Right, get the stretcher, get yeah. the fucking meds. Yeah. Hold yeah. him down, hold him down. Yeah, it really because it it doesn't explain itself, and it has no, no interest in explaining itself to you in those first four episodes. It's just no. here is Stop. a mad thing. Yeah, here's another mad, mad thing. thing. Yeah, it's very Lindelofic, and he might claim that he is basically has nothing to do with it. Yeah, and I just call bullshit on it because it it it's so him in yeah. so many different ways. I think the humor in it, not the grand scheme humor of it but like the, the way the characters interact mm. is a bit more her a bit more like co- contemporary american yeah because you know, you've got those four episodes where it's just it's just fucking nonsense yeah it's it's just total in the best rand- way yeah in the yeah. best way it's fun total fucking random nonsense yes yeah. even the characters are like hang on yes are you sure yeah, that yeah, this yeah. is actually happening and then the fifth episode is a giant exposition dump mm-hmm. delivered to the two main characters, the nun and her. It is ex- the fifth, yeah? Yeah, it is. Not the I, sixth. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, her and the ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and their reaction as they're being told, right, all of that fun, random fucking nonsense, mm. it actually makes perfect sense. Yes. Here's why. And yes. as it's being explained to them, it cuts back to them like reacting to the story. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. And their reactions are very... Um, yeah, they feel like... Uh, Modern comedy yeah. reactions, yeah. But, like, not in a bad way. No, 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 not at all. But, like, that is the the one element that I, you haven't really seen from a Lindelof. Like, I think people have... have I mean, this show defies categorization, period. But I think people have struggled about whether to think of it as a comedy mm. or a drama, fundamentally. Okay. I would fundamentally say it's a drama with that, that's funny. Yeah. Rather than a comedy with dramatic elements, you know. I think it ends up being more of a drama than a comedy. Oh, by the end, yeah, definitely. But by the end, yeah. But it, it's more absurd, an absurdist thing, you know, an absurdist piece of yeah, art. Yeah, definitely. Because well, even after the show reveals itself to you yeah. and explains itself to you and you go, 
oh my god, the, the fucking nerve of these people. They actually went and made everything made sense. I know. It still throws this insane random shit at you. Yeah. And it still explains it. It and, does. Well, and, and by the end of it, not only is it does, has everything made sense, mm-hmm. but everything is kind of brilliant. Yeah. Like it has that, genuine pathos and emotional resonance and thematic purpose. And it's like, a resolution. hang on. Yeah, this yeah. is about a, a nun whose jam was blown up. Yeah. What do you want about? I know. Well, that's the thing. It unfolds. I'm, there's the Damon Lindelof of, of Lost, where you, it's like you can't, you, you can't judge him as uh, fully as a writer through Lost because of the circumstances under which that was made, which mm. is, oh, I'm the showrunner, am I? Yeah. Fuck, okay. R- doing that for as long as humanly possible when he was like our age, maybe a bit younger. Or maybe like like about 30 anyway. Bringing someone else in to help him. Then a battling over like, how long do we have left? We really don't want to go on forever. So it's very difficult. When he's in a position to do exactly what he wants to do, this show unfills in that way precisely, which he has a certain way of structuring things mm. and revealing information and pacing things and the way characters speak to each other. And this show ticks all of those boxes. So I will not believe yes. that he was just a backseat driver. No, I think of it as his show, anyway. Mm. Um, maybe that's unfair. Maybe it really is this Tara Hernandez, but I don't know. It's equally absurd, outlandish, and tightly constructed. Yeah. And that is a hell of an achievement. It really is. It's funny. It's actually funny. Yeah. Yeah, considering him not the visionary is ridiculous. It reeks of him in the best way. It's a mixture of the mystery of Lost, uh, some of the themes of The Leftovers, and the compact, ambitious, self-contained storytelling of Watchmen. Because mm. this is a mini-series. This, yeah. The story is over at the end of the eighth episode. Yeah, and I think that's like... Because that's one of the major criticisms levied at Lindelof, right? However fair you think it is. Yes. It's that, well, he never takes the time to fucking explain himself. Yeah. He just presents me with this stuff mm-hmm. to get me invested. And then he just goes, oh. Right. And that's it. But no, this, like, everything gets explained. It's, it's a deeply unfair criticism because that's that criticism comes entirely from Lost, which, you know, is the most watched thing he's ever done. Yeah. And it was a network show, you know, unprecedented for what it was at the time. Um and I think it's 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 like slightly compounded by stuff like Prometheus, where he was he was drafted in to yes. write something yes. that ended up not getting finished. His film work isn't the best, but no. I, I, I clearly TV is where he operates best. Yeah, and the leftovers onwards, he's pretty much been, if not the best television writer in my opinion, than one of them. Mm. I love you know the leftovers is amazing, and he you know that was a a, a response to Lost of ambiguity will be the point ambiguity is the theme yeah it's characters living in ambiguous circumstances yeah and how do you live with ambiguity you know that's that was the point of it whereas this feels like it's the other direction you can well this is more like that. Watchmen, which is it has mystery yeah it has ambiguity but then it's resolved <coughs> yeah yeah um unlike lost obviously it was possible to plan out the whole story from the off so Absolutely everything is answered and resolved quite quickly, mm. you know, considering. Unlike The Leftovers, it's more overtly comedic, whereas Leftovers, there, there was comedy, yeah. but not as overtly so. And unlike Watchmen, it sticks the landing. I wasn't a big fan of the ending of Watchmen, mm. uh, whereas this, absolutely. Um, it's not the best thing he's done, 
Lost is far from perfect, but I have a special relationship with that show. Yeah. Um, and its characters. And at its best, it's pretty fantastic. The Leftovers doesn't hit its height until the second season. But from that point on, I would say that's probably the best thing he's done. Okay. Would you agree with that? Seasons two and three of The Leftovers? Yeah, they're pretty hard to deny, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty amazing things. They're just like... They're, they're, they're just spectacular. They really are. Um, they're the TV events. Uh, the drama still hits through all the absurdity. Mm. You still care about the characters in the show. Um, even the silliest notions have a concrete explanation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, themes recur and intertwine in interesting ways. Faith, magic, motherhood. Dialogue does the same thing. It's, it's recontextualized and deepened in that Christopher Nolan way. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to do it alone. You know, these lines that kind of come back and take on different shapes and meanings. Every character has a good motivation and a good backstory for why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Schrodinger, the character. I really yes. like him. And Apollo is the only acceptable form of cat. <laughs> um, Betty Gilpin is amazing. Yeah. I, there's something about her performance, and I've not really been able to articulate it to myself. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like a performance. No, she, she's very real, yeah. Very yeah. natural. It, and that's the thing. It's not even like, oh, she's able to do this type of thing so effortlessly. Yeah. It doesn't feel like she's acting. It does no. It does feel like a real person is is, is there with you. A fully fleshed out human being. It does. I mean, those, re- those reactions, like, on the beach when she's being told, like, oh, all this bullshit actually makes sense. And she's like... Oh my god, not, are you serious? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's how a person speaks. You know her pretty quickly. I feel like, yeah, I know that person. Yeah. I know what she's like. You know, they, yeah, it's such a layered, you know, and the writing as well. And they're really good at, like, uh, judging her reactions and, like, putting in those little human moments. There's, like, a moment where um, she's trying to break into her mother's secret vault in her office. Yes. That's, that's my next... No, yeah, oh, yeah. right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and like the walls are like, it's the, the Indiana Jones trap where like the, the walls are closing in yeah. and they're going to crush her. And she has to remember the password and she's frantically typing it in. And it randomly cuts. It's like it's showing because like the ex is also outside doing yeah. his own little thing. And it randomly cuts. The, the shot's only like a couple of seconds long. Yeah. <laughs> it randomly cuts to it and she just looks at the walls as they're closing and she just goes, <laughs> it's such a funny scream. Yeah, it's so real, but so fucking funny. Yeah, and then it just cuts away, yeah. and it's like, oh yeah, that's a person. <laughs> it's so funny. That's a person who's scared they're about to die. Do you know what she? It's going to sound like a weird thing to say, but she, the character is a woman. It's not a girl. Do you yes. know what I mean? She's like an adult human being. Yeah, that has a sense of humor about things, but also has deep feelings and but yeah. just cracks on with life. Do you know what I mean? Like she's yeah, like in her. Yeah, she, so she's married to Jesus, like actually married to Jesus. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Nuns are, in you know, in the tradition, they're married to Jesus. Yeah, but this show... This show takes it pretty literally. Yeah, yeah, literalizes it. And she's no, like... She's not subservient to Jesus. No, it's a, it's a marriage, it's kind a, of. Yeah, it's a proper well, relationship. Th- th- there are problems because she is expected to be subservient to a degree, and she hates that. Yeah. You know, he says, I command you to do it. Like, you have to. Yeah, but she operates sensibly within that framework. Yeah, yeah. It's not as if she's just like, Jesus, make no, me no, do no. the thing. Yeah. She's 100%. like, no, I'm your wife. Fucking speak to me about this. What's yes. wrong with you, mate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it ends up being she's empowered because it's actually Jesus is the one that she has to rescue, really. Yeah. Uh, from being himself. 
from from the, from basically yeah that's so the way they realize it is that he 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 operates a diner and he cooks food for people that's him he feeds people yeah. you know and the, like in the penultimate episode i think it is all the, yeah where she's in the whale um <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah there's uh, they have to perform a wh- uh, uh, heist in a whale yeah they go they go the show where she meets the virgin mary <laughs> yeah um <laughs> And the Virgin Mary tells her, um, my son never gets to be the one who's fed. Mm. Uh, and destroying the Holy Grail means that he can, like, move on, basically. Anyway. Yeah. Jesus... And there's li- even, like, a completely reasonable explanation as to why that connection is drawn. A, also a reasonable explanation for why she is pretty much the only person in the world that can destroy it. Absolutely, yeah. Like Spider-Man, there's a good reason why we're focusing uh, on No, her. they really... Like, they thought about they it. They really... It, yeah, they really did. Like, if they didn't plan it all out from the beginning, I'd say they're fucking liars. Because yeah. that thing with Schrodinger is in the hospital when mm. they're kids. I'll, I'll just say that. It's like, oh God, it all it's all tying together so yeah. neatly. Uh, Jesus is a bit annoying. He can be a bit annoying. I found him, he could be a bit annoying. Okay. A little, a little tiny bit. Is that not... Um part of the character oh I think so I don't think it's a pro- it's just because he's, he's so fucking righteous well, well yeah I know exactly yeah well, <laughs> it's because he's, he's meant to radiate so much like warmth yeah that I just wanted to slap his face sometimes <laughs> just feel like fuck you who are you to get all these women you know basically it's just jealousy um, oh of course yeah. yeah Jake McDormand's a lot of fun the ex oh yeah I like him yeah and JQ is great that's the thing, like, JQ is again, sort of like men that are struggling to be men. They're having problems with... Yeah, yeah. ...little crisis of masculinity. They're, they're sort of, like, having to deal with this world that's being dominated by... Obviously, the AI is, like, presented as female. Yes. Obviously, you know, now that the nun is kind of part of their journey, um, that's kind of like... They they had their whole th- little dude-bro operation yes. that's being compromised a bit. Yeah, it's very broy. It's very yeah. broy, and I, you get the sense that, like, with uh, like a female lead writer and Lindelof, with what mm. he believes that, like, this could very easily have been one of those things where, like, oh, those characters get rubbish and they get taught a lesson. No, 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 no. Yeah, there's no, not, they, nothing like they're that. They're just goofy. That's all. They're goofy. Like, there's a scene where, like, because they're comparing basically how manly they are. Yeah. Where him and JQ just like take their tops. They basically get completely naked. Yeah. In a desert. Like, yeah, look at my six pack. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you've been working out. But yeah, that, yeah, that's what's nice about it is that like, they're, they're goofy men. Yes. But the show does seem to genuinely like them. Well, JQ them more well. so. Like, yeah. there are goofy elements to Wiley. Is yeah. His name. Uh, but he has a really good, again, a really great uh, motivation and origin why yeah. he wants to do what he's doing. But even JQ gets his... He has his reason why he's taken on the AI. Because uh, he's a gambler. And in the world of AI, everyone knows how it's done. Yeah. So he kind of lost out on being this card shark. Which is kind of the thing that also killed magic. Yeah. Which uh, the nun, obviously when she was a kid, Mm -hmm. her father and her mother were both magicians. Yes. That kind of informs her whole thing with magicians in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's a massive part of the second half of the show where the mother is kind of enlisted to help and she's convinced that the daughter is actually... Like, the, the father is still alive and the daughter is hiding him and... But it's like the show is saying, we're going to deal with, like, every metaphysical theme. We're doing magic. Yeah. We're doing faith. You know, it's death, AI. We're going to do all of it, you know? Yeah. And it sounds heavy, but that's the beauty of it, is yeah. it's not. It's it's light. I'm it's just thinking levity. now, that like, because this was eight episodes and yeah. all of the shit that happens, and then eight episodes of the full Monty... I know. Where it's just, yeah. It's Where it's just, just stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, Gerald sits in a corner as a guy who's like, oh, I don't like 
the cafe being called Big Baps. Yeah. Gerald, who won a BAFTA for the first for the film. Yeah, who just sits in the corner the yeah. whole show. And it's like, oh, great. Okay, I'm glad they brought him back. Well, you referred to the episode that's basically just an exposition dump. Mm. And that happens on a tropical island. Yes. Now, is that irony? An apology? A correction? <laughs> what do you think that... I think it's like an inside joke. If, if indeed it was meant to be that. Like, there's a perfectly good reason why it's on an island... There's no... It's not contrived to be on an island. Yeah. Uh, but I still find it funny. And I wonder that whether that was brought up. That Lost, a show that was criticised for, for holding out on the answers. Mm. And then you get an hour of what you would be told in a screenwriting class never, ever do. Oh, God, yeah. And it, it so works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's weirdly, like, it's still a nice episode, like, on rewatches. Yeah. When you're going through the series again, it's like, oh, do I skip episode five? Because I, I know what's happening now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's still an episode. No, worth it, it does. Watching, yeah, yeah. Because you get that relationship between Matilda and you mm. know, um, yeah. No, it is. It definitely is. Uh, there's one bum, weird little bum note, and that is in the finale. We see the creator of the AI pitching it, and it's meant. To, what, what's it end up being for? It's like a chicken, buffalo wings, buffalo wings. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of blossomed into this fucking, you know, omnipresent yeah. AI. And she talks, it's a black woman, and she's kind of talking how it's going to be, it's about social justice, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do that, community, blah, 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 blah. And then she she says, incentivizing. But she says, incentivizing. She definitely, she, so she definitely, this is I, not you. I've listened to it, I listened to it again and again and again. Okay. Incentivizing, which is just a weird oversight. Mm. Uh, why they didn't get her to re- do a, another reading of that line. Is there no- whether they thought generally now this this is me. It could be complete guesswork, but a black woman like I don't want to tell her that she's pronouncing it wrong. It could genuinely be that. Well, no, I no, I, I don't think that's. I know fair. it seems it's, I, I, it's I think, outlandish, yeah. especially given the role that she has in the show, which is the social justice architect of this AI. Mm. I don't know. It's like it, it's it's not. It can't be written off as oh, that's a quirky character thing that she says in sense device. Well, that was going to be my question. Is there anything about that character that you, where you could go, oh, yeah, it's kind of like a... Not at all, because it's the only example of it. Okay. And that scene is meant to be, ah, oh, the birth of how this thing came to be, because it then ends with a joke, which undercuts that all that pomp. Because mm. they go, you know, we're like a chicken company. You know, yeah. it's like, it's a weird little detail, a weird little one that maybe you don't pick up. But I definitely did. But anyway, utterly unique and brilliant, and it's worth your time. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we should say as well, it's called Mrs. Davis. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we never said that. Uh, That's what Americans call her. And that's a nice detail as well, that she's known as different things in different parts of the world. But Mrs. Davis, the idea being that, you know, American kids love their kindergarten teacher. So Mrs. Davis is meant Mm. to be like a kindergarten teacher. Whereas in, like, Italy, she's... Madonna, I think. Yeah, Mother, I think. Madonna or Mamma or something yeah. like that. Um, anyway, yeah, watch it. Okay, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Don't watch it, I'll just no. say. <laughs> Straight away. <laughs> There's no point beating around the bus. Just not, we're not going to have loved Transformers Rise of the Beasts, are we? No. Okay, so let's say the positives first. The, uh, well, I guess it's a positive that there are positives? Yes. There's, in a Transformers film? Well, here are the positives. Okay. At one point... As motivation for the main character, the Pete Davidson Transformer says to him, 
uh, when we're done, you can sell me. And you can oh yeah yeah and you can use the money to pay for his brother has medical problems you can use the money and that's the initial incentive for the main character yeah those are the positives the negatives oh yeah no yeah <laughs> no that I is mean, a you, genuinely n- nice little thing it seems like you don't yeah. want to talk about this film Sam because you, you you're going so quick I haven't had <laughs> no. a chance to jump in oh well go ahead oh no no I'm just to say okay I, yeah, yeah yeah I agree no no because that's like I don't know it's like the first time in these films where it feels like a transformer has kind of had a proper understanding of its relationship with a with a with a human. Yes, like at that time, because at that time, obviously they're they're strangers basically, and Noah doesn't want to do the thing. So he's like, "Oh, I'm going to give you like um like material incentive," mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh god, yeah, they, like these these alien robots, they've like yeah, these are two different species." Mm-hmm. They, they and and like. I think it's always taken as a given that, like, humans and Transformers are just going to get on. Or at least humans and Autobots yeah, yeah, yeah. are always just going to get on because they're all, like, inherently good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of nice that, like, for, for the first time maybe ever, it feels like they've actually thought about this in terms of, like, what does the character want? Yeah, it's just... And, how, and like, what could a Transformer offer a human? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go deeply into it. It's, it's a decent um, idea that it could be sold as a car. Yeah. You know, like, that's the... No, the reason I was plowing on with it was because it, for comic timing. It was like, that's the positive. Oh, right, Here are okay. the 20,000 negatives. Okay. Um, okay, so it's the fucking absurd premise for the, for Transformers. <laughs> Hair, feathers, you know, for the beasts, whatever they're called. Well, it's interesting. So I, I did a little bit of um, digging. Oh, yeah. Because I was, I, was I was a Transformers fan for a while. I kind of fell out of it mm-hmm. in the last few years. But I never encountered the, the, the Maximals. Maximals, that's right. Yeah. Like, I knew about the Dinobots. I knew about the Insecticons. Never encountered... I mean, they're kind of a bit like... Have we know, had those yet? No, we've not had them in the films. Okay. They kind of exist... I don't know, actually. In the context that I know them, they, they exist alongside the Dinobots. Mm. Which we have had. But, yeah, they're a whole thing. But, yeah, the point is I've never encountered the Maximals. So it's like, oh, I'm kind of curious where they fit into all this. Yeah. And why they're considered important enough to be Worth. brought to the big yes. screen. Yes. Um, and it turns out that they, there was a cartoon, a very, very ropey looking cartoon. Right. Uh, from, like, the late 90s called Beast Wars. That they were kind of like... that oh, was their, heard of Beast Wars. That was their big yeah. debut. Then they're actually bio-engineered, like, tech... Right. So they're basically liquid metal and they can transform into organic animals. Right. That's what um, the original Maximals, or at least the Maximals presented in that show, that's what they were. They were kind of... Hybrids, almost. Yeah, they were robots that could turn into organic animals. because They're they organic were kind of, matter that have been augmented with... No, but they're not. That, no, no, that they, doesn't make sense. They have a they have a robot form, uh, and then they do like a liquid metal transform thing, and they become no, a real d- animal. The other way around. Okay, I can accept. Just that's silly. No, it's it's <laughs> that's silly. Very silly. It's silly, and it's utter bullshit. Is that that jury duty? You know the show that we've been watching. Oh yeah, yeah Todd. His whole thing is like, oh, about augmenting humans with like technology. Yeah, that's fine. You got to start organic and add the technology. You can't start a technology and add the organic. <laughs> Well, it's weird because they're like, um, they're the descendants of the original Transformers. Right. So like the Autobots and Decepticons on Cybertron. Organic matter. These Maximals from... are like their like distant offspring. Whatever. Okay. No, but, but my point was, yeah. yeah, it's utterly ridiculous and bullshit. They're like, oh, you have this robot that can turn into a real creature. Yes. This feels worse somehow. That well, it's a robot that turns into a robot that has some... Because they're not even doing... Yeah, it's turning into a robot that looks like an animal. 
But it's still a robot. But it's still a robot. It just, it, it superficially resembles an animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an actual animal. It's not more stupid because that what you just told me is incredibly stupid. Oh, it's the most but, stupid. But it's still pretty stupid. Yeah. Because I don't know what the utility of it is. But indeed, what is the utility <laughs> of a robot gorilla? Well, no, I would, I, I would, I, having now seen the film, I would like to update that. Go on. What's not the utility of a robot gorilla? Go on. Because, like, the whole film, he's a robot gorilla. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then he becomes not a robot gorilla. He becomes a robot man. Yes. And he kills one Transformer in a way that a gorilla would kill a Transformer. And then he turns back into a robot gorilla. Yeah, there's no good reason. And there's not enough of a distinction between when they transform. Like, I, I can't even remember what they look like when they're not gorillas and no. uh, and Asian birds. Well, the Asian bird never does transform. No, okay. Does, I, can it? It can. It just doesn't. It just never does. Right. They never do. And it seems like they're... There's, there's not even a... G- it just seems like the... Because, ro- like, the, 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 the vehicle version of the Transformer is not the main Transformer. Mm. The robot is the Transformer. The vehicle is like an alternate yeah, 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 mode. Yeah. This feels like the other way around. It feels like they're robot animals first that can turn into robot people. Yes. Right, okay. So listen, they're they're on another planet, aren't they, at the beginning of the film? Oh yeah, they're on a... a Earth-like It's planet. like a Cybertronian colony on a jungle planet. Yeah. And I think they really should have done something on that planet. They should have shown the fauna. Maybe, like, on that planet, gorillas were 20 feet tall and kind of looked like they had robot parts. So it kind of made sense that the Maximals looked yeah, like they were... Yeah, look, the thing that I just... Look, all of it's fucking stupid. Oh, God, yeah. The thing that I can't reconcile at all, like, I can't even begin to go, oh, fine, whatever, with Transformers. I'll ignore the fact that they speak English. Whatever. Well, the film gives you an explanation. Does it? Yeah, it does. What? Do they, like... Well, they just... They, it's some filtering system or something. In the first... Trans, in the 2007 Transformers, of which this is a... I don't Prequel. know if it is a... No, because... Bumblebee, this is a sequel... Oh, let's not do that. No, no, no. This is a sequel <laughs> to Bumblebee. Yeah. Which was a prequel to the first Transformers, but also might not be a prequel to the first Transformers, which would make more sense... It's unclear. Because the fourth sequel to the first Transformers film, which is The Last Night, mm. has a bunch of stuff that this film also uses. Right. Which means that this film and The Last Night can't possibly exist in the same continuity. I really don't think they care. I'm pretty sure they don't. Yeah. But the problem, they haven't even thought about the it. The problem, though, yeah. Sam, yeah. is that they've got a writer's room now. Yeah. So surely this is the point that they should start caring. Was the writer's room convened for this film? No, it was convened for Bumblebee. Right. Bumblebee was the first we're doing Transformers no, no, yeah, films no, but, but it was now. in place for this film. Yeah. So this film was put together in a writer's room. By a writer's room. room. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bumblebee well, was the first one where it's like, okay, we're like doing the Transformers films properly now. Yeah. Here's your little prologue on Cybertron of the planet going of going to hell mm. and the war. Mm. Now here's Bumblebee being ET for the rest of the film, and it's like, yes. okay, we're, okay, we're doing things slower. We're doing them more deliberate. There's going to be a this is our indie version of a Transformers film. Yeah, we're kind of expanding the definition of what a Transformers film could be. Yeah. For this new wave of Transformers media. Yes. And then the sequel comes along and it goes, hey, here's a Michael Bay film again, yes, but exactly. not directed by Michael Bay. Exactly. It, it is a Michael Bay film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say the thing that I can't. So in the first Transformers, 
isn't it that they speak in and then you you see how it translates. Yeah, they, they yeah. learn they learn English through the internet. Fine. Whereas, that, in, whereas in this one, because it's set in the nineties, yeah, which I must say has no impact on the film whatsoever. No, not at all. The uh, no. the only reason this film is set in the nineties, I would posit, yeah, is because they haven't decided properly yet if this comes before the first Transformers, mm-hmm. so it needs to be before two thousand seven. Yeah. And this is a sequel to Bumblebee, which took place in the 80s. Yeah, so this is the 90s. So this is the 90s. And maybe there are a couple of music cues. I don't know. But, like, half the film is set in Peru, which is aesthetically time-locked to just, like, an old time, an old period of time. Yeah, watching it, like, my 90s was not the thing that emerged. No. It, It looks like all the other ones. No. Yeah, nothing about it was 90s at all. Uh, my memory of Bumblebee. This at least they're going for like that synthy thing, right? If I'm remembering, yeah, well, it yeah. kind of feels like an '80s film yeah, as well. Yeah. Like when she's kind of yeah, so like a Spielberg '80s. When, as she's being introduced to his like abilities and powers, they're kind of on the beach. And, yeah, yeah, he's he's like ET. He's like the gentle uh, Iron Giant. I think was a bit of thing that was about right. As yeah, well. so that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so the English thing fine. It's the fact that the vehicles that they turn into have a coincidental relationship with our vehicles. It is a coincidence, because they do have... With the exception of some Decepticons, who I think just don't give enough of a shit to bother. Right. They do have alternate modes back on Cybertron, which are different from their Earth alternate modes. Right. But the the foundation is fundamentally the same. There's still trucks and cars. Optimus Prime is still a truck. Yeah. Starscream is still a plane. Yes. Bumblebee is still a small car. Right. That is annoying, and I I can't excuse that. Um, but he but doesn't look like, that's the thing. Say, he doesn't look like a Corvette on Cybertron. He no, just kind of looks like an alien car. Yeah, I know that. But and again, like I can just about go right. Okay, maybe the fundamentals of transport would kind of be would be the same across the universe. Yeah, if aliens had wheels, cars, feel they'd like, look like wheels. Yes. Yeah, they feel like a pretty had, universal thing. Yeah, yeah. But if aliens had cars, they'd look like cars. Yeah. But even though, like from the UFOs we've seen. Hmm, <laughs> uh, they don't look like anything we've got. Yeah. Because why would they? I know the, the physics is the same. Whatever, whatever. Fine. But animals? Yeah, animals is a hard sell. So gorilla, earth gorillas, is there any reason that they look like Cybertronian robot gorillas? <laughs> or is it pure coincidence? Don't you know all space gorillas look like look, earth gorillas? Look like earth gorillas. Do you know what I mean? It's That's a stretch. Well, yes. I would get like, oh, the Transformers crashed here, whenever, and they have not, they modeled their what they transformed into after the creatures on our planet. Well, that's kind of why the Dinobots make sense because I, yes, I think, fine. especially since I don't know, because Transformers has had loads of like little continuity changes. Mm-hmm. They've kind of gone through phases of like every project we do exists within the same continuity, and then phases of oh, everything's kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. But I think. Uh, the Dinobots, from what I remember, this is from the the the, the fall of Cybertron, War for Cybertron games. Mm. The Dinobots were an experiment from a uh, done by a Decepticon scientist because they were aware of Earth as like a potential destination, and at the time that they found Earth, dinosaurs were roaming the planet. Right. So he took a bunch of Autobots and experimented on them to kind of make them look more like the wildlife on that planet. Perfectly fine. Yeah. It's like, okay, you've taken something that was just like, oh, let's ha- let's make a toy where a robot turns into a that's dinosaur. That's the problem, isn't it? No, but that's the thing. Yeah. The kids want a robot that turns into a dinosaur. Completely. Let's, let's, let's take that into a context and make it, like, make sense. Yes. 
And they did that. Yes. But that's a, a big problem with a lot of the Transformers and other things like that, which is it started out because it's a, it's a robot that turns into a dinosaur. Yeah. And now we've got to provide a reason for that existing. Yeah. A context for that, which is hard. It is hard. It'd be nice if they tried. If they tried, yeah. And like, so it can be annoying when you go, oh, and this is the reason this is like that. No, it's fucking not. Yeah. It's, um, what's a good example? Backronym, they call it. In the day the earth stood still. I can't remember what the creature is called. Or like, the, you know, it comes down a massive fucking robot. Yeah. It has it's a, like Jim or something. No, it's something alieny. Okay. But then in the remake with Keanu Reeves, because they're going for a more grounded, no one's happened. Yeah. We'll do it's it's an acronym. It actually stands for black, it, right. you know, space, but because it's like because it, it's because it's, it's too silly to it, be a real a, name. Yeah, it's something like Gort. It's right. something like that, Gort, and it's like oh, it's Geo Optimal, you know. And it's no, it's not though. It's because it's an alien name. They called it Gort. Yeah, that's you know, and so that can be a bit irritating. But yeah, I can. You, and they've done it loads with the Marvel films, like the the more outlandish stuff. They try and give it a different context. Yeah. Like the Mandarin is a good example of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, just be silly. If you're silly, <laughs> you know? And uh, But no, it'd be good if they tried with the Maximals. So that they just, <laughs> they just look, happen to look like an eagle. Yeah. There's no eagle on Cybertron. I mean, like, this film is, is stupid. Yeah, it's just pretty stupid, yeah. But it, it's not silly enough, I don't think. No, it's not. It's not enjoyable. Yeah. Well, let's carry. Let's crack on with it, right? Okay. Dull visuals, as ever. Yeah, I really. This is the thing. Michael Bay has. There's a lot of problems with Michael Bay films. Many. The main problem, I think, with 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 the films that he made, like obviously towards the end, he gave less and less of a shit, (laughs) and so it was just nonsense to think that Transformers is a film from someone who gives a shit. But no, like if you. No, I, mean, I agree. I you've agree. Seen they them all they got progressively point. worse. Pretty yeah. Much. yeah. Like you get to the point with the last night where there are like re- shot reverse shots that are happening in different aspect ratios at different times of day that might not even be happening on the same continent. Yeah. But the characters are supposed to be like interacting yes. with each other. Yeah. It's like, right, this guy does not give a shit. Anymore. No, 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 no. Like by the end, they became true, true messes. Like, oh God, yeah. the first Transformers is a pretty middle of the road summer blockbuster. That's the thing. You, you you're starting from a place where it feels like you gave a bit of a shit. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. L- like, yes, I, I don't know if it was him giving a shit. I mean, yeah. I suppose after the success of the first one and, and the second one, which was panned, mm. he said, "Well, I don't really have to try, do I?" People are I'm making millions and millions of dollars. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, no, the first one's a pretty... It, it's not offensively awful. No. It's like, uh, it's fine. And it's got little sequences in it, which yeah. are actually really nice. The 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 first one on the military base with the helicopter. Yes. It's, it's your first proper sight of yeah, the Transformer. I, rem- I remember that being exciting yeah. when, I, when I was like 12, admittedly. Yeah. But still, I, I, I mean, I don't think... I mean, I saw the second one and third one when I was... What would I have been? Like 14, 16. The right age. In to the see right them. demographic. Yeah. And I did not like those films. No. You know, whereas the first one I did, I, I don't think I would now. There'd be some nostalgia connection. They've got Lincoln Park in it and all that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, the first one's just a middle of the road summer blockbuster mm. that wouldn't win Razzies. No. And then after that. And I think, yeah, it has genuinely good sound design. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, it's got it doesn't rise above its like script. No, and it's Shia LaBeouf in a likable phase, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. But yeah, like you go back to those films where it felt like Michael Bay was trying. Even in those films, you've got action, which is 
incomprehensible. Not, yeah, not comprehensively yeah. assembled. Um, but I don't know. I kind of miss that during the action sequences in this one. Because for all of the sh- uh, reverse shots that seem to be happening in a different universe mm. and the robots being so overly detailed and coloured so similarly, you can't tell if it's a good guy or a bad guy being killed. Yeah. Through all of that, he still manages to capture this this sense of scale and carnage that these this film just can't... It doesn't get anywhere yeah, near like, to that. In, in no way are those films better than these newer ones. Like, th- this is a better film than 2, 3, 4, and 5. Oh, yeah. I would say. Yeah, his films are pretty much everything that's wrong with modern cinema. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the lechiness, just all of it. But I would agree that, not with the, the running time, because that, like, I, I had a panic attack with, what what was the fourth one? <laughs> or the fifth one? Age of Extinction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had to leave the room at one point <laughs> because did. I was stressing out. You missed all of the character payoffs. I, I, stra- I was stressing out because it was just so long and so much stuff was happening. Yeah. But in terms of just the stuff itself, you do miss the gross excess, the grotesque mm. excess with this one. Because, like, at least that's... It's just so much. You're yeah. like, this is the fall of the West. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in in this one, it's just like, oh, this is just a shit film. Yeah. You know? And it's I uh, remember that when it was like the second or third trailer came out and, and it's it's big final wow look at the action shot. Yeah. Was like Optimus Primal like bit the head off a scorpion. Yeah. And then RC was like riding on the back of a rhino that ran up to like another transformer with glasses. And they shot a couple of shots just like off into the distance. Yeah. And then it was like Droom, Transformers. Yes. I was like, that that feels really flat. Yeah. And it does. The whole thing feels so flat. The visuals are dull. A lot again as as usual, barren wastelands. Just Yeah, they need to stop that. They and need- it's not just with Transformers, it's with every it seems big studio action movie. Yeah. The final fight is always it's because it's cheaper. Yeah. It's like, oh, we don't have to do this in a city. And I think cities have been, especially with the Bay films, it always ends in a city. Um, yeah, we don't we don't need to do them in a city. No. And I think th- this barren volcanic landscape yeah. is very much an overcorrection, where it's like, well, this is just of yeah. no consequence to anyone. It looks so cheap as well. Yeah. It makes it look so cheap. There's, there's got to be something else, right? There's got to be like a... Yeah, there's got to be. Yeah. There's got to be another environment that's like... It's like a good mixture of like the consequence of fighting in a city, but also just like it's it's the 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 kind of aesthetic, yeah, or, of fighting or, or, somewhere like in a desert where it's like it's still like interesting to look at. Yeah, which they did in, in Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, like, yes, you have to be creative with it. Like even if you ultimately have to do it, it has to be a city. You can do it in a certain way that makes it interesting, or film it in a certain way. Like yeah. Even just like with Godzilla, you know, it's in Tokyo, so you've got the neon, you know, make it visually arresting. Yeah. Or do something unique with it. Like, um, it wasn't a city, but an Age of Ultron. I know people don't like that film as much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it ends at that levitating, mm. like, town, like, that was interesting. Yeah. Or in Winter Soldier, where it's, isn't it like a hovercraft? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, that's different, you know. Uh, yeah, it doesn't always have to be just nowhere I don't know whether uh, it doesn't even look like a country it, it looks like nowhere yeah. dirt <laughs> and uh, yeah or just anonymous it's, it's usually Chicago yeah. it's not New York because we all recognise New York yes it's just like Chicago yeah there's something else there's some there's a place in between 
A Rogue One, like the end of Rogue One, where it's like on the beaches, like Normandy. Yeah, yeah, like Normandy. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is aesthetically interesting. I like this. Yeah, you know, there are the, there are films that have done that well. Yeah, but it, it seems like even with Endgame, which you know, critical darling, commercial darling, audience darling, fanboy darling, even the ending of that, it, it looks a bit tacky and cheap. Yeah. You know, and I like that, and you know, you can't help that you're so manipulated into liking that anything. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, it looks like a video game, you know. It does, but I feel like part of it was just practical. Like I know that there's there's supposed to be some resonance because it's the ruins of the Avengers headquarters. Yeah, yeah. But it's probably just a practical. It's like right, we have twenty nine thousand CG models fighting yeah. right now. Yeah. Do you really want us to render this in the middle of like m- no I modern know day New York? I know that, but it, it looks fake as well and like the it sky does. the sky looks fake and it, it all does. looks it does. Um, I mean the, even like if you were doing like barren dirty you know yeah. there's something to be said if you filmed like a fight in mud really well that would look like the raid yeah the raid, the raid too. too yeah yeah like there's something you could do that well it's just when you've got the environment and the action and it doesn't really seem to have they have no relationship mm. with each other a fight, have a fight scene on the moon that'd be kind of cool yeah, Transformers the fighting on the moon. Dust, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they keep rewriting the origin of Transformers on Earth. And that's annoying. And it at is this annoying. point, just fuck off home. I know you don't have one. <laughs> fuck off home, seriously. <laughs> Go away. We don't want you here. We do not want you. Why Earth? Leave us alone. Yeah. You know? What's Unicron? <laughs> You've met Unicron. Yeah, I know what he is in the film, but what the fuck is Unicron? No, 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 you've met you. This is my point. Yeah. La- the Last Knight, which is the Anthony Hopkins one. Yeah. Unicron's the main, like, threat. Is it? Yeah. Don't remember that. Which is, because in this, Unicron is just some nebulous space... Like Galactus. Yeah, he's just some, like, nebulous creature. Dubious little creature. That's, like... Not little. That has, like, an, like an army that fights for him. And that's really annoying, because it feels like they... they I don't know what Unicron is in the context of this no. film. I don't know who he is. I don't really know what he wants. That's my question, really. Because it's like, oh, he's this like big nebulous thing that consumes planets. Yeah. But also he wants something. He wants like the dimension key. Yeah. That the and so and he has like an army that fight for him. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I want to eat planets, but also I'm e- this egg kind of ma- egg I'm, MacGuffin. Yeah. Egg yeah. <laughs> Egg MacGuffin, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm I'm this kind of like I pull the strings. I'm a schemer. I'm intelligent. Yeah, it's 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 a mixture of like it's an entity. It's like a, a consuming yeah. thing, like a black hole that like, that has a consciousness and has aims. Well, and- that's the thing. Because if it was just a case of like you've got the Peter Dinklage robot, that's like oh, I represent this force. Mm. It's like okay, it's weird that this force has a representative. Mm. But okay, at least you have some purpose. Like, I don't know how... But, the, but no, it's like, oh, he just goes up to Unicron and Unicron's like, oh, can you do me a favour? Can you go, like, mm. get this key off this robot gorilla? And, yeah. And he's like, yeah, cool, all right. Like, what does he get out of it? I don't know. I don't know how, like, the bionic, whatever word you want to use, physics, I don't know how it works. I'm not a genius. I just refuse to believe that anything that big could think, could have a mind. Anything yeah. that can eat a planet... I just thought, I, I, I think it must be the case that it's it would be physically impossible for that to have a mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
it, no way. Like, the biggest thing that could have a mind is, like, a dinosaur or something. I don't know, though, because, like, wh- whales are fairly intelligent creatures, right? Yeah. They're, they're not human intelligent, but they're... No, but yes. In the animal kingdom, they're among the more intelligent. Yeah. And they're, like, fucking massive. They're really big, but they can't eat a planet. They can't eat a planet. Yeah. I don't know why I said that as if, like, but they could eat... <laughs> they can't eat a planet. Yeah, yeah they could eat a, pla- a, a planet could eat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I don't know. I, I feel like... It's the fact that it's 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 um, not organic as well. Yes, yeah. it's like right. So it was well, that's it what created. It's another big confusion is that when they bleed, is are they bleeding? Why? How does that? Yeah, it's like the things that you shouldn't think uh, that you end up thinking. And also, unicorn. It's just too close to the word unicorn. It is very close. To the Every word time unicorn. I look at it, my brain has to autocorrect it. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the origins of it are. I all, all, all I know about the original unicorn is that he was the villain of the original 1984 Transformers film. Okay. He killed basically everyone because they wanted to relaunch the toy line. Well, you eat a planet. And yeah. yeah. He didn't, like, eat Cybertron, but he basically right. killed, like, Optimus Prime died, like, most of the main cast died. Okay. And he's basically, like, the Transformers Satan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he's the main anti- Like, he's the main villain of Primus, which is the... The, the robot that Cybertron is made of mm. that like gives all Transformers all life and stuff like that and he was voiced by Orson Welles as well so he had some, right. some presence some gravitas whereas this in this he's just like give me the key yeah it's the it's the fallen voice yeah you know, it's, yeah yeah and it's just like okay no. so are you yeah are you are you built are you like do you think or do you just eat or what do you want yeah but the problem is in yeah yeah in the last nights planet earth is Unicron He's like dormant in the core of the planet. Right. And if yes, he wakes up, right, we'd all right. die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. in this, he's a separate existing entity. Yeah, who's coming to eat Earth. Who's coming to eat us. Yeah. So it's but like, what is the survival rate on an eaten planet? It's not great, I would thought. No. Does anyone survive? If you're on a. It's, it's a weird thought, isn't it? You know. Is it like. You know, in those. They have those scenes in like. Well, there was one in Super Mario, weirdly mm. enough, where like. You, they, someone gets eaten by like a kaiju. Yeah. Or like a giant sea monster. And they're just, like, living in its stomach. Well, that's the thing. Is that what it is? Are you so like, oh, I guess Unicron's belly is my home now. I just, li- I just live in... Because well, presumably he doesn't have digestive acids. That... Yeah, does he, like... Does he poop? Does he gain does nutrients poop? from these planets? Or yeah. is he just being mean? Yeah, does he need to eat them? Yeah. Or is he just making a point? Is it a staple of his diet? Is it like a... <laughs> is it a statement? <laughs> is it a statement? No, like, it, to Unicron, is a planet, like carbohydrates <laughs> you know and like yeah is he like is he supposed to be on a diet but he's like indulging it's like oh yeah, just well, the like, one a planet is a carb like a, a sun is a protein you know like <laughs> that, that, that's his diet group yeah. his food groups um unicron what did I tell you about eating planets <laughs> sorry <laughs> burps out a nebula um I don't uh it, it's it's a false intuition, I'm sure, but you know I, that thing I wrote ages ago, where if you had a car filled to absolute capacity with jelly beans, mm. I know you'd always just be able to put one more in. <laughs> you could tell me that it's filled to capacity, but I just don't believe you know. They'd, yeah, it'd always be room for one more. And similarly, part of me thinks that even if something came and ate the planet, there'd be survivors. Yeah, but no way is that possible. No, but but do you know what I mean? My brain tells me well, that's what it's I, just so unlikely. That's what that, I mean. Can you survive? But that might be like a, like a weird little script idea. Can you survive? No, yeah, it's like the premise is Earth yeah. was eaten by this celestial monster. Yeah, and the surviving humans are living inside its stomach. 
and they yeah. don't know how long they it's, have to live, whether they can escape, anything like that. It'd be dark, wouldn't it? Or, or like you said, just a, a more pared-down version of that, like something living in a kaiju. Yeah. It's like, oh, it doesn't... I'm too small that it didn't, like, digest me. Yeah, and I've, That's like, a, I've found this weird sweet spot where I'm not being, like, yeah. affected by And, like, it. grab some of the things it eats so I can have it for myself. Yeah, like, like, I can yeah. live in this thing if I want. Yeah, there's something... Yeah, you know, maybe there's something there. I don't yeah. know. But, uh... Oh, look, well, you know, at least something came out of Rise of the Beasts. We've... I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pitching our own ideas. Forget the eating thing. Like, if the planet exploded. You know, like, in Star... The Death Star. Yeah. Part of me still thinks there'd be survivors. But there's, there wouldn't be. No. But I... Because there's, like, there's the billions of people. Like, what one thing could happen where all of them would die? And my brain can't wrap its head around that magnitude. Mm. So it's going, no, odds are someone would live. Even though I know it's not right. Right. Uh, Anthony Ramos or Ramos? Sure. He's trying. He's trying. He's trying. I just don't like him and he's not funny. And, you know... Is Pete Davidson trying? I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I hate Pete Davidson. Yeah. He's not great. Why Brooklyn? Why is that a thing? Yeah, well, why anything? Why Brooklyn? Why why not Hayley Steinfeld again? Yeah. Why is she just a quick brushing that like let's just brush that off so we can carry on with the rest of the film yeah but even if you're like oh no we we have to do new characters for whatever reason okay and they have to be from a place okay they're from brooklyn but why does that have to be like part of the identity it's the same with um spider-verse it's like brooklyn is this recurring character yeah the only like um ethnic people from brooklyn that's what it seems to like yeah they're going for that at one point, the mother, you know, what's her face? La Guerta from Dexter. She says... Oh, oh yeah, who's mother to both Miles and... Anthony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says white people love that shit. Oh, yeah. And is yet another example of a double standard. It's like, again... I, right. It, it, no, it doesn't annoy me. It, it honestly does I'm not offended to that. It's it's the fact it's it's like a joke. It's at, at face value, that's something we laugh at now. Okay. Yeah, white people love that shit. And everyone's supposed to go... <laughs> I just go, what's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't get the Dominique Fishback thing. I continue to not get it. Um, oh, yeah, that character's a hypocrite. Oh, right, go on. Yeah, because if I remember, her whole thing is that she works as an intern at a museum. Yeah. And she's the only one there that's, like, competent and, like, understands when things are from and what history is or whatever. Sure. Because the white woman just, like, oh, all she's doing is going to fundraisers and earning money so the museum can stay afloat. Yeah. Fucking bitch. Yeah. Um, but she takes all the credit for mm. Dominic Fishback's knowledge and inherent whatever than whatever. Yeah. And then at the end of the film, like after they all go back to their normal lives, Dominic Fishback is on TV because she discovered all of the ancient artifacts and whatnot in oh, Peru. Oh yeah, that's right. So it's like, well, you're just doing what the fucking irony white or woman oversight. Did. Oh, oh yeah, I bet they probably didn't even think about no. it, did they? They were probably just like, oh, look, she's living her best life now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it's at the fucking expense of... Noah won't receive any credit or financial reward for any of that shit. No, but that she's about to. He'll get to be the star of a new franchise, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. Um, but she, she's not an artifact expert, is she? <laughs> <laughs> is she do, you, but, do you not believe Sonic Fishback would be capable <laughs> no, of No, I do not. Uh, yeah, and her boss being ditzy and superficial and uninterested... Her superior at a museum? No. <laughs> yeah, the woman working at a museum is like, oh yeah, history. Yeah, not buying it. Yeah. Like, just a typical, like, shows no insight or interest. Yeah. It's literally the bimbo, like, 
oh, so you're 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 interested in that or borrowing? Like, like basically what yeah. she is. Because n- no. museums, that's just a thing you fall into. Yeah, she has a senior position at a museum. Yeah. Like, n- no. Uh, yeah, I hate Pete Davidson. Bum- it's, yeah, sorry, go on no, about Bumblebee. No, carry on, a new no, point. no, because Bumblebee might lead into my oh, point more say, organically. Bumblebee can only talk in clips, right? That's annoying. Because the conceit has always been that he talks in radio clips. Yeah, right, okay. So it's advertisements and songs. Okay, but now they've added films to that. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't where, make sense. How is that? How do, where does he get the film clips from? I, I In the 90s, yeah. So, so what? So in the noughties films... Uh, he can only speak through the radio, which he, makes sense. Even though they spoke through the inter- they down- learned how to speak through the internet. Well, his voice box. Oh, his voice broken. box. Okay, fine. Yeah. But ignoring that, let's say he can now have film clips or whatever. He says something. To, does he say you can't handle the truth? He says something to yeah. Optimus. Uh, Optim- There's a little little hilarious one liner mm. where he's like, "I don't want you going to that drive-in theater anymore." Yeah. And it's like that makes no sense. It's the only way he can talk. <laughs> It's the it's their only window into human culture. But no, because Optimus no, is that. In, no, 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 no. Yeah, but yeah. that's a genuine because Optimus is insisting that they stay hidden. Yeah. So the only because that's Mirage's whole thing, isn't it? It's yeah. that like he's like he's annoyed that Marky Mark is leaving the whack pack or whatever the fuck he's yeah, on yeah. about. Oh, there you go, nineties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's the but that's like that's all he's got to do. That's mm. how, that's how he's killing his time. Is he's like learning he's watching things he's consuming human culture and arts yeah and through that that's the prism through which he understands people yeah so that's why when he's talking to Noah he talks in all that kind of wacky yes yes, kind of yes but beyond that like it's just not fair of if you tell me Sam from now on you can only communicate with me in um, lyrics so I try and do that and then you go you listen to too much music You've put the parameters on how it's the only way he can speak to you. It's yeah. not that he. It's not because he watches too many movies. It's literally his only way to communicate. <laughs> also, I feel like films is cheating. Oh yeah, because not only do anything. Not only are there so many films. The 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 thing with radio commercials and songs. Yeah, is that they're not talking. No. In a way that people talk. No, it, it is a bit of colour when it's the, like radio advertisements. Yeah. And, you know, they're either new, you know. Yeah, it's either just like, yeah, it's either that kind of advertisement yeah. speak where it's just the facts of the thing with these like colourful yeah. buzzwords thrown in or you've got the poetry of lyrics. Yeah. So it's harder to kind the, of splice a sentence together. The musical. Yeah. You know. It's more creative. It's more of a challenge. It's more interesting. Yeah. But a film... It's like, right, I need to tell Optimus that the, that guy is over there. I'll just play the clip from that one film from 1995. Where it says with, that guy is over like, there. Exactly, yeah. It's like, yeah. well, Bumblebee can basically just speak at this point. I would say, like, it's definitely now, probably by 95, whenever it's set. Yeah. Enough existed in the world of cinema that anything you want to say has been said. Yeah. By, you know, pretty much. Uh, boring fights, business as usual. Um, oh, yeah, the, uh, my thing about Bumblebee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird that Mirage basically replaces Bumblebee in this film as the human... The bro. The, the human transformer bond. Yeah. It's those two. It's Noah and Mirage. Mm. I would understand it if Bumblebee wasn't in this film. Yeah. To which I would add, the fact that Bumblebee spends half of this film dead, mm. where it's like, well, you're obviously not going to yeah, fucking kill... I believe kill... that. Yeah, yeah. you're not going <laughs> to fucking kill Bumblebee yeah. in... The second film, essentially, of this new continuity, if indeed it is a new continuity. Mm. 
And the fact that they basically have to ignore the events of Bumblebee to get him in this film in, in the first place. Mm. Why is Bumblebee even here? I would say uh, is is the logic that, oh no, he's friends with Hayley Steinfeld. Like, we don't want to compromise the uniqueness of that friendship. But if they're fucking that film over to get him in this one anyway, yeah. what's it matter? Because I guess Hayley Steinfeld still exists in this world. Yeah. Does he but Optimus just goes... Because, like, Bumblebee, I think, sticks up for Noah at one point. Mm. And Optimus is like, look, I know that the human was nice to you once, Bumblebee, but fuck off. I'm in the middle of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, right, okay, okay, that's the only connection that this film does, has to Bumblebee. Does Bumblebee speak in Bumblebee? He does in the beginning. And then his voice box... It's the only time we've seen... Okay, so it's the, voice it's the ET thing. It really, like, that you can't yeah. communicate with them. Right, yeah. Um, it's a proper plot point. That's the only thing I can think. Then, then they stay want it. Pete Davidson's hot. We will have like oh that broy yeah boy. We'll do that instead of the silent friendship. Well, then don't, then Bumblebee. No, I know. Don't I know? Have Bumblebee in this? I know. Although, oh, Bumblebee and Haley Steinfeld are off doing recon in in Jamaica. Yeah, just don't have him at all. Yeah. Oh, Haley Steinfeld is is diving in the Olympics, and Bumblebee really wanted to go. Like, it's, it's I, I just think they they would have they assumed outcry. On the part of people, you can't have a Transformers film without Bumblebee. I mean, you've seen those, whether they are fake, put on or not. That shit on YouTube where the men are like watching the trailers, like, oh my god, so we have to talk about what Bumblebee's going to mean in this movie and all that yeah. crap. You know, they're like, well, he's got to be in it. You got to have Optimus. You got to have Bumblebee. Again, That's it. I would argue that one of the like the the, the sort of the theses or the intentions of Bumblebee yeah there's no thesis about Transformers no no the intention of Bumblebee or one of them was to expand what a Transformers film could be I would agree it's not just this Michael Bay fucking noise I would agree a Transformers film can be quieter it can be yeah, more quieter. personal yeah it can be character focused yeah yeah so why chuck all that away to do an inferior Michael Bay film and not reap any of the benefits of... Let's qualify inferior Michael Bay film. It's it's a better film than those films. It's just not as... It's not doing the Michael Bay thing as well, though. Y- yeah, it's not as outlandish. As yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, it just feels like, again, it's a writer's room. That was the first yeah. film in this new continuity. It's like, right, Bumblebee is our starting point. Where do we go, gents? Mm. Oh, we just don't do anything with that and we just do what we were doing before it is depressing that um this is the the result of collective intelligence that they had a bunch of people working on it and this is this is what they determined was the best thing that should be out there but is it though because this is the problem is that like there were articles coming out in advance of this film saying the film was a complete fucking disaster yeah and they were reshooting and rewriting and everything are they writing these like genuinely interesting, experimental, subversive? Are no, they, Jordan. Are they doing what Mattel seems to be doing at the moment? We've got the Barbie film coming mm. out this year. Apparently, Daniel Kaluuya is doing a Barney film or something. Barney. Yeah, I saw a thing earlier saying that <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya's Barney will be aimed at adults and will be more subversive or interesting I can't uh, remember what okay. word they Look, I, so I it seems what... like Mattel's thing at the moment is like oh we're going to take all of our kid friendly properties and we're going to make them like this weird well Barbie's 12A it's been yeah announced. whatever Barbie's doing we're going to do that with Barney yeah, yeah. and all the other shit that we've got uh, I mean look 
not to get off on this massive tangent. I don't know. I haven't heard anything that was Daniel Kaluuya Barney thing. Yeah. I don't want Barney to be subversive and not for kids. Barney's for kids. Yeah, I don't know why this is like yeah. the thing that they've latched onto. Daniel Kaluuya Barney's Barney. not even out yet. We don't even know if it's a good thing that, they, that they've done. Mm. I will say this is probably some inherent racism here. A, little, a tiny little bit. Okay. But Barney's a purple dinosaur, right? Yeah. But he's white, isn't he? Is he? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, if, if you think of a man being inside Barney or voicing Barney, it's a white guy. The idea that it's a black guy is just oh slightly God. weird. So I've literally but just... It's, uh, nothing wrong with it, obviously. It's just like... Well, I've literally... I, I actually don't know if, like, the original guy who played Barney was white. He yeah. probably was, right? Right? You, you just assume that he would be, yeah. I haven't seen Barney in a while. I don't know if Barney is, like, coded white. I don't know if he's got, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, hello there. You know, yeah. It's like, it's like you know. oh, you're way too suburban to be like a Latino yeah, guy. No, I think, no. Yeah, Barney is like waspy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've just, so I've just typed in Daniel Kaluuya Barney. Yeah. It's being produced in, it's being produced by him and he's starring in it. I don't think he's directing it. No, okay. Yeah, um, starring was enough. But yeah, the, the, the things that I'm getting just from Google are Barney movie with Daniel Kaluuya to be A24 type project. <laughs> right. But not R-rated. Daniel Kaluuya Barney movie surrealistic and for adults. And Barney movie will lean into millennial angst. I don't like it. No? I don't like it. You're not even, you're not slightly curious to oh, see I'm how curious. that's going to manifest. I'm curious, but uh, I was, I was perversely curious up until uh, it'll be about millennial angst. Okay. I don't need a fucking film about millennial angst. Where does millennial angst and Barney intersect? It's gonna, what, what, it's gonna be going like, it's gonna be millennial that grew up with Barney, and then like the film is somehow about warped, like childhood, and you know, like he he'll represent. Oh my God. Our, is Barney gonna be like a Jimmy Savile type? It'd be something. Not where he's like something sinister's happening. To these not kids, necessarily man. Jimmy Savile. I don't think the Barney will be a villain or anything, but it will be he'll come to represent a kind of fallen innocence okay. or, so, or something like that. That's unique to our generation because Barney's our generation. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I, just the the idea of it being not for kids. It's, for fuck's sake. I don't know. We'll I, see. I think we're well over that hurdle culturally now, right? Well, in what way? In well, terms the fact of that superhero movies are for adults. Yeah, or at least the bar's been moved. When you say something's for kids nowadays, you you mean Paw Patrol, which is a shame. Barney. Well, then again, I would I would have put Barney in that camp, but apparently Barney's not even off the table for. It could be for adults now. Barney's definitely in the camp of it's only for children. You can't enjoy it if you're not a child, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you could get out of Barney as, as, a, as a grown-up. But yeah, like, that's what, that's what stuff for kids now is. It's Bluey, it's, it's Paw Patrol, yes. it's Plink Plonk or whatever, the, the, like the preschool, like, learn your alphabet. Yeah, 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 yeah. The really terrible, anima- cheap animation. Yeah, Transformers, yeah. superheroes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's for grown-ups now. And that's depressing. It, c- it has the potential to be. It is depressing. That's depressing. I don't know. I'm not like I'm not like it, you in the sense that I'm immediately willing to write off that idea. I'm, I'm not, not writing it off. I'm not a massive no. fan of it. No, I'm not writing it off. I just the on on its face, the idea of it being like Melanie Langst was the buzz term that threw me. Oh yeah. But, um, but I, I kind of like whether it's a something that should be done or not. I, there is some there is something about the idea of mining a character that would that it was initially presented to kids and mining it for something that has a resonance with you as an adult, fine. like with Batman. Yeah, fine. I I think there's like well, Batman I, Batman I, has an inherent darkness that Barney doesn't. Yes, but 
Batman originally yeah. was probably to aimed at a much younger crowd than some of the Batman stuff these days is. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, hence my... That's the most extreme example no, look, I can think I, of. Let's qualify this. I'm not saying that like films for children should be good and you should still be able to enjoy them as an adult. Yeah. Like the Paw Patrol thing is like, it's just impossible to enjoy yeah. if you're past a certain age. Whereas Pixar, you can still enjoy it as an adult. It's not enjoying them. You can, if superhero films are well made, you should still be able to enjoy them as an adult. It's the obsession with them. Mm. It's the fact that let's act as like, I don't know, we're in our thirties and it's like it's healthy and normal to only go and watch MCU stuff. That's the stuff that bothers me. Right. It's not that you can't go and enjoy those films as an adult. It just seems like it used to be fifteen-year-olds were obsessed with Iron Man, and now it's twenty-five-year-olds. But that's the thing. Those fifteen-year-olds became those twenty-five-year-olds. I think that's. No. That, I think that's genuinely why um, the bar is moving. Is because in a lot of instances, the people that are going to see the MCU films now in their thirties and forties mm. grew up reading the comics, and now no, no. the films have been going long enough that they grew up watching those films, and so they want to keep the stuff from their childhood and they want to make it so that it, they, they can watch it now. It's okay to I watch it I don't agree with now. the idea that um, they, grew, they grew up, the ones in their 40s grew up reading the comics. I just don't think comics were that. They, they weren't as that popular to account for how popular the films are. All right, are. well, they, they grew up watching the, the cartoons then or something. I mean, the X-Men 97 cartoons no, are getting just, a revival, isn't it? I don't know, is it? Yeah, I think they, they're bringing back X-Men 97. Yeah, it's not... I agree sure that a lot of the people that love MCU now like grew up with Iron Man, and, but they didn't grow up. Do you know well, what I mean? They got like just hold, yeah, but, they, but they didn't grow up. They just held on to it. Yeah. So you just hold on to... Do you really think like in the 80s and 90s, like 12-year-olds would see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they were still doing that when they were 25? Absolutely not. No, because they were doing that when they were 25 in the noughties, when the Teenage Mutant Michael Bay films were coming out. And it was like, oh, it's... What do you, uh, People well, can go see that. What do you mean now? I'm confused. I'm talking about how our generation is unique in this sense. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think one of the things that makes it unique is that we... Consumed... Didn't let go of our childhood. Exactly. We consumed this media when we were younger. Yeah. And now we're in a position where we're in charge of that media. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to consume that media now, be it without shame or be it, oh, it should be in a different that. context or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. We want to still be able to consume that media. And so we're more, it's being yeah, morphed you, into something yeah, that's we're, more. Cons- we're not disagreeing here. I'm just curious to whether you think that's a neutral thing, a bad thing, or a good thing. Because I think it's a bad thing. No, broadly speaking, I think that yeah. it's a bad thing because it's still. In most instance, instances, it's still the same thing. Yeah. It, that, that media is not becoming more mature to match the maturity of its audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I guess I say, it remains, it remains to be seen if that's what Barbie's going to do, whether this is going to be yeah, yeah, yeah. a mature Barbie film or not. Well, it's, 12A. Are, it's 12A. It's 12A. But I mean, these Transformers films are like PG-12A, and they're certainly not mature Transformers media. No, they're not. This, this, I concur with your analysis of, of why people are doing that. Like, I don't want to let go of the child... Yeah, that's my only point is, do you think... I don't think previous generations did that. No, I don't, I don't think they did To the either. same extent that our generation has. And yeah. that's the shame of it. It's, yeah, in the 80s, again, going to see, uh, you know, films aimed at 12-year-olds. They yeah. weren't still going 
they weren't still obsessing over those things when they were in their twenties. Yeah, that is. But now that is the case. Yeah, and I think that's a shame. Hmm. Um. Anyway, back to Transformers. Yeah. As usual, the characters adjust too quickly to their circumstances and to the stakes. That scene where is it? No, no way. You said where he's talking with the Spanish Transformer is kid- weird. Kidney putrefyingly unfunny. Okay. Um. It's strange because that character... I think Wheeljack is the name of that character. Right. Wheeljack. And he was in... The Wheeljack that I know looks nothing like that character. Right. And he acts nothing like that character. But that character model existed in Bumblebee. It was in the fight scene on Cybertron. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was... Because I think most of the characters haven't been named. Like Megatron. I don't even know if Megatron's been in these films yet. But, like, Starscream was in Bumblebee and Soundwave right. and all these... But, but like, they're never named because they're just background characters, mm-hmm. basically. But, yeah, Wheeljack was on Cybertron as Wheeljack. And now, on Earth, it's it's this completely different... Yeah. Like, this completely other character that they've just called Wheeljack and made Hispanic maybe almost entirely for that scene? Because I don't it know was, what else it plays into It's it. such an awkward scene. Yeah. Again, him trying to be funny. It's like, he says something to him in Spanish and he's like, what? And then it cuts back to him supposed to be reacting a bit awkward and confused. And it's just like they edited it wrong. Yeah. It's like he forgot his line. He's like, oh, I just... And it's like, was that, was that supposed to be the... Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, what was that meant to be? Well, I think he's, he's, he's pushing him for information because he's like, well, hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. speaking with an accent. So does that mean that like... Because you're not from this planet, so how come you're speaking with an accent? Yeah, and he's like, what does that mean? And he's like, oh, I, I, just, I was, yeah. Well, no, the robot calls him racist. Yeah, that, that, at the end of it, the robot, yeah, the robot calls him like, racist. Yeah, the robot's like, that's racist, bro. And I'm like, no, hang on, he's asking you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He genuinely wants to, I genuinely want to know why you're speaking why with you're an speaking, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, is this a cultural thing you've picked up? Well, it's... Or, or is there some, like facsimile of this on Cybertron where there's like there's like regional dialects or accents or whatnot and on Earth you found that Hispanic is the one that most closely aligns with it so even their accents are the same as ours I don't know no they're not because he didn't because the robot didn't take the time to explain it he just called him racist I know and he's like how can it be racist if you're not even like from the planet but I don't know just the whole the scene is just so forget about trying to understand why he has a Spanish accent it was just so stilted and like awkward and weird. Yeah, it wasn't well. You know what I mean? Together, it was just, yeah. yeah. Unengaging story, unexciting. Yeah. And G.I. Joe. Fuck you. Yeah, that was a. Because uh, they, they, they probably pulled the rug under, from under us with that. Because yes, when it was happening, you were like, oh, this is fucking Sector 7 or whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were actually. That was a reshoot. They, they shot that scene. Oh, God, really? With the Sector 7 stuff. And then they reshot it with G.I. Joe. When they had the rights. When they had the rights. No, I think they shot it at the same time because they didn't know if they were going to secure the rights in time. But it is going to happen. This is another cinematic universe that's definitely going to happen. Right. Like that Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that definitely happened. Yes. And that Dark Universe universe that definitely happened. Yeah. We're definitely getting G.I. Joe. There's there's no G.I. Joe media at the moment. It just just hasn't existed for like... When was the last G.I. Joe film? I don't know. 20 years ago? No. It wasn't 20 years ago. But oh, I see. Right, okay. I, I I don't actually know when it was. It was probably... It was like, a sequel to that, like, Rise of... Co- I don't know. Early 10s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. 
Do we need G.I. Joe? What is G.I. Joe? I have like, I oh, basically God. don't know anything No, this is it. a conversation I don't want to be a part okay. of. No. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know what it is. It just seems like the run of the mill. It's like Action Man. It's like, it doesn't have personality. It's just... All I really know about G.I. Joe is just like vague... Oh, that's a thing in culture that exists. And whatever that community episode was about. Can't remember. The, only, the one thing that threw me is I thought G.I. Joe was the main guy. It, it was like Action Man. Yeah. G.I. Joe. Like his name is Joe and he's a G.I. Yeah. And then it turns out, no, the organization is called G.I. Joe. Yes. That I don't... But I, I was thinking, was that is that a backronym kind of thing? Where, no, it is originally because it's from the 60s or whatever. Mm. It's an action guy called G.I. Joe. But now we think that's a bit silly. But it's sillier to call the organization that. Because <laughs> it's still G.I.Joe. It's yeah. not all dot... I, I, what's that supposed to mean? It's, it's very possible that what you said is true. It could also not be the case. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, let's just leave it. It's just like, I don't know. Like, So what does this mean? Does this mean that in the next film, G.I. Joe is going to team up with the Autobots to fight Megatron? Who might could Sector 7, up? could the, uh, essentially just Sector 7 becomes replaced by G.I. Joe? Yeah. That's, so it's all, the, all that stuff, like all the agents that know about Transformers, but you also get their agents or action heroes does, is that Opti- take on Cobra. Is Optimus Prime going to show up? in the G.I. Joe movie to mercilessly gun down Cobra operatives? Probably. That's probably what's... Yeah, it'll are, be... Are Cobra going to team up with the Decepticons or does everyone... Yeah, team Co- up Cobra are going to have big ships. Because the one thing I, I haven't seen any of the, the new G.I. Joe... They're going to have a big ship that's going to end up being a Decepticon. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Like uh, G.I. Joe, um, you know, the China Tatum films, the recent ones. Yeah. I haven't seen them. But my memory of the imagery from the trailers and everything is a lot of, like, metal. A lot like suits and yeah. planes and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's vaguely you know it's it's related to commuting. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's transport adjacent or yeah, transport yeah. involved. So yeah, like if Cobra and GI Joe have big fucking like metal zeppelins and you know planes, that kind of fits in with Transformers. So they can exist in the same universe. Okay. So fuck it. Let's do that. Oh, joy. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So those were the negatives. Okay. And then a final perverse positive. It's not as visually confusing, crass, gratuitous, or long as the other ones. But a lot, I would say two of those are actually a problem. If it was a a bit more crass and gratuitous, it'd be more enjoyable. It would be. But it's not as confusing, and it's not as long. No. So fine. I still missed... I didn't miss Michael Bay. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't miss Michael Bay. I missed the few positives that come with that Michael Bay style. I'll only ever miss Michael Bay if I miss fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I mean, I miss... I don't miss it, but like, if it was more like the first one, that'd be something, but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that was Transformers. Okay. Season four of Succession, the final season. Indeed. What's it about, George? No, no. Oh, yeah. No, that's not fair. Why? Because it's the fourth season of a show where many things have been happening. You can't do that. I just want you to give the basic premise of the show, like the premise you give before the show started. Oh my god! Right. Okay. Yes, because we haven't actually reviewed. The only time Succession has been brought up is you gave season three a place in your top ten. It was ten in my top ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite high up, from what I remember. Yeah, it was like fourth, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I can kind of, see, I can kind of see now. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, we've never mentioned it before. But yeah, Succession is a show. Mm. There's this um, company called Waystar Royco, and it's run by this American, originally Scottish, but American businessman called Logan Roy. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, four kids. The oldest one is kind of like, he's about, but he's not really part of the company. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the next one, which is often mistaken to be the oldest one. Uh, Kendall, who's kind of the like heir apparent, the heir apparent of the company, is like, oh, you know, he'll probably end up running, but mm-hmm. he's got his own problems mm-hmm. that like he needs to reconcile. You've got the daughter, Siobhan, Shiv, who's at, at the beginning not part of the company because she's a political consultant. She's a political consultant for uh, left-leaning parties, which is the total opposite of the ethos of her father's company. They're, they're very much modelled after Fox. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this company is like an American media titan. So yeah. they have... Ships, cruises, and, and parks. Yeah, ships, cruises, yeah. films, all of that. No, not ships, cruises. Cruises, <laughs> entertainment, and parks. Yeah, Ships and cruises. <laughs> uh, and then you have the youngest son, Roman, who's a bit of a wild card. Yeah. Bit of a, bit of a guy. Says some weird things. Doesn't sit on furniture right. Yeah, he's a... He's, yeah, he's a... He's slightly unhinged and, like, works for the company, but you don't really get the sense that he's, like, vying for control yeah. in the beginning. Yes. And the, the the show is essentially Logan is coming to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Indeed, in the first episode, he has a brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Who's going to take over the company? That's the show. That's the show, pretty much. Who's going to take over the company? Yeah. That's, that kind of comes back in many different ways. And there are many twists and turns. Yeah. Changing loyalties... Dynamic changes, you know. Yeah. yeah, this person's now the one with the reins. Then it goes to this person. Yeah, it's a big power play. It's like Game of Thrones, but in the corporate world. Yeah, I've also step. seen modern Shakespearean tragedy used yeah, in the same breath as Stephanie Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah, the king of the castle and the scheming children, mm-hmm. and yeah, tonally as well. I think because it, it's got this very particular mixture of drama. And comedy and tragedy as well, right? Like as time goes on, mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. more and more so. But it's it's one of those shows where a lot, I think a lot of people say like it's it's it is drama, but it's like one of the funniest shows on television as well. Yeah, it's um, it's in the mold of it's more dramatic because um, what I'm about to say the work's more overtly comedic, but it's kind of in the same school as Veep and the thick of it and in the loop. Cinema Verite. Uh, Four Lions. Yeah, kind of Cinema Verite. Um, yeah, documentary style. Very witty, fast-paced dialogue. Yeah. Characters that are shits. Yes. That, like, you don't really like any of them, but you kind of do, and yeah. Yeah, they're all kind of questionable... People of questionable morals. Yes. And this is... But this is a more dramatic version of those things. Yes, definitely. Okay, so that's the show, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we're just going to be reviewing season four. Because there's too much to review. Yes. Otherwise. We'll come back to the show as a whole. But well, well, I'll sort of say... I'll say this about the show. Yeah. You got the first season. Yeah. Which I think is the hurdle for most people, right? The first half, yeah. The first half of the first season. It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Like, going back to it... It just, it just hasn't hit peak. Yeah, going yeah. back to it as well. It's like, oh, this isn't bad content. Mm. It's not like BoJack... No, where those or, first, or the office or Parks and Rec. Yeah, where yeah. the first couple of episodes is like, well, this just isn't the thing that it becomes at all. Yeah, it is succession from the start. Yes, but it's ev- not firing on all cylinders from the start. Everyone that I've spoken to, myself included, it took me yeah. until like episode five or six to realize I was actually enjoying myself. Mm. 
but like myself included yeah yeah and yeah you as well yeah. my parents have started watching the show recently and like for most of season one my mother was like i, I, I don't know like should i watch yeah. it and i was like yeah stick with it yeah and now they like love it they're they're like yes. genuinely in love with it and i think that's a hurdle that a lot of people it's i don't quite know why but it does seem to be the hurdle everybody has to conquer i think it's because well a they're not they're unlikable so it's hard to know where to get a foothold. I'm yeah. like, okay, who am I rooting for? And then the turning point of the first season where Kendall tries to usurp his father. Yes. It, it starts to get real dramatic stakes. Yeah. So I think that's when people kind of like, oh, okay, there's things are happening. Yeah. Whereas before that, it's kind of this slice of life of these uber-rich, quite unpleasant people. Yeah, because um, with Logan out of the picture fairly yeah. early on as well, you get the sense that like, oh, power will shift naturally. Yeah, yeah. I guess this will just be about them being overwhelmed by it, but yeah. then Logan sort of comes back into play, which nobody expects, and thus kicks off like the dramatic heart of the show, which is Logan yeah. versus his kids. Yeah. Or some of his kids and Logan some versus time, other yes, kids. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then the second half of the first season is a, a vast improvement. Yes. And then the second season, it kind of becomes what the show is then. Yeah. And um, I think for a lot of people, um, again for me, the end of the second season is when they realised they really liked it. Yeah. But I, I would say the second season, it, all of it is great. It's a great unit of television. I would agree. Yeah. Third season as well, can't be denied. Third season, Third season is really, really good. Um, yeah. So that's where we found ourselves going to season four. It's like, right, first season was good, second season and third season were great. Yeah. Can they sustain this? Yes. Ten more episodes. Can they wrap this up? Can it end, yeah. Can it end? Yeah, that was you the and main I, concern. Yeah, you and I remember having that conversation where you were like, mark the date. This is before right. Succession Series 4 began. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to end it. Yes. Or if it can end well. Yes. Um, that's the mindset that we went into season four. That was the main concern with with trust that it would still be fun and good. But um, Jesse Armstrong, the showrunner, head writer, he has no track record with with drama, really, no. well at all. Um, the, the the most notable thing he's done, other than this, is Peep Show. Yes, which very deliberately doesn't really have an ending. Yeah, and uh, you you kind of pick up watching the show and Peep Show. His worldview seems to be the things don't really change. Yeah. And and so it, it was kind of difficult to know, well, how does this end then? So that was a concern going in. So there are 10 episodes. Mm. We're going to kind of review it quite systematically. Okay. Uh, but there are 10 dense hours here, and they are at least an hour, pretty much all of them. Yes. Of ever-changing interpersonal relationships, power dyna- dynamics, dialogue, detail. We could do hour-long reviews of every episode. Is the truth? Oh of God, it. yeah. We could have done this week by week if we wanted. We could have done it. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't have because we don't release that often. No, no. <laughs> but we easily could have done. The yeah. point is, yeah, we, we, we could have done a podcast about Succession. Pretty basically. much, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, some of the episodes will skip over a lot of things, but that doesn't say anything about their quality. Every episode is excellent. Every yes. last one. We just have to consider the larger shape for your sanity <laughs> and for our sanity, <laughs> um, and we can't keep promising and contextualizing. So I'll say it now, like I did with Mrs. Davis, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Yeah. Okay? I I think this review is better experienced having watched it. Yeah. Because 
at some point we're just going to be listing things we like. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty okay. much, yeah. Right, episodes one and two. Yeah, they're definitely best considered together, aren't they? Yes, I think so. In hindsight. In certainly. hindsight. So the season overall has a day-to-day structure where each episode takes place over one or two days. Yeah. All seem to be taking place very close to each other. Oh, no, literally following each day. Yeah. This day, then the next, and the next, and the next. Sometimes, like, when they, you know, the, the fifth episode, it's an overnight thing, so mm-hmm. it's the next day. But basically, it's it's a week or two. Yeah. Uh, and considering that months would occasionally transpire between episodes, uh, this is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's tension-filled. Uh, so the season begins with another birthday, another of Logan's birthdays, mm. hearkening back to the pilot. The pilot is a birthday. Uh, we experience the joy of the siblings all on the same side. Yes. These first two episodes are a masterclass in red herringdom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going straight forward, <laughs> going are you? Straight well, we'll get, well, yeah. The, so th- they have a new enterprise together uh, called The Hundred. They make a deal to acquire PGN. This other well, that's company. the thing. Their initial plan is they're all out, right? Because that was the big yeah. So the, we should say this at the end of season three, for the first time, really, the three central siblings are allied against their father, who's royally fucked them over. Yeah, and at season four finds them having left the company, trying to start their own. Yeah, well, venture. he's basically because they tried to phase Logan out of the company. Yeah their plan was to kind of overpower him, basically, with their share in shares. Mm -hmm. So what Logan ended up doing, because he was warned ahead of time by Shiv's husband, Tom, Mm -hmm. he diluted their shares to the point where they basically had no power. Yes. So now they've kind of left the company. They are undertaking their own operation, which is the hundreds. Mm -hmm. But they find out that Logan is interested in buying PGN. Which is a a CNN to their Fox, basically. And they decide that they want to fuck with their father a little bit. Yes. Sort of fly in the ointment. And so they buy PGN out from under him. Yeah, they put in a bid that tops his. Yeah. Um, And that's what kind of reignites the conflict between the siblings and the the father. So, okay, we're in in season four. This is going to be the thrust. And there's the implication in the second episode of Logan becoming more active at ATN because he's selling the company... That's the other thing going into the season. He's selling the company to a Swedish tech. Yeah, the initial plan. In, the initial plan was in series three was that they were going to buy the Swedish tech company. Yes. So that they could use their technology to kind of present their back catalogue of content. Yeah, they their, have they have a really terrible streaming app. Yeah, yeah. So they wanted to basically buy like their own Disney Plus. Yeah. Or their own Netflix, which has like competent streaming and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But through a, like different circumstances and finagling and whatnot. The CEO of that company, Lucas Matson, who's played by Alexander Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll go through like who plays who and the characters yeah, and yeah. stuff as time goes on. Um, he man- he basically manages to increase the value of his company to the point where he's going to buy them. Yes. And that's why the siblings are against their father selling because they want to run... It's their birthright. The- it's their, their birthright. Yeah. Hence, he dilutes their shares and they get out. Yes. But then it's like, oh, you want to buy PGN, but we're going to fuck you over mm-hmm. and... Yes. Now, so news is kind of, was the thing that started Waystar Royco. Yeah. It started as a news operation that then, you know, expanded and expanded. Uh, and that's called ATN, which is basically Fox News. Yeah. And the deal is that Logan is going to keep ATN and sell everything else. Yes. Um, because ATN is his baby yeah. and he's essentially going to become the manager and he's going to go there and, you know, so that's what they're setting up. 
second storylines that will be utterly demolished by episode three. <laughs> um, it was nice to see, so the head of uh, PGN, Nan, uh, she's introduced in season two in an episode where there's a cultural compatibility check between uh, Waystar Royco and PGN. Mm-hmm. So both families meet, these media legacy families meet each other and they're very lefty and kind of quite irritatingly so. I think even if you're not me, that's how they're meant to be portrayed. Yeah. And it was nice to see Nan, the head of the company, portrayed more cynically yes. in this season. Like this apparent bastion of liberal values, concealing the fact that it's really just about the money. Yeah. Uh, She's like, oh, this all these talk about numbers is making me feel ill. Why won't <laughs> yeah. someone just say the final number? I know, right? Literally, I've written down the quote, I don't like this. Makes me feel like I'm in the middle of a bidding war. Horrible. Different people saying different numbers. Eight, nine, what's next? <laughs> and then yeah. one of the best quotes of the season, Roman says, I know it's so confusing. What comes after nine? Nine B? <laughs> <laughs> so... It's like, we, we see you, Nan. We're not buying your exactly. bullshit. And Roman is actually the, the show's go-to character for pricking the bubble yeah. of bullshit, like especially left-leaning bullshit. Yeah. Uh, there's a sense of melancholy and finality that hangs over proceedings. Logan has his finest scene, maybe, of the series with Colin, um, who's like his, his bodyguard, essentially. Um, oh, it's, it's definitely up there, I would say. I'm just, well, for me, the only contender... Well, two contenders are the, yeah. are the ATN declaration. We yeah. are Vikings! Yes, yes, that's great. Or whatever, however he says yeah. it. Uh, and pirates, yeah. Yeah, we are, we are pirates! You're fucking pirates! Fucking yeah. pirates! Yeah. And the scene with the kids in the karaoke bar. Yeah, of the whole show, or the season. The season. The season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's with his bodyguard, uh, kind of reflecting on the nature of humanity and the possibility of an afterlife. Yeah. Uh, Giving that bodyguard's purpose as well, like, in the show, which is nice, because he's he's been a presence throughout the He's entire- there the whole time. Well, I want to kind of revisit that idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll come back to that. But again, another great quote. We don't know, we can't know, but I've got my suspicions. I've got my fucking suspicions. Yeah. Oh, great, that's brilliant now this is a good example of the possible disparity between what the showmakers think and what the show ends up saying which is a theme that we'll come back to as well okay i think a lot of this is inference uh based on what jesse armstrong has said uh but you can make some assumptions about his philosophy Mm. so i mean sometimes he's been very direct about it but logan's cynical view of the world is dare i say accurate or at the very least, it's useful, right? Logan couldn't possibly be where he is if it wasn't. No, exactly. One of the beautiful things about this series is its openness to interpretation, I would say. Which I know is something that Armstrong endorses. Mm. I would argue that Succession, broadly speaking, doesn't like these people. No. It's critical of their wealth and the systems in which they operate. But Logan is right. He does know things about the world. Yeah. And that, I love that detail. Not very nice things, as he says. Indeed. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it when, you know, Kendall says to him in season three, you made your money from, you know, preying on people's blood. He's like, oh, just figured that out, did you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what I do. Uh, Yeah, okay. So Alan Ruck finally gets his moment in the sun with episode two. The eldest son. The eldest son, Connor, who like very much like in the show and with the characters of the show. Uh, is like an afterthought. Yeah, you know, a running joke. Running joke, yeah, because he's not involved in the company. He kind of, he lives a bit of a hippie life out in the desert. He has a call girl that he's kind of paying to be his life partner. Yeah. Up to this point, he's proposed to her. They're on the cusp of being married. And his big, like, 
I'm going to do something with my life moment is he decides to become president of the United States. With no qualifications. No qualifications, no prerequisites, no no nothing. I'm just I'm gonna run for president, I'm gonna be the president. Right. And he's running like as an independent candidate who's like anti tax. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, there's there's a lot of stuff there. Uh but again another great so in in this episode, episode two, again he's kinda of cut out from proceedings and uh at his rehearsal dinner, his soon to be wife walks out and kinda of leaves him floundering, and then he says to his siblings, I don't need need love, it's like a superpower. Which mm-hmm. is like his final, you know. Yeah. I rooted for Conor and Willa. I really did. Yeah. I was led to believe they'd reached something real. But then to jump ahead, the finale refuted this somewhat. It, it kind of throws a, a yeah. spanner in the works. Well, it some ambiguity into the... It does. It will suggest that the uncomfortable imbalance in their relationship would persist. Yeah. Um, but anyway. And then the prophetic utterance that informs everything that follows from Logan. I love you, but you are not serious people. Mm. I think that is the central line of definitely the season, maybe the show. So episode three. <laughs> go on. Oh, go on then. Connor's wedding. Um, Again, we, we went into season four being like, oh, I really hope, I really hope they can pull this off. Yes. What's the episode one? Yeah, all right. Still feels Good like Good start. Succession. Okay. What's episode two? Oh, that's nice. That Connor's they, getting his moment. Yeah. yeah. That they, they were, that, and that, you know, with as little time as they've got left, mm-hmm. they were able to have an episode that felt like it was spending time with a character and giving a character his due rather than focusing on motoring towards the finale. Yes. So it it, it cultivated the impression mm. that uh, it would be taking its time and resolving things nice and slowly. And yeah. this character gets their moment, this character... Yeah. So episode three, uh, <laughs> Connor's wedding. Let's just say the most striking comparison is the reigns of Castamere, which, sure. which is it's a Game of Thrones episode okay. where what is known as the Red Wedding unfolds where a, a bunch of the central characters and the heroes of the show are killed in one fell swoop I see and anyone familiar with the books it's, no, it's the, the most famous the Red Wedding and the episode is called the Reigns of Castamere because it couldn't be called the Red Wedding okay and right. this is called Connor's Wedding because it can't be called because it can't be called Logan Dies yes <laughs> <laughs> It really is a fucking... Oh, it really is. Because genuinely, right, you've got the prologue. Because at the end of the second episode, yeah, he has that conversation in the karaoke bar with his kids. Yeah. Shiv's having none of it. Kendall's having none of it. No. Connor's always kind of been pro-Logan, so he's a bit sad that like, yeah, of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, Roman seems to be like, it seems to resonate with Roman a bit. Mm-hmm. So at the very end of the episode, he kind of goes to Logan and Logan's like, you're, gonna, you're my boy. Yeah. I'm going to need you in this fight. So it's like, okay, this is the first crack in, in the unit of the siblings. Yes, and as, for, for the most part in the show, if there's been a villainous child, it's been him. He's yeah. the shit, and he's terrified of Logan. So he's yeah. the easiest, yeah, you'd think, yeah. It's the, he's the, the obvious choice for he's going to fuck things up for them. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um. So Logan calls him at the beginning of the third episode, and he's like, oh, I don't, I want you to fire Jerry for me, which is a character. Yes. Like, I just realised like, how much this all depends on what came before. I know, you know, I know. Jerry and Roman have had they have a they've had a thing. Yeah, they have a weird connection. I, I not it is a sexual connection, but really on his part. Yes, and you don't really know why she's doing it. Maybe it's to like, have leverage over him. You never yeah. you never really know. But she's kind of a mentor to him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And Logan is aware of this. Yeah. Um, and he's clearly exploiting 
it and exploiting Roman testing. He's, yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, ultimately yeah. testing to see whether he yeah. does have his loyalty. So Roman is on the way to the wedding, and he's be, he's told by Logan, "You have to do this thing for me, basically." Mm-hmm. And then he says to Tom, who's kind of like Tom is is basically he's he's the kind of the head of the news network at this point. Well, no, he it's a weird. I'm not. It's a weird. He's, he's not quite. A, he's not no. the head honcho. Let's say he's the vice president of news. Yes. Yeah. That, and Logan basically says to him, "I'm going to get rid of the head honcho. I'm the president today. Open the pre- opens yes. the position up for you." Yes. And you're like, okay, that's what this episode's going to be. It's going to be Connor's wedding, and then it's going to be this turmoil of the fact that they're getting rid of these like powerful, influential women in the company. And again, the fact that we've seen Connor have his moment is like, well, this will be Jerry's episode. Yes. Um, and Sid, you know, the president. Yes. Her, again, a fantastic little, red herring. Little did we know that when Logan tells Tom this as he's climbing the stairs of the airplane this would be the last time we see Logan Roy alive. Well, it's such a... Because um... he doesn't even have, like, in hindsight as well, he doesn't have, like, this poetic resonant no. line. Uh, in, in hindsight, it's it's the scene with Colin. Yeah. You know... Like, it's, literally, it's, like, yeah. the last words of Logan Roy that we know, it's, it's just, like, he just says he's going to fire someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. it. Like, there's nothing, there's no meaning to it. Yeah, there's no poetry to it at all. Yeah. Well, one of the things I really love about it, and I love about the season in general, is that it, as seasoned veterans of watching television, mm. you learn, you come to learn the ebbs and flows, and you know when things are going to happen. And so, yes, killing off the guy in episode three of your final season is surprising. Yeah, but not just that; it's surprising because, again, these characters are having their moments; these th- these final moments. It is matching our expectations that things are being resolved piece by piece because it's the final season of a show. Yeah. And that's what makes it even more clever and mm. makes it even more shocking. Um, I kind of alluded to it in the last episode, didn't I? I, I can't remember specifically what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I kind of said, if a show... I think we were just talking about, like, twists. You know, and like, you know, oh, you can always kind of tell who the killer is in a murder mystery. Yes. You can always kind of tell what you... Like, when a show tells you it's going to do something, it has no intention of doing the thing. No. Because it wants you to believe something else. No. And, and things like, if a show introduces, if it has, like, villains of the season, you can pretty much expect they're going to be in the finale. Or, yeah. or at least the, you know, the penultimate episode. Yeah. Uh, like, John Lithgow was never going to die in episode two of season four. No, exactly. But they sort of have done the equivalent of that. Kind of, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what that's what makes it all the more surprising. Yeah. I think... The all of these red herrings it throws at you, where Logan says, "I'm going to take over ACN and mm-hmm. turn it into this monster." They say they're going to fire Jerry, and they mm-hmm. say the siblings are going to fight Ro. And I think all of that is that doesn't matter in the wake of well, they're not going to kill Logan. Yeah, if they're going to kill Logan, it's going to be at the end. They're not going to kill him randomly and without ceremony. Yeah, I don't th- like. I never thought he would die in the finale. No, but I thought maybe the eighth episode. Yeah. A couple of episodes deal with a fallout, yeah. right? But no, and another genius thing is the structure of it, which is him and Tom are getting onto the plane, heading off to meet Matson, and uh, Tom kind of sums it up, goes, okay, so we're getting rid of Jerry and Sid, all in a day's work, credits. Yeah. Like, okay, I know the premise of the episode. And then we get the episode. Yeah. So thus far, unlikely unchallenged. It's the best episode of television this year. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, though nine offers competition. I like that Willa's mother is approving of Connor. 
It wasn't that like, oh god, he's taking my daughter. He's a rich guy taking yeah. her for. She actually likes a rich him. guy that's much older than her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have that little moment, don't they, where um, they're talking about all the like the young people there drinking the wine, scoffing at the rich people, scoffing at the rich yeah. people, and he's like, yeah, Scrooge was like a big um, wealth, wealth maker. creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't mention that, do they? And she's like, yeah, it's funny. No, they, no don't. they don't. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like the show is casting judgment on them in that moment it's just letting them no. have their say yeah absolutely yeah um i think she just knows that he will actually look after her she senses he does actually love her oh, that's God, the yeah. thing about the relationship she's not a trophy wife no no he does actually really love her yeah yeah it's whether that's reciprocal well his like proposition to her in terms of like i want you to be my life partner mm-hmm. i want you to you know is basically he says why don't you continue living with me and hopefully you'll fall in love with me yeah like that's his proposal it's, yeah, it's yeah. not like it's pathetic, you do basically. this thing for me yeah. it's I really want this will you allow it to maybe happening yes you know yeah 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 I know he's in love with her yeah. like, he can be he's, he has moments of cynicism where he has to do certain things for his campaign and look a certain way but he does actually exude a kind of warmth even when he's being yeah you know, is most kind of Machiavellian. Which is, which is why it's all the more gutting than there is that kind of final stab Gut of ambiguity. Punch, yeah, like, oh... Don't, it's yeah. like, in this show in particular, yeah. just one thing. Just one. Just but again, one thing that, that's real. It feeds back to nothing, thing, people don't change, you know? And yeah. that's, but which we'll definitely come back to. Right. Uh, the ensemble is fantastic across the board, in, you know, in general, but in this episode in particular. It's marvellously directed, sublimely written, it doesn't stop being succession, but that suspension of like witty, colourful dialogue for, for broken ums, ahs, and confusions is a masterstroke. It's it's interesting because the show still kind of has that throughout. Because mm-hmm. it's a show where pretty much everyone, with the exception of Logan and maybe one or two other characters, they don't speak with the courage of their convictions. No, that's true. Logan says... They're always working out exactly. where they are in the conversation. Logan is like, I want to buy this thing now. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck off and buy this thing yeah. for me. And literally every other character will be like, um, are we sure that's... Because you know that... I mean, that, I mean, that could be cool. Like, yeah, totally yeah, cool, I mean, yeah. But like, if you didn't... Uh, whatever. Because no one can yeah. say no to him. No one... No, can, or to each other, because they're, they're all trying to figure each other out all the time. Exactly. So it's non-committal, yeah. Yeah, so there is this kind of non-committal, uh, like, shorthand that yeah. everybody speaks in. But it does have a very unique flavour in that episode. I think everything about Succession really feels like it comes into its own in that episode. Yeah. The presentation of the show, which we've already kind of alluded to, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of, like, directorial... Oh, documentary-esque. Kind of being presented as though it's being shot in real time. Yeah. I mean, in that episode in particular, it really comes into its own. I watched like a th- uh, uh, like a piece with Mark Mylord, who was the director mm-hmm. for that episode, and he said that like he was very hands off in terms of directing, so he kind of cultivated the scene in a way that would kind of direct the actors for him. Yes. So, yes, yes. For, so for right, example, yeah. yeah. For example, um, they're on a cruise ship, although they're on a boat. Yeah, a yacht. Yeah, a yacht. Um, and in the area where they kind of find out, in the waiting area where they find out about his death. There's a bar that kind of comes off of that waiting area. And so he put extras in the bar so the characters would be discouraged from going over there. Yeah. There's a moment where Kendall has to go find Shiv because Shiv is not in the room when they have that phone call. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeremy Strong, the actor who played Kendall, genuinely didn't know where Shiv was. Yeah. The director didn't tell him. Go look for her. So he had to literally go look for her. Yeah, yeah. And it's just those moments where... I feel like in the past I've kind of... 
you and me both, but certainly me, we've been critical of um, they did it for real stuff. Okay. Uh, in terms of acting. I think the big one, a big one is when he ate the raw liver in The Revenant. Oh, not critical of it. Critical when it's when it's a story. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. When it's put in the context of like, oh my God, he ate that raw liver for real. And it's like, well, he wasn't acting then. No. It, it's not that, it's y- not yes. as impressive as you're framing Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And the reason, the only reason that stuff gets out there is because it bolsters the chance of winning an award. Yeah. Did you know that Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't like raw liver, but he ate raw liver anyway for the yeah. revenue? Well, I'd be gagging as well. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, that's not acting. Mm. He's, he's literally throwing up because it's disgusting. I mean, he's supposed to be impressed by the commitment, not necessarily the acting skills, but like, oh, he did that. But it's but framed it, as look at his commitment to yes. the performance. Yes, it is, yeah. But this is a good example of it being done well, where it's being used as a tool to enhance a performance. Yeah, well, it's very thea- it's theatery this episode, and there's you know there's a space and things play out in it. Yeah, but yeah, I think I can't remember which actor it was. Said it's weird. No, do you know what? It was actually Tom Hanks talking about Captain Phillips. But I know this applies to this as well. He said it was it's bizarre, uh, not ha- not having to figure out where my um, my placement is. My yeah. cute, you know what do they call it? Mark. Yeah, Mark. I, yeah, I'm not I, with Paul Greengrass because the way he directs, there's no Mark. Yeah, they they say to the camera people, right? Keep up, keep up with them. Yeah, yeah. I, it, that's how they do it in Succession as well. It feels like. Yeah, well, definitely in that episode. Definitely in that episode because it was. I think it was that scene. Even though it doesn't, it isn't presented in real time. Mm-hmm. They shot it in real time and it plays out basically in real time. Even though there's cutting and everything. Yeah, yeah. And they said they hid cartridges yes. of film so around the set so they could reload and. Yeah. Yeah, just like when you hear that. You know, things like that. It's like, oh God, these are people that like know what they're doing. Mark Mylord, auteur of Ali G in the house. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You've got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's like, oh, the the writer, the writer for Peep Show. Yeah. Which is and really the director good, of Ali, but, yeah, yeah. And the director of Ali G in the house yeah. would both be responsible for one of the most emotional... Hours of drama. Draining <laughs> yeah. hours of drama yeah. on television. Mm. But my God, were they... My lord, were they? My lord, were they? Yeah, um, and just the way the kids react, they all, like there are different nuances. Like Culkin's in, Roman's in denial. Yeah, Shiv is just devastated. Yeah, and Kendall is it kind of stressed out. He's like, we well, he sort of goes into crisis mode, crisis management. Yeah. yeah, Tom's restraint. You know, um, Matthew McFadden. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> um, and then Connor's whole little just like oh man you never even loved me yeah just a gut like in reaction not trying to put anything on like he didn't yeah. even like me but and then he instantly corrects himself no he did he did it's yeah, fine yeah. as much as I dislike Shiv in general <laughs> uh, her reaction was the most heartbreaking I found oh god yeah uh, that, that like little daddy. like yeah daddy it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah fuck it's just and they said this the reality of death it's not poetic there's no big final line yeah. they're not with him it's all through like broken like phone calls and sudden non-cinematic you know and the music as well for this episode the music in general is great but when it swells when they leave for the airport yeah oh, that was like goosebumps kind of yeah. music a lot of goosebumps from the music in this season oh yeah i think it was just nice in that episode to see every character's reaction from the kids obviously down to carrie to colin just the little one little glance at the plane he's utterly like he's just lot he doesn't really know what to do with himself you know it's, mm. it's a little beat but it's there and it's what you talked about earlier. Uh, it's nice to see the assistants getting their moments yeah. in this season in general. And of course, Jess in episode nine, you know, when she... Yeah, yeah, put, her whole moment. Yeah, because yeah. like, there, yeah, there are these people that you see them wandering about in the background of some scenes yeah. and you don't realise 
certainly until season four, their kind of significance. And they've been there the whole time. Yeah, and Colin's you know. been important. Like, he's Logan's he covered up guy. Kendall's, the, the death of the, you know... Yeah, in season one. In season one. He is an extension of Logan. Yeah, he knows everything. He knows everything. Yeah. He is Logan's guy. And to, for the show to have that moment where Logan kind of acknowledges that. Yeah, your man. And the show acknowledges friend, that. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's... It's nice to, like... Because that's the thing with Succession, is that I don't know how deliberate it is. Whether, you know, they, they there are certain moments, certain characters where it feels like they had this idea for them, mm-hmm. but the show kind of went off in a different direction and left them behind. Mm-hmm. Like Kendall's ex-wife. Right. Rather, who's like a big part of series one. Yeah, she's in the main cast. She's yeah. in the main cast. Yeah. And then she kind of disappears for a while. Yes. Kendall's kids never really seem to become... No. A big deal. But, yes, but by design, I would say that. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, oh, I, I would maybe expect more from yeah. those kids, but yeah. it just never happens. There's, there's a guy in the main cast in season one that you wouldn't know if I showed it to you. There's a black guy that's just around a bit in season one. Right, okay. That you wouldn't even know. Yeah. He's kind of in the vague entourage of Kendall and Frank, and he's just like with them. Right, okay. He, he barely has any dialogue. He's in the main cast. Yeah, but yeah. again, like Sandy as well. Which was, one? Well, the, the first Sandy. yeah. yeah, yeah. Main villain of series one and two. That's mm-hmm. the whole show is orbiting around him and his plans Trying and to his, take over yeah. and everything like that. And then all of a sudden he shows up a vegetable. Yeah. And he's sidelined for his daughter. And it's like, oh, it's weird that like they did that. Yeah, it was like life, you know, it's not yeah. it's not all building towards something. No, but my point Except one thing. Yeah. Well yes. Yeah. Um but yeah, I guess my point was you've got these uh, these characters that kind of exist on the fringe of the show. Yeah. And it's it's difficult to know sometimes whether they're there just for flavor or whether they were meant to be something and they just kind of ended up staying. Yeah. yeah. And Colin is kind of that for a while where it's like, yeah, I don't know whether he was supposed to be a bigger part of this and just never ended up mm-hmm. filling that position. Jess as well, even though she does have her moment in the season yeah. and you do see her a lot throughout the show. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I, can, I think I've seen her before. And you're, she's there from the beginning. She's always yeah. with Kendall, you know. Well, again, when my parents yeah. were re-watching it and Colin would show up for like a second in the background, they'd be like, who is that guy? Mm. It's like, oh, that's an important guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else to say about that episode? I mean, a lot of these episodes are just kind of... They deserve to be seen. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this isn't... Yeah. Unfortunately, this isn't an episode where you can't... It's an Ozymandias you can't watch it in isolation. The build-up is required, yes. The build-up is required, but my God, once yeah. you have that This is up. one of those, I would say, arguably the better form of greatest episode ever, whereas it's not the th- one that's different. It's not the Buffy episode where yeah. all the things... It's it's only great because of everything that came before it. Yes. And that, that's just more rewarding, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so Honeymoon States and Kill List, episodes four and five. yeah. Okay, so it's kind of in the immediate after- aftermath of his death. They've all gathered in his apartment, and a will is discovered, sort of. Some, some wishes. Last wishes, yeah. yeah. That's such a brilliant idea, that piece of paper. Mm. It's such an interesting ambiguity. Basically, he's, he's written that he wants Kendall to take over. Yeah. But it's unclear when he wrote it. It's unclear when he wrote it, yeah. and also, there's a line. Yes, which maybe an underline but it also might be crossing, crossing out the name out. yeah and because of everything that's come before we genuinely don't know whether he would have wanted whether it's like a confirmation that he mm-hmm. wants Kendall or whether he's scrubbing him from the will because you know full well that he he has believed that Kendall has stabbed him in the back yeah hates his guts yeah but also 
probably admires him. That, and when he says in season three, yeah, the, the lock you're going to say. Yeah, that final yeah. shot in season two where it's yeah. like, he's fucked me, but my that's Good. my boy. That's my boy. Yeah. You're my number one boy. Yeah. And in season three where he says to Adrian Brody, he's probably the best of them. And that's, again, a brilliant in, up for interpretation ambiguity. You don't know whether he's saying it just to keep things smooth yeah. or whether he believes it. I think he believes it. Mm. I do think he believes it. I think he fucking hates Kendall <laughs> and knows that well, he might be, you know, yeah. he might be the one. If it's going to be uh, any of them. If it's going to be any of them, it's going to be him. Yeah. So it's an interesting ambiguity as well as Kendall's reaction to it. Yeah. So at the end of the episode, he kind of, the, the idea has been floated. We are, we do keep premising, Burroughs, you have to. Uh, the idea has been floated by the kind of PR team that we can throw Logan under the bus because so, uh, Kendall and Roman take over as CEOs. We can throw him under the bus uh, and say that you were kind of do you were controlling everything the whole time, and they were like, "Well, let's not fucking dirty my father now. He's yeah. gone, so fuck off." And then Kendall goes into the bathroom, has another look at the writing. Well, I think a a crucial detail as well beyond the underline is that it's the first time in the show we see Kendall's full name, Kendall Logan Roy. Kendall Logan Roy. Yes, and then he immediately leaves and confronts one of the PR people and says. Uh, yeah, let's go with that dirty approach. Do not tell Roman or anybody else. Uh, I have leverage over you and I'll use it. And the end of the episode. So it's like, did he do that because he's like, fuck you, dad? Mm. Or because he's like, oh, this is what my dad would do and I want to be like my dad. Exactly. It's just it's brilliant. Uh, I like that they revisit Frank's parental relationship with Kendall a little bit that episode. I really like the moment with Stewie where they hug. That felt like a genuine yeah. moment. Yeah, and like when Stewie, when he's pleading with Stewie to like uh, help him mm-hmm. get into the top position and Stewie's like, well, what's in it for me? And he's like, well, how about you just do a favour for your best friend? On the day, his, on <laughs> on the day, day after, after his father, his father died. died, yeah. And that's obviously, what, that's why he did it, you know? Yeah. But again, you think that's why he did it. And then Frank said, when he, he endorses it, Frank says, oh, so you can puppet master them. And he's like, me, Frank? No. <laughs> it's like, they're all just fucking horrible, but you, you end up liking them. Yeah. Um, right, there's a line. With Stephen Root oh, yeah. is there. He, he's kind of like a... He's a conservative. He's in politics. He's conservative. And uh, he gives a little speech in the apartment about Logan's legacy. And then Connor says to the other kids... He's trying to make Pop into a neoconservative. Mm. He wasn't a neocon. He was a paleo-libertarian. He was practically an anarcho-capitalist. <laughs> now, if you don't follow politics or the media, so much of this show will go over your head. Yeah, It's interesting that people that don't follow it still like it. Yeah. Because it's so dense. I think that it's, it's, it's one of those shows where it's great if you can follow it. Yeah. It's great if you can keep up with it. But I think even if you can't, it's funny enough. Yeah. And the characters are interesting enough that that will be enough for you. Yeah. I mean, like, people I've shown it to, like, my mother, who I thought, oh, it's a bit of a risk. I don't know if she's going to... By the end, she, we were watching it week to week like you and I were. And it was like, oh, is there another one? No, got to wait a week. Oh, what? Yeah. It's because it's still, like, it has that soapy thing of who's going to be the boss. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... And Tom and Shiv, their marriage, which we'll get to. Yeah, Tom and Greg. Tom and Greg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Greg was an interesting one this season. I know we haven't really brought yeah. him up because he is kind of ancillary until, mm-hmm. like, the second half. But yeah, it's interesting that he kind of went from, even towards the end of Series 3 when he was trying to date the princess and... Yeah. The Again, you one. think someone's going to come with that. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but when, when he's like dating those two women or he's trying to, and Tom kind of pulls him into his his scheme. Yeah. Um, like even at that point, there's an innocence to Greg, you know, the man who's suing Greenpeace. Yeah. And it says something that the man who's screwing Greenpeace, um, suing Greenpeace, mm. is like the most innocent character in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's your entryway. He's, he, yeah, yeah, he is your, at the beginning at least, he's the guy that sits on the side going, this is all a bit... Are we sure we should be doing this? I yeah, don't yeah. feel like this is right. Even in the first episode of season four, when he has a, a liaison with a girl in Logan's apartment, and it turns out it's on CCTV, mm. and Logan can berates him. You don't see it, but Logan berates him, but like with a fondness, like, ah, you kid, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then like, when Logan, they're all sitting in the room waiting for the PGN deal to come through, and Logan's like, come on, roast me. And everyone's like so reticent to do it. And then Greg just kind of goes, you're mean. You're really mean, and I'm terrified of you. And I don't say, but like, you're really horrible. <laughs> it's like he still has like a soul. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, well, that's what's interesting because I was going to say that, like, because that's his little thing, isn't it? At the yeah. end of series three, is who needs a soul? That's his kind of indication yes. that he's going along with Tom. Yeah, and it really did feel like he did. He did between yeah, series yeah. three and four. Like he's a scumbag now. He's yeah, worse yeah. than the rest of them. Yeah, the disgusting brothers. Yeah, guy. yeah, and he's kind of like he's playing all sides. He's got no loyalty to. Anyone. I don't know if he's worse than the rest of them, but I think considering I ha- where he started, where he started, I haven't thought about this until this moment. His grandfather says to him in season three, "You, you got to take yourself seriously, kid." And I think that's why it feels so bad because he is conniving and manipul- manipulative and playing everyone and all that, like the mm. rest of them are. But he. he there's no integrity about him. I'm not saying the others. There's, do you know what I mean by saying integrity? Like, yeah. th- there's a there's a certain gra- even to Roman. There's a gravity to them of like they kind of know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, with him, he is kind well, of nu- nouveau riche kind of uh, debutante, yeah. dilettante even. So when he's doing, you're like, come on, Greg. Yeah, this isn't you. Well, I don't you know because like with everyone else, even with like Shiv and 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 and, and Roman again, considering where he started. Mm-hmm. They do seem to honour... I know that they, they do double-cross and backstab, but they honour the relationships that they have while they're in them. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Shiv and Tom are a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. what I mean by it is that, like, when she, like, teams up with Matson, she teams up with Matson. She, like, honours that relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas with Greg, even though he's basically Tom's second-in-command, mm-hmm. he's, like, screwing Tom over constantly and, like, betraying him for information and, like... It feels like Greg's just like he's, there's, he's insincere. There's no, yeah. there's no, yeah, there's yeah, um, yeah. Okay. He's, he's he's like playing the game, but he's not like he's already playing it. Yeah, there's no what's the right word? Well, what, there's just no weight to him. No, there's no gravity to him. You know. Yeah. Okay, so kill list another cultural compatibility episode. Yes. This final season pays off a lot. It turns out so recurring themes, obviously character relationships. Taking boxes of the heretofore unseen and clarifying old mysteries, and one final hurrahs. Mm. So, like I said, this is another cultural co- compatibility episode in the vein of Turnhaven, which is my favorite episode. Okay. I would say not the best, but my favorite. Okay, I like Ebba. 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 Oscar is awful. <laughs> sauna, sauna, sauna. He's awful, isn't he? Yeah, he's not great. Uh, I love Greg and Tom talking strategy next to a pig on the spit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. There's a, the fantastic climactic scene on the mountain mm. uh, where Culkin shines. 
I love that towering shot of Skarsgård, this, you know, yeah. threat. I like that even though he's superficial and a prankster in that kind of... I get the vibe he's modeled off Elon Musk a bit, you know, that kind of new tech yeah. bro kind of thing. So even though he's kind of flippant, there always lingers the possibility of physical violence with him. Uh, I like it. Or they harken back to an episode six when he jumps over the couch to hug Kendall. Mm. They kind of verbally sparring and then he goes, hey, come here. And he jumps up and he hugs him. Yeah. You're like, he did that so you wouldn't hit him. You know, yeah. it's like, that's kind of it. Do you have anything more? I know you really like, uh, you particularly like Kill List. Yeah, it's probably one of yeah. my favorite episodes. I mean, I, uh, that scene on the mountain makes it for me. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, that... it's a great episode before that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, obviously it's, it's the return of Matson, mm-hmm. and it's sort of uh, next episode is kind of um, affirms it, but it kind of casts him as the final villain He's of the, the show. Villain. Yeah, um, the replacement for Logan, and and he, and he fills that role brilliantly. Mm-hmm. In part because yeah, he does kind of have this kind of bantery. Ah, I'm not taking it very seriously. It's all kind of bullshit. I'm sort of I'm yeah. your friend. I'm on your side, but he's also a legitimate threat. Yeah, but he's hollow as well, as you later like find yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so interesting. Like, he's new. He's new money. You know, yeah. that's his... That's, that's what he represents. Yeah, he's not Logan. No, he's he not is, Logan. Like, objectively, definitively not yeah, Logan. Yeah, he's, no, he's new money. He doesn't get ATN. No. Um, but he's equally as dangerous. He's equally as dangerous. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's the opposite in every way. He's young. He's tall. He's fit. You yeah. Know? He's, he's fun. I don't think Logan is... You couldn't call him fun. No. Yeah, and but again, he has that kind of nan thing where you sometimes see through the, you know, he's got that millennial. Oh, I don't care about anything. Like, I don't, I don't do cool. Like, what's cool? Yeah. But then when they're up in that having a meeting with him in his big mountain complex, and yeah. they're in that thing that juts out over the mountain, uh, they're like, oh, this is pretty. You know, this is awesome. He's like, oh, I don't really give a shit. I, I guess people think it's cool. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, he obviously is doing it because he thinks it's cool. Yeah. He is that he, shallow. Yeah, he's, you know? he's flexing, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. But he can't so, yeah. be seen to be doing that. But he can't be seen to be doing it. But no, he's great. And uh, just interrupting them and they're like, oh, uh, 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 you know, like mm. when they're trying to talk, I want to buy your company for the, for one single dollar. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. great. It's the way they look at him and yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, like, yeah, just like, what, who, what the fuck is this guy? Yeah, who are you? What's this, his, his agenda? Yeah, and I love when Roman, it's so cathartic when he's like, you pig man, dog man, as he calls yeah, him. Yeah, inhuman dog, dog man. Inhuman dog man, you, you know. Fucking drag us out here the couple of days after our father's died. And I just love Matt's reactions like, oh, I mean, like, come on, man, come on. Yeah. I'm liking this. Come on, come on, bring it on, you know. You just fucked yourself. You just, you just fucked yourself. Did I? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just going to end up seeing, saying the scene verbatim <laughs> if I'm not careful. I know. Because it really is, that delivery from Culkin is just, I. Yeah, it's like he's. It's, um, you know, when you get really angry and you feel like crying. Yeah. It's like, he's got to get it all out. Yeah. It's like, I've been fucking sitting on this. Yeah. 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 And he can barely look at him and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. It's not a performance that I think I would ever, if I'd like written it that episode yeah. or if I were directing that episode, it's, n- it's not a performance I would have ever aimed for. But now that we have it, it feels so right. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where he walks up to him. Like, oh, okay, I mean, I'm going to say my piece. Yeah. And then the way you would expect it to be firm and you dragged us out here, blah, blah. But it's kind of like he, he's twitchy and he yeah. wants to get it over with. And- well, even in that moment, he's got no agenda. He's, he's, he's abandoned all plans. Yes. He is just going to have his say. Yeah. And Matson is going to listen. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it really does feel like that. And I don't know, it's just like at, like at the end where he says, um, you, can t- you can go to the board... 
and tell them what I've said to you, but I'll just say it's a negotiating tactic. And maybe it is. Who yeah. knows? But it's not. So yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then when he's walking away, he's like, hey, it's a negotiating tactic, you stupid cunt. Yeah. And then he says, you piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so much more, like, venom. power and yeah, venom yeah. in that. And that's nice when you've got, like, when the word shit carries more weight than the word cunt. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know they're doing something right. It, there was the line that immediately followed that scene was another one where I thought, if you don't fall... I asked my father if he knew what it meant, and um, he says to Kendall, if someone, like, fucks a deal in the woods, is it still... An SEC an violation. SEC violation. Yeah. And, like, my father hadn't didn't know that referred to a, a tree falling in the woods. I, like, he didn't know. Okay. So it's like, God, yeah, what would you think of this show if you'd, like... Yeah, anyway. So, Living Plus and Tailgate Party. Mm. It was really good to see the Hollywood side of the business. Yeah, because that's... Uh... That really doesn't crop up that much, does it? No, it's one of the things that I referred to uh, in episode five then, where it's paying things off that we hadn't seen before, you mm. know? And again, I love Romans pricking the pomposity. Uh, it's not pompous, but like what what underlies it. When he meets with a studio executive yeah. for you know who's running a failing film production and says, I'm just going to give you millions, like fucking make it work. Mm. And um, she says to him, Oh, it's just out here in this creative community. Uh, we we don't like that ATN is leaning towards this right wing candidate and blah blah. blah. And uh, Roman's response is, "Yeah, you no, know, it's an incredibly evolved, ruthlessly segregated city you built on this geological fault here." <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah, he's so right. Um, yeah, yeah, he's always been a great pin to that bubble. Uh, it's a payoff to Kendall's showmanship that he likes putting on a show. It was a really clever use of Brian Cox of Logan. Yeah. Because, yeah, obviously he, he he's in five episodes, but he dies in the third. Yes. And obviously after that character's dead, you want to be careful how you use mm-hmm. him. And yeah, they kind of like, there's green screen footage of him talking about this sort of scheme that the company were planning to launch called Living Plus that obviously they never got around to when he was alive. And it's raw green screen footage of him like giving the presentation mm-hmm. and getting frustrated with the people making it. And then he's just like, there's a random moment where he's like, um, God, you're as useless as my fucking kids. Yeah, yeah. And Kendall and Roman and Chip, they're all watching this. Mm. And I think that was a really nice kind of reminder to you as the audience that like, don't forget Logan was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. He's a, yeah, a bastard. He yeah, was an yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. monster. Because, yeah. yeah, after, you know, the third episode, you feel bad for the kids. Mm-hmm. And then this, the fourth episode is kind of a moratorium of Logan mm-hmm. and the fifth episode they're kind of fulfilling Logan's last wishes well the, going, the, the so thing you, that informs Roman's outburst really is he sees a picture of, of Roman of Logan's body yeah 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 um, in the embalming yeah. room and it's yeah like the reality of it sort of hits him for a moment yeah. so because you're kind of with those characters you kind of end up investing in their kind of slightly tainted more positive view of Logan yeah so to have that kind of reminder, it's like, no, he was a cunt. Mm-hmm. He was a horrible man. He hated his children. Or at least he was never yeah. publicly, like, fond of his children. Yes. Um, I, I, that was really nice. I, it was nice how that ends up getting uh, re-edited by Kendall at the end. Yeah, I agree with Brian Cox, though, that I think Logan does love his children. I think he does. I, think, I just think he's completely disappointed in them. He's disappointed in his... Yeah, I think he... For me, like, there's the microcosm of that is... I think it's in the fourth episode of season one. Right. Where they go into that, like, gala. 
Mm, yeah. That Connor is sort of running. Mm-hmm. And he and Connor are kind of reminiscing in the car. And Connor's like, oh, do you remember that gala where such and such happened and such and such was there? Mm. And Logan starts reminiscing with him, like genuinely happy to mm. reminisce. And Connor is like, you know what you should do? You should make me the head of this gala thing. I would get it up and mm. running. You know, I'd have a wonderful operation for you. Yeah. And Logan just like the happiness just drains from his face and he just looks out of the car window and he goes, oh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, as far as he was concerned, he was having a genuine moment with his eldest son. Mm-hmm. And it was like, ah, he wants a thing from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, think, I don't know. Like, I, Yes, that would be disappointing, but I don't yeah. know if that's the core of his disappointment that they always want. I think the core of the disappointment is they're not me. Right. You know, I, like, as in, they can't, they're not as ruthless as, that's why he smiles when Kendall fucks him over. It's like, ah, yeah. maybe he's a, um, a killer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's a killer. I think it's like, yeah, they don't have what it takes. They're not serious people. Yeah. And he's proven correct. I, I think maybe with Connor, maybe that's like the source of his disappointment with Connor. Oh, with Connor, yeah. I, I think I think Connor, he just thinks he's a bit like of a fluffy nothing. You know, it's a yeah. bit like, uh, well, you know, he is living off him. You he know, is li- But then again, there are moments where it's like... But also Connor's the closest to him. That's, that was, yeah. that's what I was going to say. There's moments where it's like, oh, this kind of implies that Connor might have even been his favourite. Like, in the... It's jumping ahead slightly. Yeah. But we're well into spoiler territory at this point yeah. anyway. Episode 9 is the funeral episode. Mm-hmm. And he was the only one of the children that knew about uh, the mausoleum. The mausoleum. And obviously, when you see the footage of Logan in the final episode, Connor's the only one that's there. Yeah. And he's always been loyal to his father, even through all the corporate takeover and chicanery. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. never left Logan's side once. Which is interesting for the oldest son. I find yeah. that interesting, you know? He's always like, oh, come on, hear him out. Yeah, you know, he's trying he's to do always been yeah. on his father's side. Yeah. yeah. When um, they go for the therapy session, the faux therapy session yeah. at his house, he's like, he's trying to do something, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, Kendall's showmanship, and the payoff is that he actually does well. I think that, that is Kendall's it. secret superpower, isn't it? Is that under pressure, he, he actually can, can deliver. Well. Yeah. He can do well. Um, I like him bobbing on the water. Again, uh, water is a recurring, yeah. is some recurring imagery. I like Tom's confession to Shiv about his desire for money and comfort. He's like, oh, I do like money. There are <laughs> several, like, just mwah, confrontations yeah. <laughs> between Tom and Shiv this season. There really are. Yeah, they were the kind of, they become the heart of it for me, really. Yeah, those two, like proper, like world-ending arguments. Well, that's the back next to back. My next point here is that argument in um, Tailgate Party. Yeah, uh, outside the apartment, I had goosebumps. Yeah, like the, the one of the season's peaks for me was mm. that argument, and a showcase for McFadden in particular. Yeah, he's he's just pitch perfect in that role in general. It, oh yeah, Tom he, he lives Kansas. Tom. Yeah, he's fantastic. But you know when he says you're gonna set you know you're gonna send me to fucking prison, I was like ooh, it, it, I genuinely got like electric electricity yeah. through my body. Yeah, and just like the little beats uh, elsewhere in the in the show, in episode two when he's got to deliver the introductory of season four where he's got to deliver the prep them for Logan. Yeah. And he goes, okay. <laughs> he's, it's just like a, the perfect awkward cough. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. But he just nails it. Yeah, she, Shiv doesn't have a fucking leg to stand on no. as far as I'm concerned with him. What a horrible woman. Well, she is horrible. But yeah, their relationship is one of the show's most fascinating elements. Maybe the most fascinating when it comes down to it. Yeah, because like, because that's the the big like thing that's hanging over the first episode, isn't it? Tom did that to them. What the hell is he? Are he and Shiv like at the moment? And they seem to be estranged. Yeah. Initially, and then kind of at the end of the episode, they kind of 
meet back at their apartment and they fight and they mm-hmm. bitch and they bicker mm-hmm. and they end up in bed together. Not sexually, just well, like well, they're lying on the bed together and they don't they don't want the other person to go. Well, that's the thing. I with with dramas it depends, but the romantic relationships tend to be the things among the things I find least interesting. Yeah. I don't care about the romantic arc. I want this. With this, their marriage was like what I was in it most for. One really, really, really roots for Tom. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Uh, When he has his little moments of victory, which soon will be not so little, uh, you just want to punch the... Like, yeah, fucking... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think back to that, like... Uh, I can't remember the exact episode, but in series three, where he finds out he's not going to prison, and he goes to Greg's oh, yeah. office and he fucking trashes the <laughs> place, <laughs> and he kisses him on the forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the idiosyncrasies of the two are great. I like flicking her ear, and when they play, bite oh yeah, teeth. when she's just like being neat, mean to him, and yeah, she's like yeah, trying yeah. to dirty his shoes. He just he like flicks it and she looks at him like, whoa, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Your ear, your earlobes are thick and, and chewy. chewy, yeah, and bitey. Yeah, when they play bitey, it's such a weird relationship. The end of episode one, yeah, and I think that's interesting and up for interpretation again, which is her thing is she can't be vulnerable, right? Yeah. When he's like, Do you want to have a conversation about this? She says, It's not good for me to hear that stuff, and you just want to hit her. Yeah. Because God, I know that. <laughs> God, I know that. <laughs> You've no idea. But that's saying, Does she want him to stay, or does she merely allow him to stay? So she maintains her dominance yeah. in the hierarchy, you know? Because he's like, Do you want me to go? She's like, No, you can stay. It's like, did she just do him a favour? Yeah. Oh, it's it's so interesting. Or is it both? I think probably both. Uh, the tenderness in episode four between the two of them, where he says, remember that time? Yeah. You know? Um, Which again is interesting for Tom is that he hasn't written her off. It does feel like he still has... Oh, he's in love with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he still has something invested in that relationship and he doesn't want it to wither on the vine. Yeah. They are the epitome of dysfunction that I sadly understand <laughs> to some degree. Okay, so episode eight? Yeah. America decides, as the title would suggest, this is, oh yeah, an election's been, they've been building up to an election, by the way. Uh, so this is this guy called Jared yeah. Mencken? Uh. <laughs> yeah, okay, so ATN is kind of, Logan basically chose the candidate for the next president of the United States for the Republican Party. Yes. Jared Mencken, who's kind of uh, ostensibly a, a very right-wing I mean, he's called a fascist. He's called all these things. You never really know. Yeah, like a kind of a racial purist sort of... Basically, he's a, a competent Trump is the idea, I yeah. think. He's a well-spoken Trump with ideas, right? Yeah, like one of his pitching points to Roman in the episode where Roman kind of brings him to Logan as like a, this guy should be president. Yeah. Jared is just like, the simple fact of the matter is people who trust people who look like them. Yes. And I think people have pointed out there's an irony to that because obviously he's he's talking along racial lines. Mm-hmm. But in that scene, him and Roman have exactly the same... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they're dressed okay. exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just again, it's just so clever, because those, those things like that do happen. Yeah. And I just love the whole... Uh, the Coke idea. We're reviewing season three now, but that whole... You know, he wants a Coke, and he calls the one of the candidates, the the vice president, who is the front-runner to be the next nominee. Yeah. Says, bring me a Coke. He's like, Logan, it's like fucking... It's late. Yeah. And then Jeremy Mankin comes in with a Coke. And he's like, anointed with a Coke. You know? Yeah. And it's just it's so clever. Um, okay, yeah, so he's the candidate. And then there's like basically an unseen Democratic candidate. Oh, is it not the guy from the first couple of seasons? The under siege guy? No, no, he's, I think he's on the ticket as vice president. Okay. No, the president is um, the guy from Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so 
Yes, there's an episode that is based basically entirely in the ATN offices on election day, and it's the fucking chaos of trying to manage it and, and run the news. So, it's a minor gripe in the grand scheme of things, but the satire too closely resembled reality for me. <laughs> but it is genuinely a minor gripe, because like everything else, it's a brilliant episode. Yeah. When Roman is... So Roman wants Menken to win, because Menken is going to... has promised to block the deal. Yes. With Matson. Yeah. So at this point in the show, Roman and Kendall are united in not wanting Matson to take over. They want to run the company yeah. for themselves. And Shiv is secretly working for Matson to yes. make sure the deal goes through. Yeah. So that she can assume the role of American CEO. Yes. And she hates ATN in particular because of her own worldview. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's rooting for the... That's the thing. Yes. Roman wants Jared to, uh, Menken to win. So yeah. He's well, Republican. Yeah. She hates all that shit, so she's a, she wants the Democratic candidate to come through. Kendall is kind of undecided. I think he's, he doesn't love Menken. He doesn't like he doesn't like him at all. But he, yeah, he thinks he, he's practically bit... he might be the best thing yeah. to support. She but she has to pretend that she wants Menken. Yes. They, well not that No, but no, she's but she has to pretend the that she's on their side. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh when Roman so in this episode, because Roman's kind of winning, mm. uh he's in, when he's in snark mode, he's really intolerable. It's the first I, time in a long time where you kind of reminded. Oh yeah, Roman's a scumbag. <laughs> He's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I think it's fair to say that Roman's kind of the breakout character of this season. He's got to win it, something. He he really comes into his own because I think it, it's now looking like the TCA uh, announced nominations recently, and all three of the kids are nominated. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that whereas they've gone with Jeremy Strong and Brian Cox in the lead categories. And everyone else in supporting categories. Yeah. The three kids will now be in the lead categories for this season. Right. Which I think so. is fair enough. Yeah. And he sh- should win. It's so... Yeah. He, c- he so comes into his own. If Strong season. wins, I won't complain. But if but Culkin, I, I think... I will. I think Kieran Culkin deserves it. I, he, he does. He does. But I, I, I'm not going to be annoyed if Strong wins because it's still a win for succession. Yeah. But I, again, I've said this to you before. I think people are going to remember the finale... And they're going to remember strong. I, I just think that people have short memories. I hope I, I remember wins. that, but how can you not remember? I know the scene on the mountain and, and the, the funeral. funeral. I know, I know. But I think he will win awards. Whether he wins the Emmy is what's up in the air. But I think he will win awards. I don't know what Menken says that I actually disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, cause the, oh, you're really showing your colours no, now, no, aren't you? No, you just think you don't get that much of him. Really, mm. you get what other people say about him. Yeah. But when he actually speaks, I mean, like, people agree with people that look like them. It's not something that I w- would like to agree with. It's a fact. I, w- I, would, n- I would never. Right. No, 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 this thing. I would never play into that fact. I would never go, so let's fucking get the white people. Mm. It's, an, it's an objective fact that people like people that look like them. That is a fact. I'm not saying it's a good thing. Do you know what, do you know what I'm saying? Mm. But when he, when he actually speaks and he, and he you know, because they kind of call the election for him. Yeah. And he gets to deliver his victory speech. It sounds all right to me. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in America where a leader was elected from the people. None of this corporate interest deals with it. Like, but it, no, whether it's hypocrisy. I was going to say, yeah, isn't yeah. the irony of it supposed to be that he was um, chosen by Logan? Of course. Yeah. But every president, is, you know, anyway. Um, no, he's a good speaker, and I think that's his that's his superpower is that he's a very good public speaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like that he's not written as a buffoonish 
cartoonish yeah fascist. it's not yeah he's not trump he's not trump he isn't trump and he's clearly much more intelligent uh but yeah you just have to kind of take the characters at the word they word that he's dangerous i don't know that he is okay no but do you know what i mean the show is telling you that he is dangerous mm. but i haven't i don't know why i haven't heard him speak i Get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just Shiv constantly going, he's dangerous. He's a fascist. Like, yeah, but that's, well, I don't like you anyway. Well, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter who the Republican candidate yeah, would she be. Would think she would think fascist. that about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that Kendall is saying that he's dangerous. It's like, oh, okay, maybe there is some credibility yes, to this. That's true. Um, anything else to say about America Decides? There's that genuinely interesting little um, oh, yeah. nugget, isn't there? Where they, they find out that a bunch of votes have been lost in one of the states. I think Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah Wisconsin. Yeah. They lost a bunch of votes because the voting center was burnt down. Firebombed. They were firebombed and, and, and all the, the paper ballots were lost. And so they couldn't possibly know who they voted for. If, if they went off historic precedent, it would be the Democrat. Yeah. But they can't do that. But they can't do that. They also don't know whether it was Republican protesters or whether it was Democrats posing as Republican protesters. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's just all of this ambiguity about well, The ambiguity it. about... Because, yeah, it comes down to, like, you know, a state. Like, whoever wins this state wins the election. Which yeah. seems far-fetched, but is pretty much what always happens. Mm. And they say, you know, well, what about, uh, you know, doing the election again in that state? It's like, there's no precedent for it. It's ex- extremely unlikely. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Like they have an expert that, you know. Yeah. Um, there's no, we don't know what to do in this situation. So Roman's like, well, just call it for Mencken. Just do it. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then when, and it, that, when he of... ends up winning other states, they are, they're cornered. They're back into a corner because yeah. they've already called Wisconsin for him. So they have to call the election for him. Yeah. Which it later transpires. It may not mean he'll actually be the president. No. It's more that they sacrificed any credibility or credibility or integrity to do it yeah um, and they gave him credibility they gave his victory credibility yes but it's just i don't yeah. know it's just for again for it to be such a small part of the show like you again you could you could write a little piece off of that you do a show about the election yeah you know twenty thousand votes are lost who wins the election yeah do we you know do we go off do we count the votes that we have and just assume that everyone fell in line do we go off historical data it's just nice because it's like it's it sort oh, of. Oh, shows... I, I think sorry. That's why they end up calling it for him, right? Is because with the votes they already have, it looks. He, yeah, he's, he's ahead. Yeah, but they haven't counted it from the city, which is where Democrats. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Great. You could no. You could do like a West Wing episode on it, or you could do like a like its own little piece where yeah, twenty thousand votes are lost. Yes, yeah, almost like not Black Mirror, but but that sort of Twilight Zone. It's a one-off. Yeah, anthology idea. What the hell do we do? What, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? I just yeah. I I don't know. I just remember it because even after that episode aired and we talked about the episode, we were kind of you and I were talking about mm-hmm. it, like engaging in that hypothetical. Yeah. It's just something I remember from that episode. Yeah, because it's, it's not like that insane an idea. It's not like, oh, they contrived this very unique hypothetical situation. Yeah. No, that could happen. You'd yeah. Bomb, you know, it could happen. I can't remember what It's something we, said. we should actually probably be thinking about putting in fail-safes for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, the whole voting system is just corrupt. It, yeah. It's just messed up. Okay, Church and State. Oh, yes. So I think it's my favorite episode of the season. It's it's a, it's a very good it, episode. If, if not the best, I'll, I'll say it's not the best. Okay, so you're you're saying Connor's wedding. I'm is the saying best. Connor's wedding, but this is my favorite. Okay, and it's it's a, a contender for best as well. It's, a, it's such a strong outing. Yeah. It's kind of the, the 
on the other end of the continuum from so, Connor's Wedding, which is it's about how well written the dialogue is. Yeah, the, you know, this close to the end of the season as well, because yeah, you know, as a writer, as a good writer, you never want to put out something that's not the best that it could be. No. But I think we said, didn't we, that like even if the sh- if the season never meets the standards of Connor's wedding again, mm-hmm. I'm in it now. It's yeah. it's got me. It's got me. I'm yeah. here. I'm not. They said up on like it. we can't. It's not fair to expect that it's all going to be. Yeah, that we good. should. No, exactly. We yeah, shouldn't yeah. expect another episode as good as Connor's wedding. Yeah, and then the fucking funeral episode shows up, and it's like, well, you're just showing off now. <laughs> you didn't even need to do that, but cool. All right. Yeah, it's great. Another um, one of the best episodes of television in a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. So Roman begins the episode in his high-rise apartment. He ends up lying on the street. The fall of the Rome. The fall of Rome. Man. Yeah. Yeah, you stole that. Uh, you stole that from me. <laughs> admit it right now. I, I admitted the... I, I added the ab. And, okay, all right. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, it's, you, it's, you, it's you, fair you, use because I changed you, it. You can have the OJ thing. You're not having, <laughs> you're not having Rome. Okay. Yeah, okay. So Rava and the kids leave Manhattan... Um, and the thing, it, it, really, it does a really good job of like not just scale in this episode, but the, it oh does, yeah, like you do feel the crisis. There's an epicness to the to the episode, yeah, definitely. Like oh yeah, this city is like in turmoil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after the events of the last, I episode. can't remember what the question was, but did he say we went to see Jesse Armstrong uh, give a little talk? Yeah, can you believe it? Q and A. I know. Here we are in humble old South Wales. <laughs> yeah. Four days before the finale of the biggest show in the world. Yeah. Jesse Armstrong came to answer our questions for us. Yeah, in Cardiff. In Cardiff. Between episode 9 and 10. Yeah. Of his multiple award-winning drama, American drama series. Yeah. I just think, why are you not doing press? I, I don't know why you're I mean, here. it kind of was. Like, well, it wasn't, he wasn't promoting it. He was there because it was a comedy festival. Yeah, the BBC. And he's would, there to answer yeah, questions. BBC yeah. were doing like a little comedy festival and he was one of their guest speakers. And yeah. They spent most of the talking about succession. They did. But yeah, it's just like, did, did you know that the finale would be four days after this talk? Or did it just work out that way? Because yeah. it felt so strange that, yeah, it was like, you're making. You're the guy. You made this cultural phenomenon. I know. And, and just there you are, within spitting distance, you know? And I got to ask him a question, which is all yes, I wanted did. to do. Didn't really care about the answer. No, I did. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I blacked out when I asked it. Stu Dranlin <laughs> took me. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, he said during that at some point, he said, I don't want to sound like a wanker, but they closed Fifth Avenue for it. Or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, this British guy that wrote sitcoms and like sketch shows <laughs> and now he gets to go to like New York and have a street closed off for him yeah yeah anyway so yeah Kendall's ex-wife and his two children one of whom's adopted it's important is it? later okay they're leaving because they're a bit scared about the unrest after uh, the Mencken victory or the alleged Mencken victory and they're saying they're not leaving forever it's not like oh we're, we're, we're flying away on a plane Kendall like fuck you fuck you but it's a nice microcosm of what's to come, mm. I think, of, of of the implication yes. that, that carries. So Hope Davis, who plays Sandy, the daughter, mm. she's an Oscar-nominated actress. Mm. It's a testament to this show that it can get these people to essentially be extras yeah. for an episode. Yeah, yeah. She's just there. She doesn't get any lines. Nope. She's just in the church. Uh, James Cromwell is wonderful. Love a bit of James Cromwell. Love, yeah. I like the little thing that Shiv will become her mother, you know, when how she raises her child. Yeah. Yeah, Shiv's pregnant. 
Um, <laughs> well, the actress was pregnant, so it was like... The- but, but watching it, I was worried about like, oh, great, they're making her pregnant just because, but no, it's like a really important... Well, not really important, but it's important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caroline displays some genuine heart like, with bring, bringing all the women together, you know, Logan's exes. I didn't think the tragedy of their, of Ewan and Logan's sister was something that was going or needed to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so glad it was. Yeah. It yeah. really gives a sense of completeness. Yeah, it's like it, that final piece of the puzzle to Logan Roy, in a way. Yeah, and and it really, yeah, it, it gives you more context to that character. And you can see, I love the their reaction to him telling that story. So they had a sister who died of polio, and Logan always believed that he gave her the polio. Yeah, because he travelled to America. Because he travelled to America, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and their aunt and uncle, who were kind of emotionally abusive, never let him forget that, that, yeah. he, that he thought, you know. And you can see, like, Roman and Ken, like, leaning forward, like, they, learning about their father, you know? Yeah. Kieran Culkin's greatest moment. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, this is what I mean. Yeah. Like, you just, just, he's got to win something. Yeah. Because uh, that, that, that is... breakdown. I mean, it's, it's, that is something that's really hard to judge, isn't it? Just, like, if you, if you go too far into it, you run the risk of it becoming Comical. farcical. Yeah. But, I mean, the again, whimpering. the moment, like, the moment where Chiv kind of says daddy like on the phone yes, and, she's, and yes. it's like oh that just breaks you yeah yeah can we get him out utterly you ruins yeah, yeah 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 well the thing is when I saw that with you I think that we let it pass yeah. and we looked at each other like okay <laughs> but I, like, when I when I saw that because I was watching it with my father and I'd recently watched the episode where Logan had died and there's a moment where like Connor's just found out and Roman because he's kind of physically awkward anyway hmm. He just kind of like leans out to Connor and grabs him and just kind of like, it's awkward and weird, but it's grasping yeah. for some comfort. And my father laughed. He's like, I look at Rome. And I was like, I don't think it's meant to be funny. <laughs> and then I was worried when he said, can we get him out? I was like, oh, I'm so worried people are going to laugh at that when they watch it. Because mm. it's such a silly thing to say. But luckily no one did. When I watched it with my mother and my father, they yeah. both like knew it was serious. I guess they've lost parents, so they you know they know how dumb you can think, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then Ken- Kendall's speech is like, it's like the speech of the show. Isn't yeah. It? I like it because it really is like I- again, again another brilliant example of Kendall can perform under pressure. Pressure and the ambiguity is like I think Jesse Armstrong probably is with Ewan. Yeah. Talking about you know he, he catered to the coldness in men and all mm. that, but I'm with Kendall. It's oh, like he made yeah. things, and you know, yeah. Like it or not, civilization runs on money, and he created it, and he yeah. gave people jobs. And, he he was he was a he was a terrible. He had a terrible aura to him. Yeah, what's the word he uses? I, I can't remember the terrible ex- force that or power to him. Yeah, he's, he, yeah. he was a, a force, a terrible force in our lives. And my God, I hope, I hope that's it's in me. me. Yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, again, the series makes a compelling case against itself. Yeah, and that's so interesting. Okay, so then they leave, they go to the mausoleum, Kendall pulls Hugo aside and basically says, right, I've decided now, I'm just going to try and take over the company by myself, yeah. and you're going to be my dog, you're not going to have any say, but I'm going to give you millions of dollars, are you okay with that? He says, woof, woof, and then the musical <laughs> cue that hits, again, goosebumps, it's like, I think just as a moment, not that, not the musical cue itself, but as a micro moment that follows that it's my favourite of the show. Okay. The entire show, which is where Kendall is about to get in the car and he glances back at the mausoleum and then he gets in the car. It's like, that's where we all end up. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. 
I'm going for it. Like, fuck it. Yeah. I, you know, I love that moment. And and Hugo's Hugo's woof woof as yeah, well. Woof, woof. It, it's it's. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I think when we review the Happy Valley, yeah, um, we we kind of complimented in that final confrontation between James Norton and uh, Catherine Kaywood. Mm-hmm. I realize I'm mixing actor and yes. character there. Tommy Lee Royce. Tommy Lee yeah. Royce and Sarah Lancaster. Yes, that's it. <laughs> it's not you didn't get the name right. No, Lan- I know, but I was Lancashire. like, I have to commit to the thing. No, now. Lancashire. I know. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I know. I got. I I realized after I said it, I got it wrong. <laughs> Um, it was like I have to mix character and actor. No, I knew that, but you didn't a... even get the name right. No, I know. Yeah, it sucks. But yeah, so we we wrong. we commented or we complimented that in a confrontation as genuinely tense and like brimming with violence as it was. Yeah, they had those comedic beats in there mm-hmm. that were kind of woven in that made it feel all the more authentic. And another great example of of a great writer doing that here mm-hmm. where woof woof. woof woof is a comedic is a comedic beat it's a funny moment immediately followed by an ominous yeah undersco- you know. but it hits you and it like lands and it doesn't feel like a oh fast. it's so exciting yeah that's the thing when you know you really love a show and it's exciting yeah you know, that's that's you. probably like right the battle lines are drawn yeah it's going war. into the finale yeah, yeah. Camp <laughs> war declared Morgan. by woof woof yeah yeah Okay, finale? Or anything more to say about that wonderful episode? Well, it's a wonderful episode. Yes. And you should definitely watch it and the rest of the show. All of it. Yeah. Okay, the finale with open eyes. An exotic destination for the finale, as has been the custom. Okay. Um, uh, A line from that poem? Yeah, every season finale has been a snippet from a poem. Hmm. Uh, The title of every season finale episode. Do we know why? Do we know what the the, um, the, uh, the the thinking behind that was? I can't remember the crux or the thrust of the poem. Obviously, there's thematic overlap, but mm. I'm I'm not sure exactly. So, what is it? It's the nobody is ever missing. Yeah, this is not for tears. Yeah, what's the third season finale? Oh, you I remember don't know, with open eyes. It's not for tears, and all the bells say. Yes, they're the four. Okay, so an exotic destination. Uh, another, which is a payoff. Greg going unnoticed for the most profound time. <laughs> yes. A payoff. A final surge of positivity as the three of them are working together. It really again. is. Like, I, I, I think I said <laughs> to you at the time, didn't I, that um, the happier the three of them are now, the sadder they're going to be later. And so it's devastating <laughs> when we see them at the How happiest they've probably ever been. been. Just being children. Yeah. Like actually being like kids and just yeah. doing silly voices. And- I, I'm, I'm going to lick... Paul, uh, Peter's the, cheese. Peter's cheese. Yeah. Oh, mummy. Yeah. yeah. And even Shiv is like some Tabasco. She, they're doing like voices. Yeah, yeah. And then they pour like a fucking thing over his head. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Last another little moment they love is that exciting burst after Tom reveals to Shiv that it's him that he's going to. Yeah. When Matson has kind of said, "I don't want Shiv. I want you to. I want you. I want someone I can control. Basically, a pain sponge." Yeah. And with Matson screaming at his staff again, you're like, "Oh, come on." Yeah. yeah. And the slap fight between Greg and Tom in the bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, like, that was a long time coming. I don't know, it's fucking Greg. Like, it, was, as, it, was never gonna be, it was never going to come to fisticuffs, was it? It was going to come to palmer cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> Kendall, I'm at the centre of the fucking universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I love Greg. But again, it's such a clever thing. of just He's there and he gets the translator out and, you know, it's mm. it's perfect. Okay, so we'll, we'll say how, what happens. So they agree that Kendall... We'll take over. 
Yeah, there's there's some initial um, toing and froing. Mm-hmm. Kendall says, you know, when I was seven, he sat me down and said the company was mine, and Roman was like, well. In the past couple of weeks, he said that the company was mine. Yeah, Kendall said, he said it to me first. And he said, well, he said it to me last. Yeah, so it's, it's like, like yeah, yeah. who has claimed to this, really? Yeah. But Kendall does eventually bring it around, bring them around to the idea of him mm-hmm. taking charge of the company with them having significant positions within as well. It's not just a case of, I get everything. It's like, you have your thing. Yeah. You have your thing. They anoint him. They anoint him. Yes. They do. They fly to New York. There they see they go to Connor's little yeah uh, auction <laughs> where he's like yeah. auctioning off all of his dad's stuff. Where they they finally see they the final time they see their father yeah when he's at that another dinner. nice moment of them being together. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like a human moment for Logan, like singing. I, I guess Carl is singing like a Scottish. We haven't mentioned Carl. Carl hasn't been brought up once. Yeah. Um, Carl even has like a like a confrontational moment. He has a little payoff where yeah. like he's not he's not a, a doormat for a change. And then he is. And then he is back to being a doormat because <laughs> people don't change. Oh. So they annoy Kendall and then yeah, they have a nice little scene together. They go to the boardroom to finally vote that Matson won't be taking over the company. Uh, and then Shiv decides that she's not gonna vote for Kendall, fucks him over completely. It triggers a really horrible to watch fight between the three of them the relationship between the three of them breaks down it just like shatters and like irreparably oh it's done they're done yeah yeah yeah. there's a possibility for roman and shiv but i even that i think now they're they're not going to want to be around each other anymore um it really should be candle this is my opinion now okay it really should be candle his pitch in barbados is actually spot on what he says to them he has admittedly compromised a lot to get here maybe too much and that is i know shiv is kind of the ultimate villain of the show to us yeah to us but it is ultimately what does kendall in is that he sacrifices too much of himself yes he becomes too like logan yes um treating roman as logan did you know um berating him ripping open the stitches yeah uh so he looks kind of unreliable yeah he does have hubris he likes being liked and he's a bit full of shit. Um, and I don't know if he knows who he is. He was promised the kingdom as an infant, and that's all that's ever been. No personality development outside of that. Yeah. As a leader, he would be a, a bit insufferable. Maybe that would settle down as he matured into the role. He's he's not totally incompetent. He's not Logan, and he'd never be considered in the same breath as an industry titan. He's been an absentee father. He's very, very far from perfect. Mm. But he doesn't deserve what happens to him. I don't think. Yeah, it does feel... Yeah, it does feel... It's a gut punch. He loses his children. Perhaps Mm. he deserves to, to some extent. Um, He loses his father, his siblings, his eternal assistant. Yeah. His principles, his company, and his future. Yeah. (laughs) The principles are the key dimension, right? Well, yeah. I mean, just again, the the distance between Kendall from series one weeping... Because he was unable to save that uh, guy. Yeah. And then being confronted by Shiv in the finale and going, oh, I made it up. It didn't really happen. Right. So, yeah. And that would be seen. I think Jeremy Strong himself said that was his no real person involved moment, which yeah. is something that Logan says. I have a different take on it. I know that's what it's meant to be. Mm. But in that final explosive scene between the three of them, he tosses a lot out the window, right? So saying you'll end up killing himself as like a 
like, please, I'll kill myself, yeah. which is juvenile, but is incidentally probably true, considering what his entire life has been. Well, as you say, like, Kendall doesn't really exist outside of the context no, that's of it. being the next in line. Right. And now he's not. He has his no real person involved moment, and it's fucking horrible what he says, but I kind of get it. He's so close. Yeah. And they've agreed they yeah, agreed. no, they, they have a. Yeah, there is an agreement yeah. that Shiv is betraying, and he's being fucked over again. Yes, again. I'm just putting myself in his head, right? Mm. Like I've got it. The siblings have agreed. We're on good terms. It's all good. And then she just says no for no reason, really, other than despite him. Yeah, uh, and they fuck him over again. And I, I can understand that desperation that you would say anything. Yeah, I'm not saying it's it's morally right. Um, Shiv is truly hideous in those final moments. Yeah smug she gets what she deserves yeah uh, that's the thing she does it to herself yeah you do it to herself <laughs> she, she is cutting her nose off despite her face mm. because she, they're still they're losing the company her husband will be see, maybe she thinks oh I can get my way in that but no no that's not, I, I think Tom that, isn't even going to be around that long no probably. I think that final moment between them in the car where he kind of puts out his hand and she sort of she doesn't even hold his hand she kind of places hers yes. limply in his that's what they'll be now yeah she's, forevermore she's she, the wife she is the wife she's her mother she'll yeah. have the kid she'll probably be a shit mother yeah yeah you know and um, she's no one now she's, she's nobody taken her own nobody. reputation and she does it just because Kendall is like a, a little bit smug when he's in that boardroom yeah where you know, Roman says no he's like yeah that's right you know and That's he, the thing. He's she cocky. She didn't even see him rip open Roman's stitches. No, it's just, she, he, she's he, got nothing to go on no. other than she doesn't like that he, he'd he be put charged. his feet up on the father's desk. You yeah. know that kind of thing. It, it's just it's a bit. He's cocky. He's a bit cocky. Yeah. But all things considered, it was the best thing for her to do was to vote no on the deal. Yeah. And I think you know Roman's has the big like revelation of the show, which is. We're bullshit. You're yeah. bullshit. She's bullshit. I'm bullshit. To me, she's the most bullshit. She's portrayed a lot of the time to be the most kind of mature and the most with it. But no way. Like, no. she's the ultimate child. Well, like, I, I think that's that's the opinion that she holds of herself. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that's the horrible thing, because, like, with Roman, his kind of shittiness is very apparent. Well, because he, he's self-loathing. She isn't. Outside of that, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just talking about on the surface, the way he speaks to people, yeah, the way yeah, he treats yeah. people. It's like, oh, that's a shitty person. Yes, yes. And then you've got all of this like trauma and self-loathing buried underneath. Like at the end of episode six, where he's listening to his father berating him on repeat. Because yeah. it's like, that's he needs that in his life. It's masochism, yeah. yeah it's it's he, self-isolation. Exactly. Yeah. And then getting himself beaten up by the protesters in episode nine, because again, he needs that kind of like antagonistic force yeah. to just exist. Because you know? he hates himself. Because yeah. he hates himself yeah. so much. But yeah, yeah, he's outwardly. Yeah, this is. I'm, I'm saying it. It's the most sexist thing ever. He's a man and she's a woman, and that like the, that's <laughs> how their evil is expressed in different ways. That's not sexist, actually. Like the, 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 the comedian, the joke about boys, they smack, they break shit. Yeah. A girl will fucking mess you up. Yeah, like, yeah. Inside will break your heart, <laughs> and that's what she's like. She's more insidious. No, yeah, but that's the yeah. thing. The kind of the evil is kind of yeah, it's portrayed in different ways. With Roman, it's kind of very surface level. It's like right, he's an unlikable person, but I know what I'm dealing with with, well, with he, Roman. Yeah, like he shows signs in the final season. He might actually be a good person beneath it all. Yeah, he might be a decent. 
of the three of them, he might be the most decent. Well, he when Carrie is like when she drops all, all of her stuff in, in London's yeah, apartment, yeah. he's like straight in there, helps her. He's out. the one that rejects uh, the the tactic of dragging their father through the mud. Yeah, um, he's the one that seem is genuinely always for the three of them doing something together. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kendall is, is just broken by what's been promised to him. Yeah. And Shiv is just a bitch. Well, yeah, and she... But I think that the insidious thing about Shiv is that she probably thinks because she's yeah. been estranged from the company for so long. And she's a, a liberal. And that, Yeah, exactly. She yeah. doesn't hold the values that the company yeah. holds. She's liberally minded. She's, you know, she's been a political consultant for mm-hmm. the good guys, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. for all this time. She thinks that she's... In the right. Her shit don't stink. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so insidious about her. I know. And that's the thing. When she says that to Kendall, like, no, I'm not doing it. And and he becomes a baby. Just like, why? This is, this is, this makes no sense. Yeah. And she has this look on her face. Yeah. Just like, no, no, don't want it. You're not yeah. going to have it. No, no. It's, you just want to hit her because it, it brings back people that have done that to you. You mm. know, that face. Mm. And uh, then when he like, he tries grabbing her and Roman's like, she's pregnant, you dick. And like holding him back. She walks off and goes, fucking child. I was like, you were just as childish. Yeah. You just did it because you didn't like the look of him. Yeah, like, yeah. You know. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, and, and then Kendall <laughs> walks back into the boardroom and, again, lightning in a bottle improvisation, right? Yeah. With Frank, you don't have it. Yeah. You'd think that's scripted. That's like it the, says so much. It, it punctuates the whole thing, and it, and it, fe- it seems like there was there was more. I, I the, again, it was like a behind the scenes thing where they yeah, said yeah. that Frank kept going after that. Right. Right. But that's all you need. That's all you and need. And it's, it's really nice that they, they got rid of all of that and you're just left with Kendall's devastated reaction. What's really nice about it as well is that it shows that even... I mean, though in the main cast, not one of the, ma- the central characters, is so engaged with the story that they know enough, like... Oh, it's not just learn the lines. And when he walks in, he says, Gojo, seven to six. Like, he, he remembered the number. Yeah. You know, like, he was obviously in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's really impressive. I have one thing about the finale that I think would have been an interesting extra ingredient. Go on. So, you know, they have their little fight, Greg and Tom. And then at the end, Tom kind of agrees that he's going to keep Greg around with the implication that you're my property. Like, you're mine now. I think a nice little detail would have been Greg using leverage against Tom, the document, Destruction. I feel like that's um, already been played out, though, isn't it? Well, he still got documents. They used it with Kendall, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, and, but the, like no, they, but maybe not that. But like, the, or everything he knows about him. Hmm. I know you did coke. The hookers at the party. Like yeah. I know everything about you. I've done your dirty work. I know everything. And it would have been nice, like that toxic marriage forever. You know, like they can't let go of each other. Yeah, they're married forever. Again, I'm just saying this would have been a nice extra thing. And I don't know. To me, that feels like, oh, well, that's the next chapter of Succession. Well, maybe. And the the kind of the point of the finale is... Well, Jesse Armstrong, like, put it uh, brilliantly, um, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. He yeah. said that, like, their lives will continue, but the show doesn't care about them anymore. Yeah. It knows what it needs to know. I th- Yeah, I no, I get you. And I think maybe just a hint. I literally, what I've written as, all of that could be condensed to seeing Greg with a folder. Okay. Because you know, when Kendall gave a speech, you see Greg holding a folder. Yes. And you know what's in it. Yeah, that's it. Not even a niggle, just a suggestion. But okay. uh, you know, so why do you think the finale needed needed more? Sam, was it not? 
Only satisfying because I, think, for I think you and I would, no it was I th- well it wasn't not satisfying is the word heartbreaking yeah. but in a good way fucking devastating I think devastating I think we would both agree that Greg is the only character that didn't really get a big thing to do in the final season I hesitate to call him a weak link but yeah. I think given his presence in the first three seasons it does feel like he didn't get as much attention no and it's understandable because of what's going on yeah right? So it's fine. But I think just that little thing would have been, okay, he had like a final thing. You know what I mean? I suppose. Okay, so in the end, there's so much more we could talk about. Okay, Jerry, yeah. Frank, Carl, Matson and Shiv, that whole thing. Uh, list goes on and on. A lot of the commentary around succession ultimately settles on, but who gives a fuck? They're all just rich bastards. Well, that's the that's the, the irony of it, isn't it? The perverse irony is that them not getting what they want is a corporate takeover that's going to make them millions and millions of dollars. More money than they will ever be able to spend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, that's what it comes down to, right? But I don't have the contempt for wealth that a lot of people do. The fact that they're rich makes no difference one way or another to me. Hmm. And I think what's interesting recently in the news, the jokes about the Titanic submarine. Oh, yeah. uh, These past few weeks, they're a disgusting reflection of how society regards the rich. Would they be making those jokes if it was just like a normal... I'm seeing memes of it everywhere. Because oh, yeah. it was a rich dude that went down to see it. Yeah. Um, Not just memes of that, but like memes memeing people that daren't speak out against it. Or dare speak out speak Yeah, out yeah. It. Like, um, I've seen like... I can't remember the format of it, but I've seen a meme where it's like... It's like uh, people defending rich billionaires who don't give a shit about them. And, like, the meme is implying that those people are, like, foolish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that they, you know, they're being ignored or whatever. Our right as the unrich is to happily punch up at the rich. That's fine. But there's a line, isn't there? (laughs) I don't know. It just, to me, it bespoke a lot. It's like, oh, yeah, people, succession doesn't matter what they did. They'd always hate them because they're rich. Yeah. And I just don't have that. I I don't have that in me. I think you just need to have the, like, again, like you said, punch up at the rich, punch up at whoever. Yeah. But I think you just need to have the understanding or, like, you need to think about, like, if you were in that position, would you be any different? Exactly, yeah. Would you be any worse? Like, would the people that are, like, complaining about billionaires, would they turn down billionaires? Well, that's what it comes down to. Would they not be doing the kind of frivolous nonsense that billionaires are doing Yeah, now. never mind the kind of people they are. Like, everyone wants to be a billionaire. I don't yeah. care. Everyone wants to be rich. Like, the type everyone... of people that, yeah, the type of people that complain about billionaires being leeches on society will also talk about just, like, oh, I don't think we should have jobs. I think I should just be yeah, allowed to stay leeches, home and drink coffee all day. Like, free healthcare, free everything. Yeah. It's, anyway. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Multi-billion dollar corporations. Corporations shouldn't exist. I'm going to Disneyland for the third time this year. Well, it's... Oh, Disneyland. <laughs> the thing, uh, Mark Horrigan says it in Peep Show, so if it wasn't for the miracle of consumer capitalism, you'd all be wallowing in the mud. <laughs> so maybe Armstrong's a bit more, I don't know. So beyond the soapy interest in who ends up in charge, this isn't Game of Thrones where there are clear or clearer cut hate or love candidates for the Iron Throne. Anyone that cared about who ended up running ATN... It wasn't based on who'd most successfully run the business on a financial level, right? Mm. It's based on who's the best person. Who do I like the most? Yeah. Not the best person for the job. And Kendall, for the kind of things those people would care about, Kendall would have represented an improvement culturally. Mm. He is better than Logan in that sense. Yeah. You know? It's like bad parenting, right? You hope that it improves over generations. 
And there's an irony in the fact that Kendall, to an extent, echoed his father's parenting, but he wouldn't have been as monstrous as Logan. That almost certainly would have produced less success, but on the human level, it's an improvement. Mm. The show ends up being about cycles, right? The same stories told again and again. Yeah. It nevertheless somehow remains fresh and compelling and exciting all the way through. Ooh, yeah. Because things could change, right? You always think things could change. But it is evidently the opinion of Mr. Armstrong that fundamentally people do not. I just think it was nice that we were able to appreciate one of the greatest shows of all time before it ended. Yeah. You know, I said this to you. We got to enjoy it in real time for that final stretch. Yeah. And who knows when that will happen again. I mean, I feel like we said a similar thing about Breaking Bad. Yeah. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, And it it goes to show that it, it can still happen. It can still happen. You never know when and you never know in what form. But yeah, to sort of, I mean, like, I pitched to you, didn't I? Like, let's watch Succession together. You yeah, come we, over mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, in an environment where we don't usually coexist. Like, so we can watch it as quickly as possible, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah also, yeah. yeah, it's like, so you, you know, it's the earliest opportunity we have to watch it, but also it's, it's this is a novel. It becomes an event, yeah. Yeah, it becomes yeah, yeah. something. Because it deserved that. Yeah. No, we got to, I, th- I said to you loads of times, let's appreciate this. Yeah. You know, like we're excited for the next episode. We're talking about what might happen. How often does that happen? And yeah, it, it would appear once in a decade. Maybe, yeah. You know, I'm fine. Give me a succession every decade. That's just about, I can just about cope with that. <laughs> a parasite in a succession once every decade. Yeah. And I won't kill myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Oh, the pressure's on. <laughs> I think that's everything. I think we're done. Yeah, like you said, there's so much more we could talk about. Yeah. But, um,. Don't listen to us. Go watch the show. Just go watch it. Go watch Succession. Go watch Mrs. Davis. Go watch Spider-Verse. Don't watch Transformers. Don't watch Transformers. Don't Don't watch watch the the Full Monty Monty. TV show. But watch the Full Monty film if you haven't. Yes. And continue listening to us every week. Yes. Every week? Oh, yeah. I didn't even know it was going to be a week before this one's out, let alone (laughs) before we record the next one. Continue listening to us whenever we put one out. Whenever that is. (laughs) Okay. Every three, four weeks, five weeks. Please. Please keep listening. Please. please. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.